Turn it on and rip the knob off. Hey guys, Ray Russell and Steve Ekstat back again on the All Access tier at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia for yet another edition of the Watch Along series. And we're going to go back to the Coliseum videos. Once again, this time, best of the WWF Volume 3, Steve. Yeah, another one in the books. I can't wait to get this one going. Yeah, this is a fun one. I mentioned, I know, in past uh, episodes of the Watch Along series that I own a half dozen or so the old WWF clamshell case shows. This is one of them. Uh, it's hit or miss. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. There's some great things on here. Some British Bulldogs, early British Bulldogs on here. Uh, we're going to kick off with a couple of pretty solid matches as well that close the show with a battle royal. There's some David San Martino in between, fair warning, and some TNT skits as well. But uh, I think we can power through. We'll make it. Yeah, we'll be fine. So if you guys got this at home, you know the drill by now. Put in your old Coliseum video. Put Grab that old clamshell case, pop it open, throw in the old VHS tape. If you don't have it on there and you got a digital version, get ready to press play on that as well. If you found it online, kudos to you. I don't know where you can find them, but hey, they might be on YouTube, Daily Motion. who knows? Uh, I don't necessarily recommend that, but you know, you got to do what you got to do in this uh, crazy world here in, in 2020, just to entertain yourselves. And I'm real, really happy you guys are entertaining yourselves by listening to us here as part of the Watch Along series here on, on Patreon.com. So, without further delay, Steve, we're going to do the countdown. If you got your uh, video ready and queued up, Steve, we'll get going here. I'm ready to roll. All righty, we're going to count down, and we're going to get ready to press play. It's best of the WWF Volume 3. We're going to kick things off, by the way. It's Jimmy Snuka taking on Roddy Piper in a Fijian strap match. And we'll talk about that and a whole lot more here in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Press play. And as the tape begins to play, and we get the old black screen. Let's just talk about some of the stuff on this show here. I remember at the end of the last Best of the WWF we did the review for, they kind of highlighted some of the things to expect on, on this particular tape. Obviously, the Bulldogs are going to be featured here. They're new to the WWF. In fact, this Best of the WWF, it, its uh, primary focus is really on 1985. I think there's a match or two from 84. So, but all within a year's time frame, like the middle of 84 through the middle of 85 here. So they're more focused on the current product and the current stars in this particular episode of the best of the WWF anyway. Yeah, it's going to stink not getting some of that older uh, footage that we were accustomed to there at the, in the first couple. But um, it's what they should do anyway. You know, you got to hype what you're selling. So if people are buying this to get a taste of what the WWF is. Obviously, something from the 60s and 70s isn't going to sell you on that. You need to see what's going on right now. So it makes sense yeah. that they turned it this way. Yeah, and I mean, it'll we'll still see that from time to time when they need filler and just to pop things into some of these other editions of Coliseum Video. But yeah, the best of the WWF primarily, primarily is uh, focuses on the current product moving forward on most uh, episode versions of the the show anyway. And um, this is it begins here. And it's not a bad thing. There's a lot of good stuff here. Ricky Steamboat, Roddy Piper, Jimmy Snuka, the Bulldogs, like I said. Hulk Hogan's in town now. The, the early Hulk Hogan, when he could, when he, when I actually, uh, I, I didn't mind him here in 84. 
Hulk Hogan or, or maybe even 85 Hulk Hogan. He hadn't gotten over the top, completely over the top yet anyway, as the show gets going here. Then yeah, it's on. always funny to go back and listen to early Hogan promos where he's not necessarily Hogan just yet. Um, yeah, he's not in the cartoon mode yet. Yeah, he's not there. <laughs> so it's always, it always throws you for a loop a little bit. Oh, that's new. Getting the U.S. Express there in the opener. Yeah, just in uh, time to get them guys over here in 1985. Swinging full Nelson. What a violent hold. Uh, first time I ever saw that move, Kim Patera was here on Coliseum Video. Every time it came on, I was like, man, what a badass move. Why doesn't anybody do that anymore? It just looks so cool. Yeah, it looks brutal. I just want to forewarn if you hear kids in the background, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We're winding down to bedtime, but we had to get going here, so they they should be gone rather shortly. But uh, Andre with the big slam on Kamala. And if I remember correctly, Steve, I think Vince McMahon hosts this episode of Best of the WWF. Maybe we'll take a listen to old Vinnie Mac here, see what he has to say. Hello again, wrestling fans. I'm Vince McMahon. Welcome you to this, the third volume in the official World Wrestling Federation home video series, the best of the World Wrestling Federation. Together with Coliseum Video, we at the World Wrestling Federation have certainly enjoyed compiling memorable matches and features for your permanent home video collection. It's so funny to... Think of everything Vince has done in the ring as a character, and then listen back here. He just uh, comes off as such a stick up his ass back in these little old Coliseum video shows that he hosted. <laughs> so so <laughs> proper and so so serious. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the Hogan thing. He's not a gimmick. He's not a character. He's just hosting a, a tape here, and it's always funny to see them in different lights. But here we go. I think he's just highlighting some of the stuff we're going to see on the show. This is going to kick it off, though. It's going to be Snooka and Piper in the Fijian strap match. It's always an ethnicity of the strap match. Could be an Indian strap match. Could a variety of strap matches. Um, of course, <laughs> Jimmy Snooka's from Fiji, so this is a Fijian strap match. There's this is actually the second match, Ooh. and uh, what a match this is! Bob Orton getting ready to take on Ricky Steamboat on this show as well. So, going to be a fun night of Coliseum Video. And then the Hearts and the Bulldogs. Are you kidding me? This is like a pay-per-view, man. I know. Oh, my goodness. This makes you want to go back and pull these shows out and just watch the whole thing, the whole matches instead of clips. Yeah, you know, I was um, I was reminiscing. I was going back and kind of looking at the results from some of these house shows that these particular matches appeared on as George Steele chases Bobby Heenan around ringside. You need your comedy spot, uh, a match on the show. And Bobby Heenan, you couldn't ask for something better than this. Oh, no. Absolutely not. Little look at the living legend Bruno also on the show. Man, this is like a hodgepodge of just greatness here uh, on this uh, this time. This is going to be a lot of fun, I think. It's not often oh, you yeah. get to see Bruno in the ring with Brutus Beefcake. <laughs> <laughs> big big Bundy here. And look at this: we get to see Bundy murder Tony Gurria. This is this is it's the uh, piss break there, match, but and close the show with this battle royal. Look how small that ring is. Yeah, that's the St. Louis ring. I don't know that it's uh, that small. It looks like the ropes are more inside. Like the apron's huge. Yeah. Here we, yeah, same ring as this one. Yeah, and we're going to kick things off here. It's Piper versus Jimmy Snuka in the Fijian Strap Match. This uh, took place July 20th, 1984 from the Keel Auditorium, St. Louis. And St. Louis was where it all began with the feud. 
the uh, the old coconut on the Piper's Pit segment took place when they filmed it. It was only to air for the St. Louis market, but it got over so big that they eventually aired it a few months later all over. Uh, and they started running the feud on all the house shows everywhere, not just in St. Louis. But this is where it all started. And this is basically the blow-off match between the two guys here in St. Louis, Snooka and Piper, in the strap match here. And you're going to be in for a, a real shock if you've never seen this video before. The finish of this match came to me as a, a big shock back in the day. I'm going to play a little audio here because we don't get the original commentary for this match. It's Jesse Ventura doing the voiceover, and it's uh, kind of interesting. always stuck out to me back in the day. I want to take a listen here. Snuka verbally abusing Piper, trying to taunt Piper um, as well as with the fans. Pick up the strap, hook it on, and let's get the match going. Fijian strap match, one of the most dangerous matches in all of professional wrestling. And then Jesse's commentary will kind of pop in and out as he feels like it throughout the match. You're kind of odd listening to Jesse Ventura call a match voiceover on his own, though, I have to say. <laughs> He sounded pretty awesome there, though. Uh, that deep voice that, that Jesse's known for just really kind of sets the stage here to the to the violence that's to ensue just because of the type of match that it is. Yeah, and we talk so about I, the, the two different Hogans and the two different Vinces. There was two different, two different Venturas, I feel, too, and they both worked. I love Jesse Ventura, the character announcer, you know, when he got really caught his stride in, in 87, 88, 89, 90, but... That early Jesse Ventura, where he took it seriously and was more of just like a, an actual uh, color analyst. He was a heel, but he was just treated it more of like a, a sport than getting himself over so much, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I never really... I, obviously, I love Jesse, and I always I always have and always will. He, he's just one of those guys you want to listen to. Um, but I was reading, like, when the Fink passed, Meltzer was talking, like, everybody wanted their title win to be called by the fink you know the and new everybody wanted if you're a wrestling and you're a fan growing up and you're becoming a wrestler that's like one of the things that you you want to hear is the fink call your name after you win the title and so he's talking about that and how important that was and he's like fink's right up there with people wanting jesse the body to call their matches and i never realized that was the thing yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't i didn't know that jesse was that over to where people wanted him to call their matches. And, um, and then when I started thinking about it, I'm like, that makes a lot of sense because he was that color guy. But when a big match happened, he knew how to get it over. He put all that, the gimmick aside and he called a really great match when it oh, mattered. Yeah. Definitely. And, um, he brought his agent so back in the old WWF days for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like, I, I always love the way he, like he handled, um, Hogan and Warrior. Obviously, there's two good guys there, and was, it's funny. Like, what do? You, how's he going to handle this? Like, there's nobody to cheer for or anything like that. He just called it right down the middle, and you know, he, like you said, he made it a sport. He kind of turned it back a little bit to the early Jesse and made it like a sporting event. Right, and uh, it's just awesome. But uh, Jesse's the man. Unfortunately, Jesse's just the commentator here on this one. I'm assuming Larry Matisic or someone was uh, doing the commentary. I'm not sure who was doing the St. Louis shows at the time, but uh, Jesse gets the voiceover, and they would do that fairly often back here on the old Coliseum videos, kind of do the voiceovers when need be for whatever reason. And Snuka 
going off on Piper. I loved when you were talking about Ventura there. I had to watch the match as well. They were doing that struggle spot where they were both holding yeah. a piece of the strap, fighting back and forth. It was almost like a, a test of strength with the with, uh, strap in their hand. And Roddy's not too far off here from coming out of Starcade with Greg Valentine. July of 84 here, so you figure uh, Starcade goes back to Thanksgiving 83, just a, a month or a month and a half before Piper showed up in the WWF. And boy, wow. Crockett got, got screwed there. Piper leaves. <laughs> Valentine gets turned face. He leaves immediately after that and goes. Look, at, did you see that? That was tremendous. Piper reaching for that chair at ringside, and I'm not sure who that old man was, but he takes the chair and puts it in the crowd so that Piper can't get to it. Classic stuff there. Awesome. Yeah, it's good stuff there. And Snuka choking away Piper now with the strap in the match. Uh, these guys really had a hell of a feud. Uh, people don't really realize it goes beyond the coconut. There was the stretcher job Snooka did in the garden after taking that bump uh, off the top rope to the floor. He bladed and, and did the stretcher job because I think Piper even, I'm not sure if it was a pile driver or what Roddy did to him on the floor, and it just went on. And these guys really uh, battled it out there for several months. Jimmy Snooka was the Hulk Hogan of the company before Hulk Hogan got there, for lack of a better term. I know Backlund was the champion, but Snooka was the big uh, draw, the uh, character, if you will, on, on the roster at the time. He was over as hell. Oh, yeah. And, of course, here at this point, Hogan's been with the company. This is July of 84, so Hogan's been here all of 84 at this point. So Hogan's clearly on top, but Snooka's still working those uh, those B-show main events anyway. And he's not a B-show player. It's just that when the WWF started running more than one show at a time, they needed uh, guys like Hogan, obviously main event of the A-shows, and they needed guys that could uh, hold their share and uh, draw on the B-shows. And Piper and Snooka here. This particular night, I think they were main eventing here. I could be wrong, but I, I believe they might have been main eventing on this episode or this uh, Keel show. Yeah, this had to be the, the selling point to this one. Um, do you think they went to the strap match just because of the chain match that he had with Valentine? Well, I'd like to think that, but it, you know, based on the outcome here, I doubt it. I mean, there, this is nowhere; it doesn't even come. Uh, one percent close to as good as the the bloody wild, and it's not because there was no really blood here in this match. It was just a completely different style and just more of a WWF feel to the whole thing. Um, it, it, that could always be. I mean, obviously, there's different ways. You know, you settle your feuds. Vince was never a big proponent of gimmick matches outside of the cage match. So right. the fact that we randomly got this, you know, but I don't know who was booking here in St. Louis. Was did other people have some say because it was a different you know, city, a different territory at one point to change things up a little. I'm wondering if Sam Mushnick approved of this. Mushnick was very straight-laced. He didn't really believe in gimmick matches or, or the midgets or things like that. He just, you know, straight-laced, straight wrestling. The feuds were over titles. The, the You know, there wasn't so much of the hoopla, if you will, in, in professional wrestling in, in St. Louis. And it worked there. It worked for the St. Louis crowd. But they're eating oh, yeah. this up. So... The did Munchnik and them have a say once Vince kind of took over? Because in that book I've been reading, they they try well, to bat. Watch this here, first. Steve. I don't want to cut you off. We'll we'll talk about it. Here you go. Watch this. Crossbody from Snuka. Two, three. A clean pin fall victory. I I just had to point that out. Snuka over Piper. Piper wouldn't be pinned again until WrestleMania eight from Bret Hart when Piper was on his way out. So let that sink in for you. 
He went eight years? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he never wanted to do the job. <laughs> but uh, oh, he, 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 uh, he gave Snooker the payday. Maybe he felt bad for cracking that coconut over his head. But he's not done with him here. You, you wouldn't think that the feud was over. He's choking him with the strap after the match. Now, go back to what you were saying, though. So, like, when they first invaded St. Louis, obviously, Matisic and the guys were challenging and combating. I think eventually they just realized that they can't outdo it. So, when they, when he, they sold their TV or whatever they did, did they get, like, a, a cut of the share? Because you mentioned Muchnick. I wonder if he approved this. Like, did they have a say in what they did once? Well, Muchnick retired at the end of '81, so Muchnick washed his hand of, hands of everything. He was no longer a promoter. He had no say in anything right, once right. once he retired. So, you know, I, I don't you know. And Paul Bosch, I mean, you can believe whoever you want, but he didn't have any say once Vince took over Houston. You know, there's a couple, you know, two sides to that story as well. There's uh, Peter Peter Burkholz, who was I think Paul Bosch's maybe his son-in-law or someone who worked within the company underneath Paul Bosch. There's his version of the story where there was a lot of false promises and lies and things, and Bosch was very upset. And then there's Bruce Pritchard's version, which Pritchard grew up from a teenager working for Bosch in Houston up until yeah. Vince you know, purchased it and took over in 87, and Bruce jumped over to Vince. And Bruce kind of sides with Vince and says, you know, there's some, there's some truth to both sides, and you know, there's you know, some shades of gray in the middle. So it's hard to say how all of this really unwinds and unfolds the handshake deals because there were no contracts being signed between promoters back then. You know, you, you got you to remember that. So it's yeah. really just handshake deals and word of, you know, like, who, you know, who you want to trust. I, I don't believe that there was anything shady done here. I think the whole St. Louis thing happened organically and it happened the way, it, you know, basically right, the way Vince yeah. intended. But when this match first started, you kind of mentioned that. I wonder, you wonder if Munchnick approved of this. I just meant it's in his town, you know, his, and he's old right, school. Right. And he's watching right. this. I'm just saying if he's watching this on TV or if, let's just say he showed up at the show. Is right, he agree? Right, you know, right. I'm sure he doesn't approve with Vince's, you know, style of wrestling, so to speak. <laughs> right, right. I, I think it's pretty well outlined in that book that he doesn't. But uh, he's, like you said, he's straight laced old school, just good guys, bad guys. and just fundamental wrestling, you know, your Harley races and Pat O'Connor and those guys that ruled uh, St. Louis. Uh, that's what he liked. And that's what, that's what was over. And when Vince first came in, like he got destroyed in St. Louis. Like they didn't draw anything because the crowd just didn't like it. It took a while. And uh, obviously as you saw oh, yeah. there by 84, at least, uh, at least this Piper and Snooker thing was uh, really hot with the crowd at the keel. But uh, now we're fast-forwarding a year, exactly a year. That last match between Snook and Piper was July 20th, 1984. We fast-forward a year, July 20th, 1985. How about that? And we're at the Cap Center now, which would explain the odd-looking arena and the camera angle. It's Ricky Steamboat taking on Bob Orton. And this should be what another fun one. Steamboat doing? Folding up his jacket? You have covered enough Ricky Steamboat on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. <laughs> To know Come not to on. question silly things like that. Of course, he's a very proper man. I guess. The guy, the guy apologizes for interrupting someone's promo while they're bashing his child. I mean, <laughs> that's just that's Ricky Steamboat. That's just the way it is. Of course, he's going to fold his, uh, you know, I could see him coming into a blood feud and folding his robe before he, he gets going here, or his gi, or whatever the hell that was. What, what do you think of this look here, right, with the... I never understood type? it. I never understood it. 
I think they were going for the Bruce Lee thing. Obviously, when Vince brought him in, it was time to get the gimmicks going. He was never the dragon. People don't realize he was never the dragon until he came to the W. He wasn't Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. He wasn't this Bruce Lee character that you saw on TNT that fought a bunch of ninjas and this whole thing and do all these karate you know moves and things until he came to the WWF. And when he first arrived, that's not how they sold him. And if you go back to watch WrestleMania 1, because he'd only been there like maybe one taping before WrestleMania right. 1, that's not how they sold him. He was just a great wrestler. Came in there and worked a quick squash with Matt Bourne. But, you know, once Vince got, you know, wind of the, you know, the whole gimmick, you know, what, what can we do with you? <laughs> and he must have accidentally stumbled upon a Bruce Lee movie because Vince is, you know, behind the times even back then. And he's, oh, who is this guy? <laughs> I got an idea for you, pal. I, I will say, I mean, he kind of looks like him. <laughs> thankfully, and I don't know when it happens, but thankfully they kind of move away from this karate, not completely, but. It's not so karate oriented. He's not doing the Bruce Lee thing anymore. Because if you think of right. you know future tense with with Randy Savage at WrestleMania three, we get we're, we're it's Ricky Steamboat the wrestler again, and he's wearing normal tights. He's not wearing skin tight leotards here or whatever the hell these things are. <laughs> right, I got yeah, definitely. I, the cream's gonna rise to the top. Steamboat's so good in the ring that you're not even gonna really pay attention to what the hell he's wearing or what he's doing. You're just gonna enjoy the work and doesn't really matter what he's wearing to be honest with you and we've talked uh you know repeatedly now about how it's kind of like the wild west uh, that when vince took over and started changing the hulkamania area the 84 85 86 it was it was still territory mentality to some degree before it really became like the big national machine that it became by the end of 86 and that's why a lot of people forget uh, all of steamboat's great feuds because some of them took place during that period there with Morocco, with Jake the Snake Roberts, you know, everybody remembers the Randy Savage feud, obviously, because of WrestleMania 3, but he was right. stuck with a lot of uh, great talents to work with as far as, you oh, know, yeah. uh, feuding early on in his uh, WWF tenure. Yeah, who can forget that DDT on the floor? Whew. Yeah, I bet he doesn't, because that was well, legit. Well, maybe he did. <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe by now, maybe yeah. Maybe he did forget well, the last time I ever heard of him talk about it, he, he hadn't forgotten. Believe me. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> Man, that's it's so nasty, like the thud. Well, Ooh. his head swelled up. I, I know he had to, I think he ended up having to go to the hospital. Uh, I forgot how big it swelled up. It's something gigantic. Very Man. dangerous uh, when Jake DDT'd him there on Saturday's main event. Total legit. He was knocked out. He, Jake's struggling to get him back in the ring. Like He yeah. could barely move his <laughs> Obviously, Steamboat's not helping him out. He's in La La Land, but uh, yeah, uh, he definitely has some great views. I love the few with Morocco and Fuji. Uh, I thought it was very contrast of styles. Morocco sold like a million bucks. They obviously had the the angle there where he gets hung over the top rope with his strap, and um, I'm kind of glad like some of these views played out over Saturday Night Main Event because you know like the national platform for him to right. get some of these things over to make them a little bit more memorable um yeah because prior to pay-per-views it's uh, yeah prior to pay-per-views saturday's main event there uh it's really all you had in between uh to kind of yeah. get an idea of what was going on storyline wise yeah absolutely so i mean they're out there the morocco feud and the the jake feud's definitely out there on saturday main event obviously the house shows and tv but yeah everybody remembers savage but when you have that kind of match what, what <laughs> What are you supposed to do? 
Yeah, unfortunately, it was all downhill after he won the Intercontinental title because the wife came calling and he asked for time off because that's what you do. Yeah. You you win you win a championship, uh, the secondary title on a the biggest Ooh. show of the year, and then you ask for time off immediately thereafter. So Dude, great Bonnie. flying head scissors. Yeah, Bonnie Steamboat. Great flying heads there by Bob Orton, who's already done more oh, in this match than his. The outside, man. Yes, <laughs> yeah. takes the bump, and he's got a Pepsi. Into the eyes of Steamboat. Oh, it blinds him. The Pepsi, the Pepsi O Doom. And I was, I was getting ready to say Bob Orton's already done more in this uh, first two minutes of this match than his son does here in 2020. <laughs> yeah, the Randy Orton curve. <laughs> yeah, Bob Orton with he's the flying well. head scissors. You never see Randy do that one. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, Bob Orton's so smooth and clean in the ring. Uh, I think I've told this before, but Piper said that he had to tell Bob Orton, man, you need to stop because you look so perfect all the time. Everything you do, he's like, you're just making everybody else look bad. He's like, you never <laughs> miss a beat <laughs> because he is. He's so fluid and smooth in the ring. I mean, he's not doing I a think, lot, but. I think it was. Everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, he is. He, everything's just so smooth. And not every match is entertaining. It depends on what Bob Orton comes to work. But he never does anything wrong. Sometimes you yeah. do get more of that Randy Orton, Bob Orton. But uh, here tonight, he's working a really fun match here with Steamboat. And uh, I think it was uh, Orton who Gorilla Monsoon first referred to as the excellence of execution before changing it over to Bret Hart. I can see it. Like, yeah, like Piper said, he never makes a mistake. <laughs> And uh, speaking of Brett, now that I'm thinking about it here, you know, have you ever heard the story of Brett supposed to, he was supposed to originally schedule to work Steamboat at WrestleMania 2 before they changed it? I I do remember hearing about that. I don't know the full story on why they changed it, but I do remember hearing uh, they, that. I think they just changed it. It was no, no particular reason. Of course, Steamboat went on to work Hercules and then Brett in the Battle Royal. I think we wouldn't have got much of a match. I'm not saying it wouldn't have been a solid little six minute match, but obviously it wasn't going to be a wrestling clinic. That's not what Brett would have been put out there for, for steamboat. So I think Brett being in the battle Royal, that really sticks out with the whole Andre pressing him out on anvil. I think that did Brett a lot of favors, even though Brett was upset because he really wanted to work steamboat. I think they only worked one match and he wanted to work him again there at WrestleMania two. Um, I think it did Brett some favors though. It was a very memorable battle Royal. Uh, didn't do Steamboat right. a lot of favors, and that's not a knock on Hercules. It just it was just a match that was just there, the Steamboat it's Hercules like match. Yeah, really no heat going into it. This really could have been fun here, if if Steamboat wasn't in the middle of feuding with top draws or top heels time after time, Morocco into Jake into Savage, and he had another break. I would have loved to have seen him here with, do a little something with Orton. Oh yeah. They could easily shot an angle somewhere and really put some heat into it. I, that would have been a nice, you know, undercard semi-main type match on your B show or a, even A show. Get him out there with Hogan, you know, because Hogan's not really going to put on a decent match, but these two can for sure. And uh, would have done well, I think. We're two two matches into the show, and three out of the four guys uh, were pillaged from Crockett shortly after <laughs> Starcade. Bob Orton, Ricky Steamboat. Jimmy Snuka, or I'm sorry, Roddy Piper. So uh, Jimmy Snuka is the only one that was already there, and, and Snuka had worked Crockett before. So it's uh, so kind Bob of funny. Orton and what was it? Bob Orton and was it Dick Slater? Yeah. The attack Flair. Yeah, because uh, Orton had been a, a babyface. He had come in and tried to help Piper there once Piper turned babyface in Crockett. But Orton eventually turned heel for the money. 
Obviously, Race was trying to pay off guys to take Flair out so he didn't have to defend the title at Starcade and, and whatnot. And obviously, Orton took the money. Orton, Dick Slater. Didn't work out too well. Ric Flair walks out the champion at a show subtitled A Flair for the Gold. Go figure. <laughs> kind of giving it away there. A yeah, bit, didn't really huh? give that one away, did they? I was just getting ready to say. Absolutely not. Orton looking for the pile driver here. Steamboat's not going to give it to him. Nice back bump there. Yeah, I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but we're in the Cap Center, and uh, there's a few of the Cap Center shows out there. I wouldn't mind calling some of these house shows at some point. It's kind of hard to get through some of them uh, enhancement matches to get things going, but after that, man, you get fun fun stuff like this on the card. Um, I'm down. That was the old classics on demand. I I used to... Record all that stuff, and I, I always look forward to the house shows. You got, I think, two or three a month, and I always look forward to those. And uh, I think that may have been just, my favorite thing on there. To be, honest. I mean, in the territory stuff too. Is uh, that in prime time for me? Well, prime that, time, yeah, yeah, I guess. I, I, I can't I never, argue I that. Never really, <laughs> I never really seen prime time in it a lot when that started, and uh, being able to what relive that was. I, that was like the first thing I recorded was the prime times and the house shows. And then it, it depended on the pay-per-view too. Um, if it was some of those older wins and really good quality, I always enjoyed those and watching them. But uh, yeah, th- those house shows, man, you get to see so much stuff like the feuds and you just wish you could watch it in order, you know, because right, they yeah. come back month after month and you get, then, you know, you <laughs> nice spot there again. Like he's flying Steamboat. all over the place. Yeah, Steamboat skins the cab back in and uh, Enziguri sends Orton out of the ring instead. But yeah, I wish you could go in order and just relive it. So, you know, you get the, like the stretcher job that you was talking about in the last match. And then you get to the next month and you see the follow up to it. So, right. yeah, that'd be definitely something we could look into and start doing, doing some of those too. There's so much history on them as well. I should point out, in case anybody's failed to realize at this point, it's uh, peak Bob Orton here in the WWF because he's rocking that cast on his left arm. <laughs> what What initially, did he just come to work one day with the cast on, or did somebody injure it in a match? And Yeah, they did. Jeez, uh, uh, man, that's a good question. No, I, I remember there was something, they did an angle, and he sold the, oh, man, Steamboat, there's that spot he loves to. Loves it. <laughs> Go for the splash and take the knees. But yeah, I don't, I don't recall ever seeing the angle where he gets the cast. So like, this is July '85. Yes, this is a well over like almost two, close to a year and a half since he left. Well, you know what it was? It wasn't a gimmick though. Like when he broke his arm, he legitimately broke his arm. I believe. Um, I think it was wrestling Snuka. And it may have even been at one of the big garden shows. I don't know. Was it the war to settle the score or something like that? But he, I remember he really broke his arm. And I think it was with Snooka. I believe it was. And and he just kept wearing the cast. He kept doing the gimmick. Yeah, he got caught using the cast there. And the referee's going to give him give, give Steamboat the win. Oh, or you know mm, I don't have a damnedest clue. <laughs> If this was Toronto, I would have guessed it was like Terry Yorkston or something. But here at the Cap Center, I have no idea who this dude is. He looks absolutely ridiculous with that hair. Steamboat fighting his, fighting his way back from the cast shot. 
Yeah, but I think Orton, you know, it was a legit injury, and they just, you know, turned it into a gimmick eventually and just kept it going. Not a bad gimmick to live with. I think he even wore it when he came back to help out his son. Yeah, it was uh, pretty clever. <laughs> yeah, man, that, that injury just never healed. Properly, anyway. Let's so with the win here. Yeah, he gets the win by disqualification. That. What's that? I'd love to see more of that, like you said. That'd have been really good. Yeah, this is just another one of those matches where you just you're not gonna have a bad match between these two. You're just not. So it's just common sense to, you know, work him in a program if if you need to get to that. But Steamboat never really had a break. He went, like I said, straight from one to the next to the next and up until he took that time off. Uh, Steamboat was constantly in the middle of something huge, and then it was like nothing. After that, I was like, well, we'll teach you a lesson. We'll take the belt off you, and we'll do nothing with you until you leave. And we'll job you out to Greg Valentine at WrestleMania. That before. blew my I, mind when that happened because I had no idea. Uh-huh. Look, at there's Orton loading the cast. Not that, you, not that you need to load a cast, but that's what he's doing. And going to the top rope. And replay here. Yeah, I mean that blew my mind when I didn't I didn't know that was Steamboat's last night with the company. I couldn't believe that Greg Valentine pinned Ricky Steamboat. That was it really blew and it looked like they were setting up for a Savage Steamboat rematch from WrestleMania yeah. three as well. So they really fooled yeah. me and probably a lot of other people too. Oh yeah, I was uh when I first watched the tournament, I'm like Okay, so Steamboat's winning this. Cause I, this is before the internet, so you can't just go look it up who won or what was the deal. So, first time I watched it, it was like all new. So I was I was glued to, for the tournament, and I was stunned like you was when Valentine won. I'm like, what? Does Steamboat just job to Valentine? Uh, I was like, this ain't supposed to happen, right? So like Steamboat just has that aura around him, and. uh yeah, what that would have been awesome to see Steamboat Savage in the second round. Man, they missed the boat. I know he's on his way out, but come on, give us something. Yeah, Vince clearly was not happy with Ricky Steamboat. <laughs> and uh, blaming. No, definitely not. But uh, we're moving forward now, and the British Bulldogs, after their short, brief uh, stint in late 84, have returned from Japan, and they're back in the WWF. This is April twenty second, nineteen eighty five. Just the it's the uh, we're at Madison Square Garden. This is the first MSG show after WrestleMania. The Bulldogs in there with Jobber Extraordinaires, the unpredictable Johnny Rods, and Rene Goulet. And I promised I had a story about Goulet, so I'll share that here. It's not really a super funny story, but it's just kind of an entertaining story to me because I lived it. It involves Radio WWF, and this is uh, during the heyday when Raven, aka at the time Johnny Polo, was. Basically, oh, what a nice spot there. Uh, was running the, the show, so he professed years later that once he took over the show, when Vince wasn't going to show up anymore, he, he professed that he was never going to take the show seriously and there would never be anything serious on the show. So one night, the WWF was on tour over in Europe or, or something like that, and one of the agents in charge over there was Rene Goulet. Obviously, he spoke French, and he was just one of the agents over there for the, for the uh, tour. And I have no t- idea what time it was over there, uh, but uh, Polo was getting a, a kick out of it, calling him in the middle of the night, waking him up at his hotel. And uh, all, this, this, this name always sticks with me. Uh, Rene Goulet's real name is Robert Bernard. And I only know that because of Radio WWF, because this is pretty clever. Uh, Polo calls the hotel room, and he has to speak to a Rene Goulet. 
and the French guy that answers the phone or somebody of a foreign uh, language uh, says, uh, I'm sorry, there's nobody here by the name of that. And Polo quickly goes, oh, um, he's under the alias Robert Bernard, pretending as if Goulet is so popular that he's pretending to be Robert Bernard when in fact he's actually Robert Bernard pretending to be Rene Goulet. So it was pretty clever for uh, Polo to explain that to the fans so that we're not like, oh, these people have fake names, you know, the, you know, or whatever. But he calls him okay. and he wakes him up. Hello. You know, and he's got that French accent. And oh, it's, it was it was hilarious. Uh, they just start screwing with him. He, they asked him what time it was. It was like two or three in the morning. And he was in the middle of his sleep. You could tell the dude just got woke up. He didn't know what the hell was going on. So just <laughs> just to screw with him. It was it was fun stuff, though. That's awesome. I'd love to hear some of that radio WWF stuff. That'd yeah, be great. It's, I never listened to it. I don't think I had it in my area. Yeah, it's it's very rare. You know, um, it wasn't in a lot of areas. I got very, very lucky. It came into my area near the beginning of 94, and it lasted all the way to the very last episode, which I believe was the weekend of SummerSlam 94. So I got the tail end of I mean, Well, not the tail end. I mean, but I, I got most, uh, basically all of 94. Though it wasn't necessarily important to my local radio station because sometimes it would, uh, part of the show would be interrupted by a local you know, indoor football game or, you know, you, show you how serious they were about the radio WWF show. But for the most part, I, I had a lot of fond memories and, and real random things and things that stick in my head still 26 years later from it. And Rods and Goulet working them over a little bit. Rods was, such a, Rods was such a solid, solid wrestler. He actually he got a measuring stick, right, for new guys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, you came in, you worked Johnny Rods. He was gonna, he was gonna run you ragged. He, he was a hell of a rest. He was a machine, truly. And Gleason's gym, he trained so many guys: Tommy Dreamer and Dudley, and I think Taz. Maybe I, I don't remember who all came out of there, but he's trained so many guys from the New York area over the years, or worked with them uh, to get them going in the business, anyway. Definitely uh, deserves his spot in the Hall of Fame, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, that's the case of everybody. Oh, he was just a jobber. You don't understand some of these guys that were put in the position like Johnny Rods. He was, like you said, the measuring stick. If you couldn't hang with him. Yeah. Yeah. You need that, that guy to show, like, okay, I paid some money to bring this dude in. Let's see what he's got. Let's put him in there with Rods and and see if he can go because Rod, we know he can go and he's going to stretch you and bump you and do everything you need him to do. And if you can make it look decent with him, then you, you should be fine. If you're not sink or swim, when you get thrown in there with a guy like him. Oh, absolutely. And Rod's had actually gotten when he was working for, for Vince's dad, uh, got a big, sh big shot, a big push to go work on the West coast. Won one of the big battle Royals over there. And, Decided he wanted to go back home. And, oh, wow. uh, yeah, I don't think they were very happy. He was uh, homesick and he got a gimmick over there doing like uh, an Arabian, whatever you want to call that type gimmick. Uh, Java Rook was the gimmick and he was getting in line for a big main event push over there and he lasted no time. Unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, it's very comfortable, I guess. Yeah, you figure he was making more money out there, out that way than here in the WWF work in the preliminaries. But I don't know what kind of money he saw based on you know everything he was he was here for. There, I don't know if there was an episode of TV that went by that he wasn't on. I don't know if there was a house show that he didn't work you know the first or second match on here at least at the Garden. Right, right. 
And these guys, look, they're looking pretty good. I, I'm sure Goulet. Well, Goulet's past his prime here, needless to oh, say. Yeah, he saw better days. You know, he worked at Sergeant Jacques Goulet. He'd worked all around the territories. And um, even here, he was I think he was tag team champions with Carl Gotch uh, in the early 70s at some point. So he, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's who his partner was. <laughs> what a monkey what a- flip. That was awesome. Everything Dynamite Man. did, he did with authority. And <laughs> oh, <laughs> what a backdrop by Davy Boy! I'm not sure if uh, Goulet. Yeah, I don't know if Goulet wanted to get that high or not. Probably not. Rods comes in, but Davy Boy's too far away. And oh, if this was the '90s, this would be over. Davy Boy looking for that power slam, and he connects. Nice. Uh, oh, now we're on. going to the finish. Yep. The Bulldogs made this famous here. Dynamite bounces off Goulet, diving. Well, it's more of a splash than the headbutt on Rods there, but one, two, three. And your favorite referee, Gilberto Roman, the, the midget referee there, uh, makes the three count. And Gorilla used to love to shit all over this, this guy <laughs> during commentary on these house shows. Yeah, there's the old infamous, you know, Drop down my MSG microphone that Fink always had to wait for. Yeah, I I, I just love the old school stuff, the old old setup oh, there. It looks great. It's so simple, man. It's so effective. Like I like I like the dark arena. It's it's huge. Obviously, the crowd and seeing it is nice. But boom! That here that was a headbutt. <laughs> that was a headbutt. There ain't no doubt of that. Uh, the 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 focus is on the ring and not the fans, and that's that's what I like. Is that your boy uh, Jack Reynolds down there doing commentary? It may have been. I didn't. I didn't see. I the missed curly that. Curly blonde hair. I'll have to try to take another look. I mean, it could or be Ron Trongard. Congard. Oh, I hope it's not Ron Trongard. No way. He's not. He's not doing color at friggin' MSG. I'll tell you that. Let's pick it up a little bit. You want to hear this? I can do that. Why not? Even as far as the World Tag Team title. Pounds, Brett Hitman Hart. And his partner from Reno, Nevada, weighing 280 pounds, Jim the Anvil Neidhart. Nice duck under into that hammerlock. And we go right and joined in progress. And I was going to tell you, don't get too excited for this match. I don't really remember how long the actual match was, but I do know this is clipped down. So we're not going to get the actual full effect here, which is another good reason why to go back and watch some of these house shows. Oh, yeah. I and would was, love to see some of these. And I don't even know that they were introduced as the Hart Foundation here yet. They were just Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart. I'm not really sure if the Fink announced them as the Hart Foundation there. But this uh, we go back to July here of 85 in the Madison Square Garden for this one. And these guys all know each other very, very well from Stampede Wrestling. They've worked plenty of matches together, so they gel well. And brothers, yeah. <laughs> brother-in-laws? Uh, yeah. Uh, it's possible. It's it's very possible. Uh, it's uh, I would I would imagine it's likely, um, given that they're no longer in Stampede. I could see Davy Boy spending more time with Diana up there in Stampede. I know Neidhart was already into the family. I don't know if you even know this, but was Davy Boy separated from Diana at the end? Yeah, I have no idea. No idea. I mean, uh, I read her book. 
I got a I got a copy of her book before it was pulled. Um, oh, yeah. she says a lot of uh, bad things about Davy Boy in there, but it's been years since I read the book, and I've heard since then, and she's maybe even come out and said some of those things may have been exaggerated. So I don't know. I you know I don't know. If, I, I don't. I don't. I think when he when he passed away, they they were in different continents. Even I could be wrong. Yeah, I I want to say I read that he was with another woman. Like he was yeah, that's uh, it sounds another person sounds familiar. over in the UK. Yeah, um, that sounds familiar. But I know I do know like on that icons of the ring or what or the whatever that new series is that they're coming out with. Demolition. Nice. Uh, on the network, uh, they're talking about Davy Boy and Diana and the two, his daughter and obviously her kids, Davy Jr. and uh, his daughter mm-hmm. Georgia. I think her name is. I don't. I don't know her name, but um, they're all three together talking about him. So um, I, I can't wait to see that. Davy Boy is one of my favorites. Uh, this version. I mean, when he gets too big for his own good. And obviously his late runs there, 96, 97, that we're talking about on the Warfare show. Um, not as good, but uh, for whatever reason, I was always a fan outside of the <laughs> 99 run. When he was, I don't know what the hell he was going for there, but... Uh, <laughs> well, you're you were asking me who's on commentary. I think that's Gorilla with Alfred Hayes, I think, is on commentary. Yeah, I'm just wondering who the guy is on the left and the white. Oh, sure, that's uh, they. There really weren't three man teams back then. I'm assuming it's just someone else entirely. I'm not really sure. Boom! This has been fun action, though. The hearts collided there. Anvil falls onto the announce table. I know Gorilla had to have hated when when shit like that happened. It's so funny seeing the announce table, you know, in the WWF up against the ring like that. He's getting up. <laughs> he lost his headset. <laughs> Is that, I think that's in there. You see his head. <laughs> Gorilla's like, uh, is, is Gorilla Monsoon going to have to chop a bitch? Oh. And Ooh, even back spot. in 85, Brett was taking that sternum to the uh, turnbuckle spot. Oh, man. It's crazy to think that he's the only one left here besides Jimmy Hart. Oh, man, what a <laughs> drop kick by Dino. Yeah, it's, it's sad to think, sad. you know, so many matches you start watching and you look around and sometimes you don't think about it. And sometimes you do and you realize, geez, there's one guy left in, in this match. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's even worse than the survivor series, you know, when sure. there's eight oh, guys yeah. on a team and there's only one person left. I think on that perfect team from survivor series 90, the only people left are the two members of demolition. Yeah. That's uh that's a crazy one for sure. Man. And they're really chopping this match up, but they're picking pieces of the match with some with some fun to it. And there's Davy Boy with a back roll and a drop kick. Might be looking for the hot tag to dynamite here. I think that's Davy Boy in the ring, or is that dynamite? Can't yeah, really Davey tell Boy. here. Can't really tell so much here in '85 from these uh, hard camera shot angles, anyway. I'm pretty sure that's Davy Boy in there. Oh, the the drop kicks don't look very good, but they're effective. You know those front drop kicks that they yeah, it's that European and Canadian type, like Owen Hart. You know, did the same type of drop kick there. I, I know what you're saying that they're not really uh, the cu- the drop kick we're accustomed to seeing, like or a filming drop kick. Yeah, or that something. back bump drop kick, that stampede wrestling drop kick, basically. Uh, it looks great though because you can easily roll out of it and 
get right into the next move, I think it's a little bit more effective. Maybe for these bigger guys that are jacked out of their mind. Wow, what a sunset flip. <laughs> That's the crazy part about both of these guys. With how big they are, they just fly all over the place. and It's just insane, man. Uh, sounds like it looks like we what got a time? a time limit draw here. So we probably got about five uh, minutes of a twenty minute match. The crowd. Yep. That's the end of the match. End of, the, the, show. End of the show. Yep. They stuck, they stuck around, around for this around. one though. They sure did. Oh yeah. Oh my god. I'm sure they weren't disappointed food. other than not getting a finish there. But yeah. So we got like five minutes of a twenty minute match. You can only imagine how good the whole thing was for, from bell to bell. Absolutely. We definitely need to go back and do some of those. And it begins uh, the first of two TNT segments here on this best of the WWF because we got to get over the TNT show. Originally, TNT stood for Tuesday Night Titans, but not for very long because they moved it from Tuesday and then it just became TNT. So that's what it is. And here this week, Captain Lou Albano is with Vince McMahon here. They're at uh, one of these uh, doctors. I don't think this is Dr. Papoofnik, who Albano always talked about, but this is one of these... Uh, doctors are going to do some kind of weird mind control. Electroshock George Steele with this gimmick doctor here who does the whole Sigmund Freud gimmick and everything. And uh, <laughs> they're going to put some electroshock helmet on George Steele and try to make him uh, a normal human being, basically, Steve. That's the gimmick of this skit here. And you see Albano with the lovely flowers tucked into his navel? Belly button yeah, flowers, yeah. The hell's he doing? And he's like, gyrating while he's sitting on the table i, I don't know it's very disturbing <laughs> yeah you ever he's like moving his gut you ever right see now. some of the guys that can flex their pecs and that's what albano's doing right now with his gut yeah <laughs> it's definitely disturbing i'm glad vince covered it up there with the microphone oh absolutely so, disgusting of course albano's a baby face at this point so vince can't really act disgusted by it anymore George Steele turned babyface what? Was it the first Saturday Night's Main event? And then Albano, of course, it, it turned babyface by then as well. Yeah, wasn't Albano with the Bulldogs? Right. Well, not yet. Um, not yet, but uh, he was with the U.S. Express. I think he was with yeah. them that night when Steele turned. So, I think um, he, he de turned, facto he manager. Into, uh, one of those... Uh, Do you see what Lou is doing right TV? now? He's watering his flowers with the Coke. Is that what he was doing? <laughs> I just thought he was... That's what it looked like pouring shit all over himself, but I, that's cool. He's watering his flowers. At least that makes more sense. <laughs> that's what it looked like to me, but uh, oh my god. So he, he turned face at one of those MTV shows, right, when he got popped in the head by um, Piper to join him up with Cindy Lauper. Yeah, Albano slowly turned babyface because the feud started Albano versus Cindy Lauper, and at some point along the yeah. way, they realized how they could make some money out of this, and Albano became babyface in the storyline so that Piper could kind of slide in there and be the big heel in the whole thing. And Albano had been in some of Lauper's music videos by that point, too, so it was hard to explain how he was in her videos, but yet, you know, he, he was a heel, you know, working against Cindy there. So Because he had managed Moolah initially when um, when Cindy Lauper came in to manage Wendy Richter. And how do you like this here? You got George Steele. He's explaining how he has, why he has a green tongue. And he uh, bit his tongue uh, playing football, I believe, in high school or, or something along those lines. I believe it's the story is here. And that's crazy that I haven't listened to this in nearly 30 years, and I remember that. But it's, it's something like that. And 
So the story story goes something like uh, George was a, a normal man until some sort of an accident. It's almost Rick Steiner esque. Not a car accident though. I think a football accident or something. And it made him uh, a little loopy here. The animal. It's always funny listening to the stories of him wrestling when he was main eventing. I mean, back in his prime. And he was a, a, also a teacher. And he would go to school and teach, and everybody would be like, "You're George the Animal Steel," and, and he was like, "No, I'm not. I talk, and I'm you know this. I, no, dude, I, you're George the Animal Steel," and he's like, "No, I'm not." And he would have to deny it constantly. <laughs> live the. He obviously didn't live the gimmick. Um, I, I think we talked about this before too. When on his shoot in, where he's like, "Do you want to talk to George Steel, or do you want to talk to I can't come up with I don't know his name right off the top of Jim my head, Myers." But, yeah. Yeah. Or you want to talk to Jim Myers and um, <laughs> they'd be like, mine. If that wasn't Rob Feinstein that he did that to, I, I, I would have thought it was kind of ignorant because he did that more than once. But since it was our video when he initially did that, I was all about it. I, I was like, yes, because they didn't understand what was going on. They're like, we're here with George Steele. And he starts acting like George Steele for like the first three, four minutes of the of the interview. And you can tell they're like uncomfortable, like, OK, dude, why are you doing this? And then finally, that's when he brought, well, do you want to talk to George Steele or you want to talk to Jim Myers? And then that's when they got it. Like, I got it right away. Like, it took me a minute, but I, I before he explained it, I knew what was going on. And I was like, well, they, they said George Steele, and they're getting George Steele. So. Yeah, that's excellent. That's just, that's, that kind of goes with the psychology that he worked with in the ring and the stories he told. Because he wasn't obviously the greatest of workers, but man, he can get some heat. And he had the look. But, uh, yeah, just a, a tremendous talent. I will say I scared the hell out of my brother-in-law but because of him. <laughs> I can't remember. I don't know which shot I made of it is, but Mean Gene's like, maybe he'll know what's going on when he hears the bell and he just puts his hand up to his head and yells, bell, and then he takes off. My brother-in-law was in the restroom, and it's like 2 in the morning, pitch dark in the kitchen, and I'm standing at the door, and he opens the door, and I, did, I wasn't planning on saying it, but, but that was the first thing that came to me. So I just stuck my hand up to the back of my head, and I, I yelled bell right in his face. He jumped back and almost landed on the toilet and was scared shitless. <laughs> so it was it was a great time. But, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed the character. I, it's it's just unfortunate that Macho got stuck with uh, for so long. Still for a year, for a yeah. year, year plus. Yeah, I don't, I don't I mean, know what that was about. I mean, it had to be easy for Savage, but also at the same time, Savage loved having good matches, and you weren't getting that out of Steel. Although I might be in the minority, I always really enjoyed the WrestleMania 2 match. I thought every I every bit of it was tremendous. I loved all the spots with the flowers and the turnbuckle junk and the the stuff with Elizabeth and Savage under the ring and out the other side. I, I've seen it crapped so much on the reviews online. I know a lot of those are probably the younger uh, guy, kids out there reviewing it as well, so they don't really understand it, but... I've seen some of the older guys crap, and I'm sure I bet Melser would crap on something like that. Even though he loves the oh. comedy spots today, uh, with the with the invisible grenades and the the you know invisible man and things like that. So, getting back to this skit real quick though, so they've tried to hypnotize George and figure out what the hell caused all this, and now he's got out this ri- ridiculous concoction here. You see that helmet? They're going to kind of electroshock George and try to <laughs> make him get right, if if you will. And uh, I, I got a timestamp queued up here right now. By if anybody's wondering, we're at fifty three oh six oh seven oh eight. 
09. I got a time stamp queued up here in about 30 seconds. I'll play the audio because we're going to get the first intelligent sentence ever spoken by the babyface George the Animal Steel. And Steve, wait until you hear the first thing George Steele, a, a, a full sentence, Steve, not just, not just mine. And he's liking this. Coming he's, out of the back of that machine. Oh, come on, man. It's, uh, you know, old timey science shit. Here we go. Let's listen. <laughs> George, I speak to you. George, you're wonderful. George, I feel so good. Now I give you more, more of the treatments. Up, up, up. You're coming. Say something intelligent. Say something intelligent. Now, George. How now, Brown? Oh, oh, let's get the I give him more. I take him up to the moon. Are you sure he's going to give him more? Up, 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 up and away. It's going. It's higher. It's good. It's coming. It's wonderful. It's coming. What? What? What's happening? What? What? George? George? You better cut that off. George? Wait, Doc. Wait, Doc. Wait, Doc. Wait, Doc. Come on. Wait, Doc. Wait, Doc. Wait, How now, brown cow, says George Steele. (laughs) (laughs) And if you notice, they're in a quote-unquote doctor's office, but George Steele exits through an invisible wall there and never to return. Stage left. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly right. He he does not go out through the door. He just leaves through, you know, who knows where where the hell he went there. It's like an episode of The Twilight Zone, just (laughs) into another dimension. Oh, man. I will say I never even knew TNT existed until Classics on Demand. I didn't even know it was a thing. I was like, "What the hell is this?" Well, and you know, I, I didn't watch it, it and uh, I was like, "Oh yeah. my god, this is—it's it, not—it's not for everybody." And I know you said there's matches on those shows in the early ones. In the early ones, there were yes. Yeah. Later on, no. Bring when they the, when when they got the, the show comedy. right when they shrunk the show down, there was no wrestling. It was just junk from yeah. from open to close. I, when I was recording that, I was just not even paying attention. It, it, it's pretty boring, and uh, there's some good stuff. Obviously, you know, Piper slapping the hell out of Lord Alfred Hayes, a lot of the Macho Man stuff. I, I love the Macho therapy session, uh, which is tremendous. And, and there's some good stuff on there as far as character development, but for the most part, oh, Lord, it, it's hard to sit through some of those episodes. Yeah, there's a few hidden gems on there, no pun intended, um, but in general... I get what Vince was going for there. He was trying to introduce all of these characters and their backgrounds and the backstories of their characters to try to really get the characters over with the people, but nobody wanted to see that shit. And I, that's obvious because you see how long the, the show lasted. And what did it do? Like a year and a half, two years almost? Uh, I don't, I couldn't have been, I, I doubt it was, it was like two eight. years. I feel like uh, it was from the fall, like the fall season of 84 until like the spring of 86, like April, maybe somewhere around WrestleMania, maybe. Uh, I could be wrong. I could be completely off base, but I, I think like a year and a half. And uh, when they first introduced them to the WWE Network years ago, I was like, oh, I'm going to start watching these from the beginning. And honestly, the f- first several episodes I really got into. I was like, oh, that's cool. The Wild Samoans and all these you know, <laughs> different things. And <laughs> George Steele chasing Bobby Heenan around ringside. We'll get to the match in, in a second, but just talking about TNT real quick. And then slowly, and it didn't take long, but... No. Once they changed the format to where you know there was like an hour instead of an hour and a half or, or whatever it was, instead of getting ready, getting rid of some of the segments, Vince got rid of all the wrestling, which blew my mind. 
So if you saw any wrestling, it was basically like highlight for him to get something over and then back to the, the, the nonsense in the studio there. And I just, I had to stop watching it then because my intention was to watch it from beginning to end. And at that point I'm like, I can't do this. <laughs> you did better than I did if you got through the first episode. Oh, sure. But yeah. It was the first several episodes. The first episode has the, the David Schultz at home. And, whew, I'm surprised I still <laughs> on the network. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> Woo. I know we referenced that a lot, but if you guys haven't seen that, go out there and watch it. It's uh, how it made air is still beyond me because, my goodness. Talk yeah, about getting heat on a guy. They talk about a lot of wrestlers back then. Their character on TV was just their real personality revved up. I think David Schultz's character in the WWF was David Schultz revved down. I just he's such a crazy <laughs> guy, you know. Oh man. But we got but Barry Windham and Adonis in here. So yeah, the match here were June twenty first, nineteen eighty five at the garden. Uh if that's yeah, that's right. So it's just a week after this TNT episode air, but George Steele uh saying, How now, Brown Cow? And now we're in the garden and it's the odd pairing of Big John Studd, Adrian Adonis, and Bobby the Brain Heenan in the ring taking on the U.S. Express of Wyndham and Rotunda and George the Animal Steel. And you might say, well, Adrian Adonis really sticks out on this Bobby Heenan team here. That's because Heenan was his manager. People forget here for a short bit in 1985 before trading him to Jimmy Hart for the missing link in King Kong Bundy. Bobby Heenan ripped Jimmy Hart off. I'm telling you. You got a main event out of the WrestleMania main event out of that deal. Yeah, and Link was uh, out the door. Before uh, the Wrestling <laughs> Classic, because he was supposed to be in the tournament. He was in the oh, original wow. a- advertisements on TV before he left the company. And I'm not sure if that was on his own or if he was forced out, because I know he had some demons. Uh, but it's a rumor. Yeah, yeah, so he's he he goes out, and then we end up with Moondog's spot in his, his place there in the Wrestling Classic. If you've ever wondered why the hell Moondog's spot was in that tournament. That yeah, makes a lot of sense. Your roster must be pretty thin, which is look crazy at, to think about. Wow, like, look at Wyndham pick John Studd up with complete ease there. Filling in with Moondog's spot. Man, you what know, could have been if Wyndham stuck around? Yeah, because they clearly had intentions to do something with him. They really This really backfired on Vince more than once. He wanted to... Push Wyndham and Rotunda to the moon. The United States, Vince loved the USA. He's gung-ho and everything, and he's going to get this big push for the U.S. Express, and then they decide they want to go home. <laughs> they want to go back to Florida, and that didn't sit well. Rotunda comes back, and he he, he gets taught a lesson. Oh, you want to come back? Sure, I got a job for you. Stick him with a uh, Wyndham. I go on to call him a look. Oh, Bobby Heenan with the old bump to the floor there, but comes back and he's I got a I got a partner for you a Barry Windham lookalike so to speak and Dan Spivey he certainly didn't wrestle like Barry Windham however and then Absolutely they worked not. as the American Express don't leave home without it on the undercard but most of the time that sucks I know we talked about that on one of these episodes before so I won't go too much into it but man Barry Windham he could have been one of those guys uh, that could have definitely done some things here for Vince in eighty five eighty six. Yeah. It would have been nice to have on some of those early WrestleManias. Just imagine what they would have done. Not necessarily as a tag team, just breaking them apart, and putting them together in single, or putting them in single, especially Wyndham. Yeah, um, you, you get the feeling that 
that was the plan eventually yeah. was to you know break Wyndham off and, and give him a, a nice push. He, he's a dude, man. He had the size uh, to work New York. Yeah. And even though everyone knows the U.S. Express were here during this period and, and who the U.S. Express were, you still kind of forget that Barry Wyndham was here in New York in 1985. And it's so weird to see him in the WWF ring here, to be honest with you. Yeah. It's definitely yeah. odd. Even though he had been a tag team champion. <laughs> Twice. Yeah, it's so crazy to think about. I remember uh, one of those after mags, they did like a um, a seasonal one. So they do like spring, winter or spring, summer, winter, fall, or right. fall, winter. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's one of them from 84 with Wyndham on the cover. And inside they had a uh, interview with him. And it's like the, the, the main header, the title of the article was why Barry Wyndham said no to Vince McMahon. And uh, there's a P there's a whole article on it, but I, I always thought that was interesting. Uh, you just don't hear too many times of somebody turning Vince down and his money, which is, so it's, it's always surprising when you actually do, you know, you find those few that did and never really, obviously they all come back or they all come at some point for the most part, you know, or their name is, or their name is Tom Zink. (laughs) Well, I do something else, but, uh, but yeah, I think uh, it's just crazy to think about. But how can you not see what's coming? The Hogan freight train is in full force at this point, and he turned him down, which head scratcher for days. But man, I yeah. guess when you're missing some home, of these guys home. are just yeah. Some of these guys, it's more than more than the money, you know. Obviously, Wyndham seemed yeah. to be one of those guys because some of the decisions he made blew my mind. And DDT there by man, he didn't let go of the head. He really drove Rotunda Ooh. down. He forced them into that DDT. And here you yeah. can see Adonis is starting to balloon up pretty big here. And this is just not too long after his run with Murdoch as champions. They just dropped the belt earlier this year. And Adonis has really already put on a shit ton of weight even since then. And obviously soon Jimmy Hart will be, become manager of Adrian Adonis and Vince McMahon will punish Adonis by giving him the, the adorable gimmick eventually here. Is that because he gained weight? I know that's, I know that's the story. Somebody, right? uh, the story I've always heard is uh, it was more of a punishment because he just kept putting on weight. They wanted to use him. He was a phenomenal talent, and he was just putting on weight like crazy, and it didn't really match his frame. It wasn't like a Bundy who, yes, he was huge, but he kind of held his weight, if you know what I mean, whereas Adonis yeah. is just kind of hung there and yeah. didn't, look, didn't look so he pretty. <laughs> yeah. Bundy, Bundy is like he's 400 pounds, but he doesn't look. 400 pounds because of how tall he is. He wears it well. Um, right. Adonis is just kind of short. He's Everything. One of those short, chubby guys. Uh-oh. The weight sticks out. George Uh-oh. grabbing a, a chair here. And we got a six-way in the ring. <laughs> Bobby Heenan's quick to get out of the ring. George stealing with a chair. Is anybody even going to get hit? Dick Kroll, the referee. Is he going to call a disqualification? George. Oh, he hits the referee. Oh. So there's no doubt they're disqualified now. The heels all, George, (laughs) we get a six-way brawl. George Steele grabs the chair. All the heels smart enough to take off. So Dick Kroll catches it across the back. And there's no doubt the baby faces have been disqualified here. (laughs) So the Heenan family will get the win in the the six-man tag team match. So Bobby Heenan victorious. You don't get to say that too often. 
Unless it's that Sal Belomo match where he, where he beats him clean. <laughs> Good old Sal Belomo. I know you love his ECW run. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the first time I saw that, I was like, that's not Salvatore <laughs> Belomo. What the hell is going on here? Oh, my God. You know, ECW has that aura of, uh, you know, hardcore and, you know, yeah. the stars. And if you go back and watch that 93 stuff, man. <laughs> Oh, I yeah. saw that and I was like, Sal Belomo was in ECW. What the hell is oh, this? Oh, wild, wild man Belomo, yeah. This is an ECW. Isn't that creepy video where he's at the park with the kids after he got injured? Yeah, yeah. Old Sal Belomo. Yeah, we're going Ivan Koloff here in the cage. Yeah, I think they're just setting up the San Martino legacy here, showing a clip of Bruno and Koloff in the cage, which I'd rather get than what we're actually going to get here. So they're teasing us with some good shit here. Uh, this is Bruno. I'm, this is after Bruno's return. Some of his revenge on Koloff from years earlier, beating him for the the world title. Uh, that's just like I said, just a clip to set up what's coming, unfortunately. And that is highlights from oh, the worst match on WrestleMania one: David San Martino taking on Brutus Beefcake, and then we'll actually get a tag team match. What's that? Bruno wearing. I love Bruno wearing his gold. Ringing out or you know commentary jacket to manage oh, yeah. his son at WrestleMania. <laughs> yeah, company man, company man, or just a, a cheap, cheap millionaire. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Look at that; <laughs> it's so crazy. Like they just call in the heels, and they're right there on the left side. They're they're in the same room together. Yeah, it was uh, kind of interesting, and you would see that a lot back then. And remember, if you ever watch any of the old seventies or even the early eighties, uh, where they did the uh, localized promos. They would bring Backlund in from the right side. Backlund would cut his promo. He's in the middle of a blood feud with whomever. And then Backlund would walk away, and then the heel and the manager, or maybe the heel came out first or whatever, but and then the, the whoever he's feuding with would come in from the other side as if, you know, like, oh, he's gone now. He, he left fucking three seconds ago. And then the heel comes in and cuts the promo. I'm going to kill you, Bob Backlund or Bruno or whoever, you know. And I'll say this much. If you really watch the actual WrestleMania version when they do that, though, most of the matches, they'll actually have a, a black screen pop up, like a WrestleMania logo pop, uh, pop up in between the two. So even though you can still tell they're in the same room, they try to hide it a little better. I, I, clearly, they didn't do it here for this match. but No. Or this version of it, anyway. Right. Maybe since they just pulled the match from Coliseum Video that they didn't, or from for this specific tape, maybe they didn't do that. Yeah, but, it's uh, hard to say. I know there were no interviews. Uh, I don't remember there being interviews anyway, On at least for the most of the matches on the Coliseum video, because I remember the first time I saw the full-length WrestleMania one, I was like, oh, my God, there's interviews? What the hell is this? The Mass Executioner has an interview? You know, so. <laughs> yeah, it's, you uh, say it was, the hell out of this one. That's good. Yeah, thank goodness. This was uh, just this was a, a task to get through. I've I've reviewed it. It was probably the first thing I ever reviewed on on the internet twenty some years ago, and I just remember this being a task back then. And it's it's just thinking of this match, its existence makes me tired sometimes. <laughs> I don't know what anyone was thinking. Here's the finish already. Johnny Valiant gonna slam David on the floor, and here comes Bruno, which is probably the best thing on the entire match. Gets the the garden gets up now. It's funny. David San Martino oh, works now. like a. Works like a 10-minute match, and the crowd just sleeps. Bruno comes in, throws one punch, and the entire garden goes nuts. Look at this. Bruno ain't got to sell for you, Brudai. 
Can't say I blame him. No. <laughs> Unless it's Johnny Will. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, Unless it's Johnny. The ref messing up his spot there. <laughs> Valiant. Valiant was something Ooh. else. I mean, different, a different style manager for sure. Oh, yeah. I actually, I really enjoy Unless it's John on the commentary or not commentary, but on the promos and things like that. Uh, he's definitely different, but it, it, it breaks up the monotony of what's going on sometimes in WWF when he's there. Yeah. I don't know if you've, uh, knew, knew a whole lot about Andy Kaufman, uh, or followed any of his documentaries or anything like that, but he had this like alter ego, Tony Clifton. And I'm telling you, if Johnny Valiant's gimmick here in the mid eighties, wasn't, just trying to rip off the Tony Clifton character. I don't know what was the, the voice, the mannerisms, the rhyming words that didn't make any sense together. It was, it was Tony Clifton all day long. So I, I feel like that's all Johnny Valley was, was like a, a Tony Clifton ripoff, which is really just the Andy Kaufman gimmick pretending to be someone else. What's that? Oh, it worked for Kaufman. So why not try it? Yeah. And <laughs> that's just what Johnny Valiant's promos reminded me of here in the mid eighties. He really didn't fit demolition though, so it's uh, that this is a good thing they moved on pretty quickly from him to Mr. Fuji. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think Fuji really put them over the top. Obviously, the look and everything, the in ring and and stuff like that. They were a presence and a visual that you had to see, but had that dastardly Mr. Fuji on the outside, and you get the total package. So uh, Wrestle WrestleMania, there we saw Bruno and Valiant get involved, and uh, that brings us back here to the Garden two months later. Two shows later, Bruno returns back in the ring to team with his son, David, to help try to get him over. And that's, you can tell that's pretty much all this is Bruno, because re- uh, Bruno's retired at this point again. And the only reason he came back out of retirement here was to try to help his son get over. The only reason he re- uh, returned to commentary, I believe, was initially to get his son a job at the company. And you can see David's already slowly morphing into uh, what he would eventually become the just two months after WrestleMania, and he already looks a little more uh, roided out than, than WrestleMania. I'm not saying he's Lex Luger here yet, but he's he's still learning. But what David eventually becomes is <laughs> scary. I mean, he's jacked to the gills uh, 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 to where you really don't even recognize him. Later on oh. in the UWF for Abrams, and even that weird where he randomly popped up in WCW in the mid-'90s, that was weird, too. Oh, yeah, I remember that. What the heck? David San Martino was on Nitro? I yeah. remember when, I, when I'm going through it and I see his name, I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Yeah, that was like his little run here was it. I didn't, I, I, ESPN Classic used to show the old UWF Herb Abram stuff at like midnight and I used to watch him and I seen him on there a few times. Yeah. But, uh, I thought this was pretty much it. And I know that's really the falling out between these two, uh, Bruno and his son. And if I remember correctly, I don't think they ever reconciled. No, I don't believe so. I don't. No, I don't believe so. So I mean, if he's uh, if he's getting mad at his son and things like that for cheating, you can tell, you can see why it took him so long to come back to WWF or and, and get the Hall of Fame and stuff like that. So, but I'm so happy that that I he did. Too. It just there was such a void. Even if people want to call the WWE Hall of Fame fake, and it's not even so much for the Hall of Fame. It's not because Bruno's in the WWE Hall of Fame. It was just nice to see him back in the company that, you know, he helped build and it was just nice to see him back and just have closure, you know? Yeah. And I think it really allowed him to get the light shined on him one last time. You know, he deserves it. 
there's anybody in the business that deserves it. <laughs> One last hurrah. It's definitely Bruno. Because uh, what's the WWF without him? I mean, you really you, it makes you wonder. Yeah, what they would have done I, for I as know. long as he sold that place out. I don't know if anybody else oh, could have yeah. done it for that long. And I know that's why what senior went back to him. He's like, I need you back. I need you. Three three year run out of it. So or whatever it was that second run he had. So I mean, obviously they needed him, and he's what you'd want in a champion. I remember you telling me that story how he wouldn't even drink wine out in public at a restaurant because he didn't want people to see him like that. And um, yeah, he didn't want children. He, he was he felt he was a role model, and he couldn't let children see him drink. Not that he was a you know an alcoholic to begin with. I'm sure he enjoyed wine at home though. But he wouldn't right, do that right. out in public. He just would not do that. It was, uh, you know, that's a different. That's a different time and a different guy. I mean, what what class? Yeah, in a world full of low class. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. Individuals. He's a shining light, to be honest. And um, you couldn't pick a better guy to lead your company. Uh, absolutely not. I don't. They. they and so he struck in the bottle, man. <laughs> yeah, and this is this is just another instance time. of Bruno being, you know, everything he can be for his son here, agreeing to come out of retirement just to team with him to get him over, so to speak, or that's the attempt here to get David over. Doesn't really ever work. David's already yeah. been around the business five, maybe six years here. Started off as Bruno San Martino Jr. And then uh, I believe I think it's even WrestleMania uh Fink and that introduces him as David Bruno San Martino, or maybe it's a different match I'm thinking of, but I know he's referred to that at least once early on here in this run. And then obviously he just becomes David San Martino and they're taking on beefcake and Johnny Valiant Valiant, of course the manager. So he kind of works out as the uh, opposing side of Bruno and Valiant. No, no stranger to Bruno San Martino. They've worked in the WWF. I'm sure plenty of times as probably as well as Pittsburgh, no doubt. Yeah. It's just, uh, I would hate to have to live up to the expectations of, you know, like a Michael Jordan or, or, or a San Martino or something like that. It, we, we've seen it numerous times. It never really pans out or works out. And, um, it's just the expectations. Like you, you're expected to be your dad and that's not possible. I mean, look at Dell Jr. and Dell Earnhardt Jr. NASCAR True. never won anything. And, uh, it's hard to live up to that. And I wouldn't, it's already hard enough as a, as a job, you know, to be I a think, wrestler and get yourself over. I think it's bad on the fact that your name is San Martino. Right. But the only <laughs> differences between other sports and wrestling is you can kind of script wrestling so they can help you along if you have the talent. Right, like right. Dustin Rhodes is never going to be Dusty Rhodes, but he had a hell of a career himself. So, you know, did he, you know, follow in his father's footsteps? Sure. Did he surpass him? No. But, I mean, he had a hell of a career, you know. So David could have went out here and, and had he really adapted or gotten over. But it's just David really never seemed to have any charisma. He mm-hmm. had the basic fundamentals, but never really stood out as anything special in the ring either. And look at him working a hammerlock here. Just <laughs> just like his, his dad just did this spot. So he just comes in and does the exact same thing. It's funny, like Bruno body slammed Valiant early on, and then David tags in. Like the crowd jumps out of their seat and they mark out for Bruno slamming him. And then David comes in and they're hands on their ass, you know, and not even jumping up for him. And then he does the same thing here with the hammerlock. They're just yeah, not I, it. 
I haven't watched this match. And even when I had this tape, I guarantee you I fast forwarded this part of the tape more often than not to get to the battle Royal and to get to other, other parts of the show, uh, the tape. But uh, cause I was just, was not a David San Martino fan. And honestly, I hated the early Brutus beefcake stuff prior to Greg Valentine as well. So, uh, I, I'm not, I don't think I watch this very often, but if anyone's expecting, and I could be wrong, but if I'm, if I'm booking, if I'm Vince McMahon booking here, if anyone's expecting for Bruno to get a hot tag here and get the big win, you're probably sorely mistaken. If this is all to get David over, I'll be surprised if we even see Bruno back in the ring. Well, I was wrong. There's, there's the tag, but I, I still say David comes in to get the pin. I just don't see, I don't see Bruno reti- agreeing to come out of retirement here to help put his son over without letting his son get the pinfall. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It makes sense. Look at the crowd. Just, he just comes in and throws some punches and yeah. they're going nuts. <laughs> David can do 900 flips probably. and They're not even going to do anything. David comes in illegally here. You couldn't have done that. Done that from the, apron? I think the, the problem is with this, the way they're doing this match is Bruno's doing it first and then David's just mimicking him. Yeah. And Bruno I, worked the arm. David worked the arm. Bruno threw the punches. David threw the punches. It, 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 Bruno just threw punches, dude. Just <laughs> You might want to think of something else to do. You're not going to get yeah, a bigger exactly. reaction than that. And it's just like, well, I can do that too. And it's just, no, it's like you're copying your dad. You're not doing anything that we haven't seen and we don't care about you doing it. We want to see Bruno do it. So, right. I get the idea of what they're trying to do here. It's just not working. And I think Dustin was obviously really good in WCW. There's some tremendous matches with him. But it always oh, yeah. felt like it was he was Dusty's son in the WCW. Once he became Goldust in his own character, I'm not saying he put on classics as Goldust, but he separated himself from his dad and he got himself over based off of that gimmick. And obviously, <laughs> 20 years later, he's still relevant to this day because of every the whole body of work now but right he was able to establish himself as something other than dusty's son and i think uh, that's he's one of the few that actually was able to accomplish that man beefcake even lazy here back in 85 refusing to drop to his knee to deliver the backbreaker trying to deliver a backbreaker without actually having to drop to his knee and let's let's be serious here. Beefcake only has a job because he's best friends with Hulk Hogan. Obviously, the Beefcake pops up there uh, less than a year after Hogan. So it didn't take Hogan all too long to work his buddy into the onto the card. And I still say Hogan was a big proponent of of slapping Beefcake with Valentine, giving him somebody that to play the workhorse while Beefcake just kind of stood there and, and looked pretty, if you will. You look good. He looked like a million bucks. I thought, yeah, I agree with that. I'm not going to argue. Here we go. This is probably, yep, two, three. And David San Martino gets over by pinning a manager, I guess. Not not very effective. (laughs) No. Beefcake wasn't doing jobs uh, back in this period, though, unless it was for Hogan. Yeah, I guess this pays. Look, this is the end of this show, too. Everybody's leaving. (laughs) Speaking of, uh, they knew they could keep him looking keep, keep, yeah, there's Bundy sitting at the uh, TNT studio. Yeah, but I was going to say, you know, if you wanted to keep the crowd around to the end of the show and you already worked your main event in the middle of the show, like they used to do at the garden and things like that, it's a smart way, smart way to close the show with Bruno San Martino, uh, promised to be in oh. the ring. 
You see Bundy here, look like like we was talking about. Look at him. He, he's sitting here, no shirt on, and he doesn't look bad at all with, with his shirt off compared to like Adonis, you know? Oh yeah, I mean it's just a different frame. Bundy was just a a big guy to begin with. And this nice. early Jimmy Hart, Jimmy Hart's slowly morphing into the cartoon character in the WWF. He was, I was not a big fan of Jimmy Hart in the WWF, but later on in the 1990s, being able to go back and see so much of that Jimmy Hart footage from Memphis. Oh my God. I mean, the guy, the guy was a genius, a great heel. I mean, he was able to get away and say a lot of things that you can't do now. You couldn't do then, but it was in Memphis, not on a national scale. So Jimmy got away with it. Week to every week on TV, and he was a hell of a manager. And then even when he first came to the W, it's almost like Slick. Slick was more of a darker character when he first appeared in the WWF, uh, more of a scary pimp like manager, if you will, like seedy guy that you know you didn't want to be in an alley with. But it didn't take long for him to morph into that cartoon character, Slick, and Jimmy Hart the same thing here. But in '85, he was still kind of in between learning the ropes, uh, what he could get away with and what he couldn't, and eventually found his, his new self. And what we got going on here, for anyone who's wondering why we're not discussing what's going on, is it's another segment of the TNT show. King Kong Bunny is trying on wigs. And I, I believe he puts, he puts one on at some point, and Alfred Hayes laughs at him. I remember that. And that, I think that ends the segment. Bunny leaves in a huff or yells at Alfred. or I wish I remember what wig it was. We'll take a listen here for a minute. Just see what Vince has to say. I think, that, I think that'll do it. Right. What do you huh? think? It don't look bad. So I think that'll do it. That's got a nice part in it, too. It's not bad. <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> Nobody laughs at King Kong Bunny. But you left a little hate in his pit. No one was laughing about So Alfred Hayes laughs his ass off, and Vince says nobody was laughing. Nobody was laughing at him, I guess, but clearly. And it's Tony Gurria time, which means it's also time to run a timestamp. It's also time for you guys to hit the bathrooms if you need to. But right now we're in an hour and 23 minutes and 33 seconds, 34, 35, 36 seconds. Bundy entering the ring, getting ready to take on Tony Gurria. And I'm salivating for this one. June 21st, 1985, Madison Square Garden. So he's really hitting up all these 85 MSG shows. In fact, this is, this, this is the second uh, match from this Garden show, because this is also the same show with the six-man, with Bobby Heenan and George Steele. So we've already, uh, obviously we're getting a look at the undercard here with uh, Bundy and Gurria. Not so much the main event. But not going to get all the main event shows on here. And this is uh, the semi-main event, if you will, of Best of the WWF Volume 3. It's the old Piss Break Divas match before the big main event. The 18-man Battle Royal coming up next after this one. There's no way this is going that long. Yeah, you would think. (laughs) I love the nickname Gorilla Good Bundy, the walking condominium. Condominium, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. He definitely looks it. And uh I always enjoyed Bundy's work. I thought he was pretty good for his size. I mean he he didn't he just wasn't around very much. He tried he went to Hollywood and things like that and he came back and stuff, so he wasn't really Ugh. 
When he came back, he wasn't long. very good. No, no, no. With the twitch, a little gimmicky going with his mouth where he's yeah, chomping he, his teeth. Then he grew those damn eyebrows, and I was sitting there trying to figure out why the hell he looked different. And it's like, oh, he has hair on his face now, his eyebrows. All right. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't very good then, but uh, he's got a match out, out of The Undertaker, you know? It's always a plus. Everybody always does the impression and makes the joke. Uh, Jim Ross, Jim Cornette, everyone who came through Mid-South when Ernie Ladd was there and Bundy came through. And Ernie Ladd would, uh, to no end, fuck with Bundy because Bundy you know, didn't really do a whole lot in the ring. And <laughs> Ernie Ladd loved to fuck with him and say, Bundy, Bundy, every time you cash a check, you steal him from the promoter. <laughs> <laughs> Bundy, you fat, lazy piece of shit. <laughs> Oh, he landed with something else, man. Bundy. Bundy, you lazy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man, One shot. I, love, I love listening to Ernie Ladd talk. Oh, uh, yeah. I always enjoy those random house shows that he's doing commentary on. Um, so educated. <laughs> he just sounded so educated with everything he said. Yeah, Uh-oh. and he believed it because it's Ernie Ladd. Oh, Bundy misses an elbow drop on Gurria? Come on. Did he do that? Didn't he do the big event? Don't bump for a grip. Uh, did he do the whole main event, uh, the big event, or was it just that, like, part of the show where it really was, it was weird. There was, like, a part of the show where it was, I think you're right, wasn't it uh, Johnny Valiant and Ernie Ladd and Gorilla, maybe? I think that's who it was. And then there's, like, one match in the middle of the show, which I don't, under, I don't know if it's intermission or whatever, and Gorilla, I think, does it by himself, and he's like, oh, Ladd and valiant or you know <laughs> taking a break or something it was weird yeah yeah it was it was weird i can't believe bundy bumped for tony Gurria here i guess he's still oh, trying Lord. to trying to keep everyone happy bundy's bunny just came in uh like steamboat i think he came in just the taping before wrestlemania so he's only been in the company maybe three months so i guess he's still trying to play nice and, and just <laughs> not rock the boat yet where was he, did he come from? I know he was in world class. Where did he come from? Right, where was he at right before here? Oh, see, I don't know. It wasn't world class. Uh, it might have been no, mid south, but I don't know. Eighty five seems a little too late for that. That's a good question. Where he was, and I I used to know that. I used to remember where everybody came from when they came over from Vin, when Vince stole all the talents, and I, I can't think right now. But I do remember as soon as Bundy showed up. Bill Watts had to go and find a tape of frickin' Iron Mike Sharp slamming and pinning King Kong Bundy uh, to air on his TV show to just, you know, shit all over Vince. Like, oh, that's that's what, you know, <laughs> that's what kind of a wrestler King Kong Bundy is. It's like, why are you showing this? He's not on your company. Just, just the shit on Vince. I think they just clipped this match. Yeah, it looks like it because they just did the little star gimmick there where they transition into a headlock. That's just what we want. Like, what is what's going on here? Yeah, like we need a chin lock. They were told to go out there and kill ten minutes, probably. As it would be my guess, because like we need a chin lock in a King Kong Bunny Tony Gurria match. I mean, if if SD Jones is doing a job in you know kayfabe nine seconds, legitimate twenty some seconds, Tony Gurria should be like right behind there. Uh, he left yeah, his feet for that drop kick. I'll be damned. The rugby charges. Thinking, we're going to get another SD Jones here. Right. 
least that's what I was hoping for. <laughs> so was I. Well, I feel it coming now. Oh, that's the beginning of the end, the avalanche. That is the end. Oh, and a splash to follow it up. And Bunny gets the win with the avalanche and the big splash. Really does away with <laughs> Tony Gurria, so I, I can't complain with the finish anyway. Just what we and, paid to see. Yes, and, and we get a nice splash. replay of Bundy smashing Gurria in the corner. And maybe if we're lucky, we'll even get to see the splash again before we head to the main event. He just falls oh, yeah. on him. Doesn't oh. even, doesn't even, just <laughs> falls on him. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, here oh, we boy, go. Introductions right. of the uh, Battle Royal. This is a who's who, man. 18-man Battle Royal from the Kiel Auditorium, February 10th, 1984. Some of the names, Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, Big John Studd, the Masked Superstar, who was working Hogan, I believe, on the same show for the world title, Dr. D. David Schultz, Paul Orndorff, Rocky Johnson, Atlas, Snuka, uh, yeah, Adonis, Putsky, Murdoch, Mil Mascaras in for this one, Mr. Fuji. Yeah, it's uh it's insane the talent in this battle royal. Tiger they Chung were, Lee out there. 84. Yeah. So this is this is probably them just trying to <laughs> change the perception of the WWF here in St. Louis. And you, you know, I, you know, how I said earlier that the ring looks small, right? I think it's because of just how big some of these guys are. They're making it look small, man. This is like yeah. the biggest dudes they had. And if you think about this, this is February 10th of 84. Hogan hadn't even been champion, but a month at this point, really. Or, or, month, right? Yeah. Um, I don't remember 24th. the So, I mean, Hulk, this is just the very, very beginning of the Hulkamania era, if, if you want to call it that, even at this point. So, just so his looking. his first feud was Master Superstar? Uh, I wouldn't call it a feud, but I know he worked uh, with Edie uh, when he first came in. That was some of his early matches before the Superstar Edie quit. Just turned, uh, he just turned 72 years old, I think it is, today. It's crazy. He feels older. <laughs> he looks older. Yeah, he's... <laughs> it's funny. It's funny though to fifty. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's what I was going to say though. It's funny that he had an entire career on top as a heel, mask superstar, and Moondog Rex out early here, and then got to basically at the tail end of what should have been the tail end of his career, got to reinvent himself as Axe and work another you know three four oh. years on top. Samu doing the head spot and the yep. ropes and Andre just bouncing. Doing, doing it all the way back in 84, getting his uh, head caught in the uh, ropes there. And Andre's having fun with it. Oh, man. That spot, when he did that at Royal Rumble 94, I was like, oh, my God. Because <laughs> he had his arms spread out. Oh, he did a great job the he way he just, took it. He, oh, yeah, it was awesome. And obviously, you're in there with Rick and Scott, so he's probably going to kick his ass anyway. But uh, that spot's memorable for sure. Who's that in the the black like uh, pants there? Tiger Chung Lee. Orndorff. Tiger Chung. Man, he looks small there. Old Kim Duck. Adonis gonna go to the top rope. Not exactly the best place to be. And Hogan gonna launch him right off. Uh oh, it's a pile up on uh, the job guy Bob Boyer. 
and Andre's on the bottom of that pile. So uh, think about that. Look at this. And Snuka does a dive. Oh. No, that's Rocky Johnson diving. Maskers standing on top. <laughs> and Andre really saved Bob Boyer here because the idea is all these guys just murdered this poor guy. And really, Andre saved him because Andre was, you know, on all fours protecting him, really, in real life from getting smashed. And Bob Boyer, needless to say, is eliminated. He does a stretcher job here after being smashed by everyone in the uh, ring. Wonder putting the boots to him. Very unique uh, elimination for the time to get over how dangerous the Battle Royal was. Yeah, you always had to have those spots. Is that a Cow Palace thing? I know they're like infamous for the battle royals. That's something they always wanted to do is put over how dangerous it was. And it kind of just carried over. Man, I, I truly have no idea. I mean, I, I wasn't there for them. They don't really exist. So it's, I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot of detail out there or a lot of stories and, and things in books that probably tell a little more than, than I have knowledge of. I like to think that I know quite a bit about the territory, but how hard they sold it? I don't know. I mean, I, it was huge. It was the you know the main show, the main match. But in Los Angeles, had their battle royals too. But there we go. That'd be Andre a with, story. That'd be a good book to read about there, San Francisco. Hogan hulking up all the way back, <laughs> and the inception of uh, WWF Hulkamania. Anyway, Adonis <laughs> doesn't know what to quite do with himself. <laughs> He'll sell like a million bucks because that's what Adonis does. And oops, oh, the camera fell. Adonis oh. does the old uh, backflip. Yeah, we missed the spot where Adonis catches himself in the ropes. Hogan, poor Bob brushing. Boyer on the way out on a stretcher. Hogan was paintbrushing him. Now he got on his knees and started paintbrushing him. <laughs> I'm not sure if Adonis elimin- was eliminated after that. Is he still in there? Yeah, he's oh, still, he's still he in his, there. Uh, first, like arm getting caught in the ropes gimmick. I know we at some point, I know at some point we get uh, Rocky Johnson and Paul Orndorff might be after they're eliminated on the outside, but um, one of them gets color, uh, takes a headbutt to the ring post or something. And I remember when I first saw this, I thought to myself, well, that would be an awesome feud. Were they feuding? Obviously they weren't. I I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I wasn't up to snuff on all the uh, 1984 feuds in in the WWF at the time. But it just felt that way because of what they what they'd done there. And they have done that. That's something they was looking at, looking to do early on here. Superstar gets dumped and pulls. I think that was Tony Atlas out with him. Yeah, it was Atlas. They're still fighting out there. And that's a, another fun yeah. idea. Of course, Atlas and Superstar, I'm sure, worked for Crockett at some point. Maybe even in Georgia. Somebody gets backdropped to the floor on the other side. There goes Orndorff. Rocky went through the middle ropes. Went through, yeah, that's what there. I was going to say. Yeah, Rocky. There we go. There's the spot I was talking about. Orndorff posts Johnson, who doesn't really take the Ooh. post well, but he does blade, if I remember correctly. They went down and you can see his hand. There he goes. So Rocky Johnson yeah, eliminates Paul Orndorff. Orndorff throws Johnson into the ring post, and there he is. He's, he's bladed. But Johnson was uh, dumped out through the ropes, so he's not really eliminated. I'm not sure if he goes back in or not. I haven't seen this in so long, I really don't remember. <laughs> Look how slow Johnson takes these uh, these post shots. Yeah, he's 
doing it again. It didn't really wasn't as effective. <laughs> yes, yeah, let's do it again. Need more blood. Surprisingly, Samu's still in there with all the big boys. Orndorff from even Rocky John. I, I, you know, Rocky's getting thrown back in the ring, so he's he's not out yet. Oh, Steve, I got to remind, uh, dude. I haven't seen this in years, but I don't remember who throws him out. But watch Mil Mascaris when he gets eliminated. Watch him follow through. Watch the entire spot. I haven't seen it in years, but me and my my cousins, my brother, we used to laugh our ass off every time we watched the uh, the elimination. Mil Mascaris once he once he gets to the floor. He, we'll call it an oversell. Look at Rocky. He's gone wild. He's seen his own blood. And Samu with a big bump for him there. <laughs> well, how old Samu oh, here? He's young. Ooh. He's young. He has to be like, what, 18, 19, maybe? 20? I don't know. I just uh, remember thinking, wow, how did he get a job so young? Well, him and well, even Tonka Kid, oh, he was even younger when he got in there. Now Rocky's out, and he goes out with Dick Murdoch, and that's that's another. Look at that blood. Yeah. He he gigged that second time. He, he made it count. That second time. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah he did. Beat John Stud keeps on going out to the, going through the middle ropes and saving himself from getting right. eliminated. Right. Uh, that's that's annoying. Yeah, I was never a big proponent of that. I mean, psychologically, it makes sense. And there goes Adonis taking a nasty bump to the floor from Hogan. Ooh. And watch Masters. Look at him. Did you see that? He tried to oversell the elimination. And act like the momentum carried him all the way into the crowd as he walked over to the crowd and slowly stepped over the guardrail and sat down. And the fans around him were like, what the hell are you doing? And there goes Putzky out. Yeah, but we used to laugh oh, at Hogan that. Mascara is just overselling. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Stud comes over. Hogan and Andre teetering. John Stud eliminates them both. And it wouldn't be long. <laughs> you know this is early in Hogan's run because he wasn't going to have this. <laughs> too much uh, further into the company for the rest of the time he's here. Uh, it's kind of cool to see Andre and Hogan there go at it for a little bit. You know, he's yeah, just tying two, up. Two baby faces, yeah, and leaning over the ropes. And I was uh, shocked, obviously, going into this battle royal the first time I ever saw it. My my two picks were, were my two guesses were Hogan and Andre. And Stud comes over right. and dumps them both, and I just, I really couldn't believe it. Wow. Was not expecting that. No, I wasn't either. I remember the first time I saw this. I it was like, wait a minute, that wow, really threw me off. What what, what shit, Mill Masker is? He's trying to get himself over. Oh yeah, <laughs> I heard uh, I've heard some things from about him. Yeah, there's I ne- you never hear anything good <laughs> about Mill Masker, at least from uh, American <laughs> workers anyway. He didn't want to sell. Uh, didn't want to do anything that didn't. It was like he was Hulk Hogan on steroids. And think about that for a minute. Hulk Hogan's on steroids himself, but the ego was like Hulk Hogan on steroids. Put it that way. Yeah, I remember what was that him his match with Cactus Jack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stud <laughs> trying to run sell. away here. Yeah, they they uh, he didn't want to sell. He didn't want to do anything for Cactus Jack. And I don't remember if it was Cornette or Cornette and Sullivan both who gave Cactus the idea. Hey, they saw him do that. Nesty plunge spot on, you know, in Dallas. And why don't you do that? They knew that it was, you know, Cactus would be more over than Mascaris by the end of the, the match. And it kind of worked out that way. Yeah. He's like, it's, hey, this dude's not going to give you anything. You might as well go out there and do that spot and get yourself over because he's not, he's not going to do anything for you. So even back in 84, Hogan, the sore loser from being eliminated from the Battle Royal, just he could not stand being eliminated in these things as he's going to work on. 
poor Stud here and Andre as well. Double teaming John Stud. We got some crowd home happy, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. But it's Hulk Hogan, so that's that's presuming this is the main event. This uh, very well could have been the first match match on the card. <laughs> I don't know. Hogan looks pretty. Yeah, he looks gassed a little bit. He looks gassed, especially if you said he worked Matt Superstar underneath on this card. I'm guessing. I'm guessing these guys worked a little bit underneath and then went to the battle royal at the end there. But that's it. Yeah, that There's wraps up the one. show. Yeah, and it was a lot more condensed. I mean, actually, the the tape ran longer. The last couple we've done are, were ninety minutes. This is an hour and forty five minutes, but with less matches because they were most of them were more complete. And like I said, they were focusing more on the on the recent stuff. So we got more complete matches this time around, and a little bit of everything. Uh, a lot of introduction to a lot of the stars, the Bulldogs and Steamboat, and some of the newer guys like that, and the. We saw the, the Piper and Snooka feud and the the George Steele babyface run here. David San Martino getting pushed here. And Bundy, because he's getting pushed, getting ready for WrestleMania 2. They already had ideas of, of Bundy and Hogan by this point for WrestleMania 2. So they knew what they were doing here. And then we got that fun uh, Battle Royal to close out the show. Which, give yeah, me a Battle Royal from solid. that era any day. Oh, yeah. This is a pretty solid save, but here's the best part. What, where you can write in your Preview. comments and suggestions of WWF Home Video Series? Yeah, I'm going to send a letter to that address there, 430 West 54th Street. New no, York this City. That's what I'm talking about right here. Oh, the best of the WWF Volume 4 coming up. Oh, yeah, the commercial. We get a cage. We get a cage. Andre and Stud in the cage. I remember the first time I saw this, too. That I was like, oh, my God. And then another Battle Royal, Steve, another fun one. And I, I really enjoyed this yes. one, too. Tag team action with Morocco and Orton versus Hogan and I think maybe Snuka. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yep. Wow, look at that. Look at those names. Man, just Hogan and Snuka together in 85, 84. Whew. No kidding. And the WWF's manager is here, Captain Lou, and there he is putting... <laughs> Back with George Steele here on TNT. It'll be a long time before we review the managers. I don't remember if I've seen that one or not. I'm sure I have, but it's not one I've seen more than once. You know that I that I can remember. <laughs> At least we get to see Fuji Vice and, and maybe some things like that. You can't go wrong with that. And, and Ian, it, clearly, even a little bit of Grand Wizard uh, on there. Your favorite, the country. Oh, is boy, the country, country voice. Yeah. This may be the last Coliseum video I, I finally finally agreed to watch just because it was the only one I hadn't watched when I rented them. I would go and I would rent things. I rented things seven times, and finally one day I said, all right, I'm going to do it just because I've never seen it. And I rented it one time many, many, many years ago, all 30 years ago. I love this here. Jesse Ventura asks Uncle Elmer here. Well, let's listen. I bet you like to eat, don't you? I eat a lot. Do you wrestle? I scuffle. You know what scuffling is, boy? No, what's scuffling? That's what you call wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Uncle Elmer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and all of this really you know and all of the hillbilly stuff was done just to to k 
keep the gimmick going when Hillbilly uh, Jim tore his knee. He was going to get that push when he first came in. He got over a little bit, whatever you want to call it, and tore everything in his knee, I think, or at least something in his knee. And he was out, and they wanted to keep the Hillbilly gimmick going, so here come Uncle Elmer. Here come Cousin, I don't know which one came first, Luke or Junior. And um, Hillbilly Jim was basically their manager out there with the with the uh, cast or the brace on his knee. And Hillbilly Jim was really never the same after he came back. He didn't really get to do a whole lot, just kind of worked underneath in, in the gimmicks. Yeah, and commentary here and there. Right, unfortunately. <laughs> but that uh, wraps up another one, man. Best of the WWF Volume 3, not a bad one. That was actually pretty fun. One of the few that I actually owned outright as a kid. And so a lot of those matches brought back memories. The How Now Brown Cow and the Bundy Wig <laughs> segment. I even remember those vividly. I didn't remember the, the David San Martino stuff as much, but that's probably because I fast-forwarded it most of the time whenever I watched the tape. Everything else, though, the Fijian Strap Match and Steamboat and Orton, the Battle Royal, those were my go-tos. I, those were the three things I always watched on this tape. Yeah, absolutely. The Bulldogs on there as well. Yeah. Uh, I, wish, I wish we could have got that whole match with the Hearts. That would have been uh, some fun stuff. Yeah, that'd been great. Um, you know, instead of getting the entire Bulldogs and Heart Foundation match, of course, we needed to make room for the eight or nine minute George Steele psychological evaluation skit, though. So hey, uh, can't, can't get what everything you need or want on this tape. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, sacrificing things, obviously, a twenty minute draw. I, yeah, that's not gonna make the the, floor, the cutting room floor <laughs> too too much back then, but um. Yeah, it was a solid show, and I enjoyed it. It's uh, like I said, it's just it's just 1985 in a nutshell, a little bit. That early, as soon as you know that, right after Mania and stuff like that, and the '84 stuff, right when Hogan first came in. So, a lot of history here, and a lot of good stuff that was going on during the time. So, uh, I, I love watching these shows. They're so entertaining, and they're so rich, full of history. And it's rich in that aspect too. So, they're definitely fun to go through and watch. Yeah, next time uh, when we uh, come back with the Coliseum video series, it's going to be best of the WWF Volume 4. Of course, we saw there's another Battle Royal. There's a fun tag match with Orton and Morocco and Hogan and Snuka. There's a match with Paul Orndorff versus Roddy Piper after Orndorff turned babyface. And then there's a, a full section looking back at Andre the Giant, his feud with Killer Khan after Andre had gotten his ankle broken and they blamed Khan for it. And that was the storyline and came back and they do the stretcher match there. The cap center match that we saw there with John Studd and, and Andre the Giant inside the steel cage. And then Andre and Bundy, uh, which I don't know how many times those guys worked each other one-on-one, but that was the big one was Madison Square Garden anyway. And there's even a, a fun match there from Maple Leaf Gardens. Uh, Tito and Steamboat team up. An odd pairing, but two Richard Bloods. The real Richard Blood, Ricky Steamboat, and Tito Santana, who broke into the business as uh, Merced Solis, his real name, and then also Richard Blood before he became Tito Santana. Taking on the definitely dream team. Stuff on that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah another, there. another stacked show. And again, most of the matches, I think, derive around 1985. It's a more compact show. Again, I think even uh, less matches than this one, but just a lot of big matches. Oh, yeah. I, I think they're starting to switch it up a little bit. Instead of a bunch of clips and highlights, it's more full matches to really get over what the product's all about and what, what they're doing. Pretty solid stuff here. 
Yeah, it should be a fun time, and we'll be back then with another edition of the Watch Along series and the Coliseum Video Run, Best of the WWE Volume 4. We'll also continue to be pumping out these pay-per-views here for the Monday Warfare Show. Upcoming soon will be Clash of the Champions for January 96. Also, Royal Rumble 96, which could be a fun one. I think Royal Rumble 96 is underrated and underappreciated. The, the match itself, I mean, especially the first third of the, the match I thought was really well booked with the comedy and everything else that went on around that. But just a lot of good things coming and some other ideas I have uh, planned and things that may tie into the next uh, year and promotion we plan to do on the Wrestling Memory Grenade coming up early in 2000. 21. So uh, until then, Steve, man, I appreciate you being here again for another edition of the best of the WW Volume 3 here on the Watch Along series on patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Absolutely, man. My pleasure. Can't wait for the next one. And thank you guys once again. We hope you guys continue to subscribe. $5 here at patreon.com. And we hope to see you or hope you guys return for the next edition of the Watch Along series. Hey guys, Ray Russell, Steve Ekstat back yet again here on the All Access Tier in the Watch Along series here for Patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Steve, did I mention to you that right now and forever going forward that the All Access Tier is only $5 for our subscribers? I think you mentioned it a time or two, but uh, it's a steal. There's still money from us, man. Uh, We're having a great time. Yeah. A lot of good content here. Yeah. And uh, it's we're really hammering them out, especially the uh, Coliseum videos as of late. We've uh, already done Best of the WWF Volumes 1 through 3. This is Best of the WWF Volume 4. And we saw sort of a, sort of a transformation, the early Best of the WWF. I say early like we're really deep into this, but the first couple, they were just all over the place. The last one focused more on the more recent product. And here you'll see a lot more of the same. In fact, I think we have like the top 10, 12 guys here in 1985 they're all focused focal points here at some point or another on this edition of best of the WWF. You got your Orndorff, your Piper, your Morocco, Hogan, Snuka, Andre, Stud, Bundy, Tito, uh, Steamboat, Greg Valentine. It's a who's who really here of the mid eighties in the WWF. Yeah. That's everything you'd want on one of these shows. Definitely all the talent you can think of is here. I'm excited to get this one going. Well, you guys you subscribe. You the WrestleMania, right? Yeah, kind of, sort of, yeah. We, I mean, the fallout with uh, Orndorff turning babyface, taking on Piper, you know. Uh, Morocco kind of joining into that crew, the heel crew with Bob Orton and, and stuff here. So, yeah, we're going to get a little look at a whole lot of good stuff. Focal point in the middle of the show on Andre the Giant. Some interesting matches, and we'll get into that as we get, get going here. I don't want to hold you guys up. You guys subscribed. You paid your hard-earned five bucks for the month. You're ripping us off, people, I'm telling you. But that's okay, because we have fun doing this anyway. So, Steve, I guess I'm going to get ready and count us down and get this thing going. Let's go. All right, guys, get ready. Cue it up. You know the drill by now? Pop open that old clamshell Coliseum video, pop in the tape in your old VCR, or pull up the the digital file or however hell you're watching this this version of Best of the WWF Volume 4. And if you don't have it, that's okay, too. We'll talk you through the whole show and have a whole lot of fun in the meantime. So let's count you down, and we're going to get ready to watch Best of the WWF Volume 4 in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Press play. And as you know the drill by now, Steve, as the tape loads here, we can just kind of kill some time and talk about the show a little bit. We're going to kick things off with Roddy Piper. Taking on the new, newly baby, or relatively new baby face, Paul Orndorff, who turned baby face 
after WrestleMania when Piper kind of left him <laughs> stranded in the ring. And that's how we're kicking the show off. We, we also got a big tag team match. Hogan teaming with Snuka. You didn't see that very much. Uh, it's, that's just, it's crazy to think about, man. Those were the two guys. That was it. Uh, you know, Hogan is known to have passed, you know, took over from Snuka as far as being that top guy, as far as charisma and everything else that Snuka right. oozed uh, for a while. And uh, to see him together is is definitely a special, yeah, a special is... thing. And I'm, not, I'm sure the crowd ate it up. Yeah, and this is like, the tail end of Snuka's uh, run here uh, in 1985 with the WWF. So we're going to, it's kind of cool that we got to see this right before Snuka's gone from the company. And then there's a, a hodgepodge of Andre matches in the middle of the show, the old uh, Mongolian stretcher match later on in the show. It's Andre taking on Killer Khan. Of course, when Andre suffered that broken ankle back in 81, they sold it as if Killer Khan had broke his ankle and they got all the heat while Andre was out on Khan. So when Andre came back, he was looking for revenge, and that's why we got the old Mongolian stretcher match. Also, a very rare uh, cage match with Andre taking on John Studd. Always loved the finish of that one. Can't wait to watch that again. I haven't seen that in, gosh, nearly three decades. And then the what they, what they dubbed the colossal jostle, Andre and Bundy. I don't know how much fun that's going to be, but I, I don't smell a clean finish there. <laughs> uh, definitely not. Probably did it lead to anything else after that? Like... Uh... I don't Is know the rematches and things, or did it just <sighs> kind of a one-off and here you go? Yeah, it's the best I remember. I don't remember it really. There was no really feud, no real feud behind it, unless you want to count the machines when Andre was a machine later on and worked with the Heenan family. I don't really remember Andre and Bundy doing a whole lot one-on-one. I think it was just more to set up more of the the stud Andre stuff, to be honest with you. And uh, we'll close out the show today. Uh, pretty fun match. It's. Uh, the Dream Team, I don't know that they were the, called the Dream Team yet. They just assembled after WrestleMania there, Beefcake and Valentine, taking on the duo of Tito Santana and Ricky Steamboat from Maple Leaf Garden. So uh hodgepodge of really good stuff on this episode. And not to forget the Battle Royal. We got another Battle Royal. We had one on Volume 3. We got another one here on Volume 4. We'll take a listen here. You want to hear um, Vince McMahon? <laughs> Sure, let's go. Hello again, everyone. I'm Vince McMahon, and it's a pleasure for me to welcome you to this program in the official World Wrestling Federation home video series, The Best of the WWF, Volume 4. Here in Video Control, we at the WWF, together with Coliseum Video, have certainly enjoyed creating these shows. We believe there is no attraction in the entire world of sports or entertainment that can equal the action, the spectacle, and the drama of professional wrestling from the World Wrestling Federation. And once again, here in Volume 4, we have put together exclusively for the home video audience an extraordinary collection of matches as if they were taking place on a single card. I'm Vince McMahon, and I gotta stick up my ass here at 85. He is right, though. As I kind of run down the card, other than Andre in repeated matches, they did try to do a better job of giving everybody their own match. So, like, there's not a whole lot of guys wrestling repeatedly on these shows outside outside of the Andre segments. It's definitely cool, and uh, it's from all over the place in different years and and things like that. But it, like the way they put it together, like you said, outside of the Andre stuff, it does feel like a major card. Like this. It's what you consider like a WrestleMania card later on. How nothing really just thrown together to get guys on the card. It's 
match after match that meant something and uh pretty sweet i i would love to know whose idea it was to start coliseum video and, and to do this video series um yeah i don't know who came up with the idea best of the wwf i mean i guess it it seems kind of obvious i'd say i i, I suppose it's like well why, why not put the best of our stuff on these you know run the series i i guess that would be the idea there but have you ever heard the story, the background of Coliseum Video and the uh, other types of tapes that the uh, the distribution company that ran Coliseum also sold? I know the the history of them. I know they were in the triple X yes. <laughs> genre there, uh, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I, I just I wonder. I guess it's because Vince wanted to go national, so they decided to do these videos. Oh yeah. And again, I just want to say, sorry, if you hear kids yelling in the back, it's a full house tonight. So hopefully, uh, they, they quiet down. If you can hear it, sorry about that guys. But, um, I, know I, I just think with him trying to go national, it's just, you know, it's just a part of the progress of getting there, get these videotapes. Oh. So if they're not in the area. Obviously you just go buy the tape or rent the tape and you're going to get the WWF. Right. Yeah, this this one started off hot and heavy here. We're in uh, July of 85 here at Madison Square Garden. Of course, Orndorff's coming back for some revenge on Roddy Piper. And Paul came into the ring heated, man. He's ready for a fight here with Roddy. And Roddy's doing some good bumping for him. <laughs> Great sell on that elbow. He shrunk up like he lost his neck. <laughs> <laughs> Roddy Piper, a cartoon character for sure. Something. Look at this crowd, though, man. They are all, they're all up. They, I don't think they sat down. I know no, that's they, the saying that they say, but they, you can see it. They're not stand, sitting down. No, this was a big grudge match. You know, we really never got the, the payoff, and you really didn't a lot of times, at least unless you were just you went to the house shows back then because we didn't have all the pay-per-views and things back then. So everybody's spoiled today. With The payoffs are on TV every week. They're on pay-per-view. Back then, you either went to the house show or you never really knew what happened. What Whatever happened to that feud between Roddy Piper and Paul Arndorf? And here you're getting a piece of it right here. I'd uh, be awesome. Uh, that's the that's the sad part of wrestling when you really think about it. Every, especially the territories, it was all built for those house shows or those big shows. And unless you went, you you never see it. You'll never see it. It's just in the memories of those that was there. And obviously, you got the magazines and things like that to kind of paint the picture for you. But there's nothing like seeing it. And uh, I think that's the the disappointing part of the wrestling business is that you just can't see some of these classics that people talk about and uh, that you'd just love to see. Yeah, and lucky for us, you know, between the MSG Network and Prism for Spectrum and later on here, I think in 85, they they begin uh, the New England Sports Network, Boston Garden. We got to see a whole lot of house shows, by the way, the WWF anyway, so... At least we got that going for us, which is basically what we're looking at right here is a, a match from an MSG yeah. card. Thank God for that. We could see a lot of this stuff. If you know Vince got off his ass and opened up his tape library for people to, to witness. But Well, there's no <laughs> excuse with story. the uh, house shows. I mean, they, they put I them all agree. up in the old uh, classics on demand, the 24-7 that they used to all have. All of them. I'm sure at one point or another, and they, I was pretty excited to watch them on the network. And then next thing you know, it's like a one-hour clip version. It's like they got rid of all the filler and just went straight to the big matches. And I, I'm, 
I'm a, I'm a completionist in the fact that I'd like to see the whole card. I don't necessarily care about the music, but I, I at least want to see the whole card and it just takes it away from it. So I, I never really watch them on there. And Roddy's got control of Orndorf now. He rammed him face first into the buckle. Something so simple. And Orndorf switching things up with a backslide, though. Trying to wrestling hold in the middle of a fight. Sometimes you got to do that. Oh, what was that? Roddy Piper just got down on all fours and poked Paul. I was wondering what he was doing. I thought he was was showing showing uh, Paul a peace oh, sign, but man. he poked him in the eyes. <laughs> Only Piper. He'll show it a mile away, but you still pop for it. <laughs> well, that one caught me off guard. That was a little little different than, than the usual one, so I, I really popped for that one. As Orndorff gets dumped to the floor there. These guys are both really good. I was never like a huge fan of Paul Orndorff, but man, as I'm older and seeing it, some of these like house shows matches that are available that are out there, the classics on demand really opened my eyes. Man, what a talent! And uh, yeah, and how over he was as a babyface. I, you know, there's a he's a natural heel, but somehow I still thought he was more over as a babyface. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah, very, he's very much. The number two to Hulk Hogan here at this point. Oh, yeah. His selling, though, like, can really, you can really get behind it as a baby face the way he sells. And he even did that later on in WCW as a heel. Like, he would sell that way just to get some heat on him. But uh, here, like, people are just eating it up. He's doing a great job. So I love Paul Orndorff, man. He's so good. Yeah. And a legit it's... tough guy, too. You hear the stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's. He's knocked a few people out in his life. He he he, be, he lives to the beat of his own drum, man. He's going to do what he wants sure. to do. He's not going to be for, sure. forced into anything he doesn't want to do. Um, Piper hooking from in from everything I've heard. Front face lock now, though, going to slow things down. I was wondering how long they were going to keep the action flowing because they were going nonstop there for a good, geez, I, I'd say six, seven minutes at least. Yeah, hot and heavy, fast. Probably winded a little bit. Roddy said, "Hey, I don't do this for this song. Let's let's chill here for a minute. Take a break, Paul. Rest with me." Yeah, it's been a year since he came here, right? Pretty close to it. Roddy showed up uh, the beginning of '84, the very beginning. Might have been the yeah. first taping of '84. More so as a manager then, though. Year and a half in, he's definitely like, "Dude, I'm not working this hard. <laughs> I'm not in Portland anymore." Or Crockett, he came from yeah, came from Starcade straight into. Well, yeah. WWF land by the beginning of 84, and that was a change of scenery, and there really wasn't a plan for him to be that main eventer guy, that uh, heel wrestler. He came in kind of the, as the manager role, and Piper's pit, you know, and things like that, and then he sort of morphed into wrestling, and he started wrestling more and more, and he was, you know, it was only a couple months before they realized what they had, and it didn't matter his size here in New York. Vince had to had no option but to push him. And before too long, we were right in the middle of that uh, Jimmy Snuka feud. And, you know, by 85, it was Hogan and Piper. And now Piper and Orndorff here. So Piper's always got somebody big, you know, on the other side of the ring. Oh, look at that. And rightfully so. You can, uh, you can draw that heat, man. You can sell the house. Great selling here by Roddy swinging it, swinging at the air, and 
Orndorff with the elbow. I'm a little disappointed he didn't do the big wind-up and dance for us there. Just dropped an elbow. A few years too early, I suppose. He wasn't on his way out. Just yet. Piper catches Paul, and oh, they take the bump over the top to the floor. That looked good. A lot of times that move looks like shit, but uh, that looked decent for these two anyway. Well, that top no rope was, was loose back then. It was a lot easier probably to get oh, yeah. over it. <laughs> Definitely no flare steamboat there, but uh, wouldn't no, you're expect not, that. No, you're not going to get that with these two. But still a good spot, and they landed on the concrete, so God bless them for that. No, no blue mats back in uh, 1985, at least not in the garden. Orndorff going crazy now, ramming back of Piper's skull on the ring apron. Better watch out, he's going to get himself disqualified. Part of the ring just yet, is it? <laughs> I'm wondering where Bob Orton is. Usually he accompanies Piper out here, but not tonight. Yeah, well, I wonder where he is. Going to bring Roddy in the hard way here by his hair over the top rope. Oh, and I love this spot. <laughs> drops him on his face. and Piper is selling. Look at Piper. He's going into convulsions. <laughs> made, made such a simple spot, spot, and he sells it like he's been pile-driven through 12 tables. I love it. Back then, it was believable, too. Oh, there he is. There. Bob Orton shows up and pushes Orndorff off the top rope. That's a disqualification, and now Paul's going to have to fight both guys off, and I don't know how long he can hang on his own here. Well, apparently not too long, because Orton with the cast, and that's all it took, took Paul down, and... A second cast shot to the head for good measure. Looks like Orndorff might have bladed there. P Piper's swinging at the ref there. Ref getting kicked <laughs> in the ass because he's not selling it. <laughs> Piper's getting pissed. Yeah, I don't recognize that referee. Yeah, Paul bladed. Not a great job there, but he's I'll take it. I don't want to mess up. He's doing it again, it looks like. So we get a... Paul was Disqualification. Orndorff will pick up the win here after Piper and Orton double-team him. No help for Paul Orndorff. little off-sequence there in the suplex. Paul's got no help coming out here. Looks like they're just going to leave him laying in a, a bloody pulp. It's interesting. Who would come? I, I know where Orndorff heads on this face run, but uh, when did him and Hogan start getting together? Is that oh. 86 right? Orndorff, yeah, that was uh, deeper in 86. I'm sure they might have done some things here, but I'm not sure what Piper just went and grabbed. He went and grabbed some kind of foreign object over there off the table from Gorilla, so in front of Gorilla. Like here, a can of soda. Oh, okay. And here's the Bulldogs are in. Wow, that would have been an interesting match, the Bulldogs versus Roddy. And Orton. <laughs> Piper no-selling. He's like, I'm not selling for you. You've been here for two months. Get out of here. Orton isn't either. <laughs> no, Orton and Piper, they're, they they don't know who these guys are. Get these guys out of here. I guess it's a, uh, probably the only guys there at the at the gorilla telling them to go. <laughs> Somebody's out, yeah, somebody had to go out and help Orndorff, and 
It's the Bulldogs, and Piper and Orton no-sell them, and the Bulldogs are kind of no-selling right back, so, oh, Piper just whipped (laughs) Soda into the face of Dynamite there. But uh, it looked like the heels, it looked like the heels uh, realized the Bulldogs weren't selling either, so they just got the hell out of the ring. That would have made a hell of a match between uh, between just Roddy being Roddy against the Bulldogs and then Orton just having a great wrestling match with them. That would have been a great tag match. Unfortunately, we didn't see oh, yeah. things like that because we didn't mix you know, mix tag teams with singles guys back then. Yeah, Paul's Paul's going to get the win here on the disqualification, and we're we're off to the next match. Just like that, it's uh, Morocco and Orton versus Hulk and Jimmy Snuka. So, tag team action now, and we just saw Bob Orton interfere, and now he's legally in this match, and he's rocking the cast again, though, so look for that to come into play, possibly. We're actually going back two months. That last match, Piper and Orndorff, was from July of 85. This one's from May of 85 in Boston Garden. I love the old Boston Garden. Uh, me, uh, me too. That floor, you know when they're in Boston because of the floor. <laughs> that parquet is always down there. That yellow. Look at that Hogan and Hogan and Snuka uh, poster there, like out of a magazine. Looks like. Do wow. you have that magazine, Steve? I do not. I don't think I've ever seen that one. I don't know what that's even in. Yeah, that looks uh, pretty cool. And Hogan in the white trunks too. I would like that. I, that wouldn't be a bad picture to have. It looks like one of those, uh, it was probably the program. Right. Because uh, it said special color pin up in the left, and that's usually what they did when they had those. But boom, 85. There's a couple that I don't have around that 120 range, which it probably could have been that too. It could have been around that time. Because they started right. 101, and then they go up. But that's probably why I haven't seen it. The heels here tried to jump Hogan and Snuka, but it didn't work out in their favor here. The baby faces uh, took it to Morocco and Orton, and now they're trying to back down. They're, the heels are back to back, and they want no part of the Hulk and the Superfly. <laughs> I can't say I blame them. This is funny. Like you know, this is the team that they, they was together at WrestleMania three. Uh, Orton and Morocco were they off right. and on partners, or is this just a one off? This is a one-off back in this time period, although, you know, we would see it from time to time. Uh, they weren't a full-time team till much later on. Obviously, after Piper left in the second half of 86 and Orton kind of migrated over to Adonis and Morocco and that group of guys. Yeah. But, yeah, we would see this uh, team from time to time. I wish we had gotten more of Hogan and Morocco. I know they, they wrestle a few times, but we never really got a, a program, and that would have just... Really been a fun one. Well, just listening to Morocco's promos on Hogan. It's a battle of beach bums. Yeah, yeah, that'd have been that'd have been tremendous. Oh, you know Morocco this can sell. early Hogan. He's going to the middle rope. You don't see that very often. It's it's pretty oh. crazy when you mark out because Hulk Hogan's standing on the middle rope, not even the top rope. I was like, oh my god, Hogan's on a rope, <laughs> and he has hair. Yeah, more hair for sure. There's a pretty full head of head hair there. Oh, that was a nice post job there. Yeah, working that uh, bad arm of Cowboy Bob. He ate that one. 
But Morocco, man, selling for Hogan in a program and then getting like a blood feud going, oh, that'd have been really good. It's just they had so much talent, man, that you could everybody couldn't get a chance at yeah. these great feuds that you talk about now. Like, man, that'd have been great. That'd have been great. But it's like Morocco and Steamboat were going at it at this point or coming up on it. And it's like, that was awesome. So it's like, do you really, like, yeah, that was great that we had that. But man, we could have had so much more. But there's only so much time. And, yeah, that many guys on the roster is like they're going to be. It's bound to get missed. And uh, yeah, if things point, had been fast, glad, like said, fast tracked uh, like they like they were today. We would we would have probably seen a lot more of these uh, feuds. But uh, things kind of progressed. Wouldn't mean as more, much, right? You know? No, they wouldn't. Now they, the 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 storylines wouldn't mean as much, or the interest wouldn't mean as much. We'd right. still see the matches. Yeah. I don't, you know, but we'd lose. You're right. We'd lose the luster of the matches. Yeah, uh, so I, I think uh, I like the slow cooking that they do or did back in the '80s. Um, there's no sense in rushing things. If it's making money, you might as well keep on doing it. You're not oh, trying yeah. to pop a rating; you're just trying to sell a house. So I, I guess it's a little different dynamic. Yeah, these are these are fun years to the '84, '85 Hogan because he actually still tries to do wrestling moves from time to time. We've seen him come off the yeah, middle rope. An atomic drop. Orton takes the bump in the corner. Working a body part. I don't know that. Uh, wow, Hogan gets tackled into the wrong side of town. To quote the gorilla. I never even seen him fall on his ass like that. No, I don't think that was. <laughs> I don't think that was done on purpose. I think he lost his balance. I don't think so either. I don't think so either. But it's just weird to see him down like that. Anyway. Yeah. I will yeah. say, though, like you was mentioning, at least we get these matches. It may be few and far between, but at least we got something between the two. Or, you know, just whatever. Right. I'll take what I can get, that's for sure. And who knows what other things are out there on the house shows. I haven't watched a lot of them in a very long time. I'd say when I first has, had access to all of them, I probably watched all of them as they were being uploaded to the old 24-7 or even some of the other ones that were made available during the old tape trading days in the 90s. I've seen. Pretty much, I, I'm comfortable saying I've seen pretty much every house show that's available out there for the most part, but I don't remember a lot of them because it's been so, so long. I'd love to go back and watch them again. I'm sure there's a lot of gems in there I just don't even remember. Oh, we get a clip oh, yeah. there. They've been working Hogan over. It's kind of funny to see Hogan playing the Ricky Morton role here instead of Snuka. So it's like uh, Jimmy's going to get yeah. the hot tag. It's very, very odd to see Hogan being the face very in peril. Odd. Yeah, look at this. Hulk Hogan taking a ver delayed suplex from Bob Orton. Wow. Great on both guys. Yeah, if you just turn on a tape and you had no idea the time, the year, or anything, and you see this match with Hogan, you're, you're immediately going to think 84, 85. <laughs> After about 85, you're not getting this anymore. No, never. Nope. It's Maybe unfortunate, too, because I like this. Th this... If had he kept working it, and I don't know if that would have worked with the masses or got him over the way it did with the superhero type push, but I would have liked this better. Oh, yeah. And it just makes you wonder. Clearly, these guys know they're on TV. It may be local, but they know they're on TV. Right. And it just makes you wonder if he worked a little different back then when there was no TV at all. The, the small towns, you know, coming to like Indy or. Those those channels that or those areas that had no T 
TV at all. Yeah. It just makes you wonder if you worked a little harder for them because they did pay their money to see it and nobody else is. I think he hadn't realized yet that he didn't have to work. Uh, it would be my guess. <laughs> That's my guess. And but like you said, I think <laughs> I think a lot more people would uh obviously he he's Hulk Hogan, so people just for nostalgia regions, nostalgia right. regions thinks he's the he's the end all be all. But right. I think more people would appreciate him and have less arguments against him if he worked like this his entire career. Oh, I but, agree. Uh, Hogan uh, Nils Morocco in the corner with that big clothesline and the hot tag to Snooka now as things are going to really pick up. And Hogan's not in nowhere to be found. I think he took a bump to the floor. He's he's out of it right now. And Snooka's so, handling his own. He's out here taking care of both guys, just lighting them up with chops and headbutts and all that good stuff, all that Jimmy Snooka stuff. Fuji up on the apron. Beware of Fuji the stooge. <laughs> Up, setting Morocco up for that superfly splash. And Hogan slowly making his way back to the apron. He's trying to get up there. This referee's tied up with Fuji. Snooka, wow, what a shot. What timing. Snooka comes off the top rope with a crossbody on Morocco, but Orton nails him with the cast at the same exact time. And now Snooka's out That's of it. Nice. What's that? That was a pretty cool. That was a pretty cool spot. Oh, yeah. Was, yeah, great timing. Yeah. And then Horton runs over and nails Hogan, too, I think, with the cast as well. Knocks him back off the apron. So we might end up with two hot tags here. Now, this makes more sense. Hogan, Hogan going to make sure he gets the real hot tag. Snooker came oh, in a house of, of fire. That only lasted about a minute, but great spot. Like, you know, like you said, it was just really well timed and really well done. I don't know how this is legal. Look at Orton showing off the cast covered in blood, Snuka's blood. He's obviously bladed at this point. But that was directly in front of the referee that Orton just drove his cast into the head of Snuka there. And the referee didn't even admonish him for it, so apparently he's just letting it go. Wasn't he distracted by Fuji? He was looking, this just now, I mean, like literally like <laughs> less than a minute ago, he did it again right in front. The referee was standing there watching it. So I don't know what the hell's going on here, but Orton basically taking out both guys all on his own. Morocco's uh, just getting a stand over there right now. Another clip. I wonder how long this match went on. They've clipped it twice now, and it still feels like it's been going on a, a little decent, a little bit of time here. Snooka's face is a crimson mask. He's bleeding pretty good. Oh, yeah. He's gushing. Big chop from Snooka to Orton. I, I think we're going to get the Hogan hot tag now, brother. Crowd's probably going to go crazy Banana. for him, unlike uh, WCW 96. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Well, it looks like they're barely moving, so. Hot tag. Wild, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hot tag to the Hulkster. Wow, picks Morocco up in a double choke. Well, Orton. Back on that. Now the heels are going to double team Hogan. Man, these man Orton and Morocco have really done a good job <laughs> keeping keeping on the uh, the baby faces here. The two on ones. They're getting disqualified now. After all of that, yeah, there goes the cat. And that now we have a disqualification. Oh, this is great! Look at this. <laughs> Look at that. 
Hogan ducks the double clothesline and the heels turn around and he's like posing for him and then they, they shit their pants. Oh, and Snooka's joined in. This is a great visual. Snooka and Hogan on opposite sides of the ring kind of cornering the heels and they're scared shitless. Look at the crowd. Look at that girl, man. She's wild. She was probably a fun night. I'm sure she was. Let's pick this up. You want to hear the sound? Sure. Unofficially. Unofficial action as the referees call for the bell. And... Wow, did you see the look in the eye of one Hulk Hogan? It was just Oh my word. Look at Jimmy, he's still out there going after Morocco. <laughs> These guys may take this thing out on the causeway street and into downtown Boston. Absolutely, this could end up right out here in the North End. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Yeah, damn near started a riot, started fighting in the crowd. Look at how many cops are over there holding the fans back and shoving the fans. And Good Wow. God. Orton was Orton went diving into the crowd, and it broke the barricade. And Yeah, the crowd went nuts. And, yeah, that was wild. We're still going nuts over there. And this yeah, is the kind of finish, man, where you don't really, you don't really mind the disqualification. You almost forget there was a disqualification. You feel satisfied. You're you're going to leave satisfied, even with the the DQ finish. And you can get away with stuff like that back then, way more than you could in the '90s and beyond. Just different world, and and wow. you still feel satisfied when you leave. And that was fun. Yeah, because it's not <laughs> overdone. It's not overdone to the point where oh, battle royal. You see it all the time. Right. Yeah. No, that was fun, man. I'll take that. And it's 20-man battle royal time. We're going to go back to June of 1982. And now we're in the spectrum. So we went from MSG to Boston Garden. Now we're in the spectrum. And we got 20 guys in there. It's Atlas and Valentine, Adonis, Fuji, and Saito. Even Blackjack Mulligan in there. Pedro Morales and Putsky, Snuka, both Strongbows, Jules and Jay, Special Delivery Jones, Steve Travis, Baron Mikel Cicluna, Sweet Hansen, Jose Estrada, Tony Garia, your boy, Johnny Rods, Charlie Fulton, and uh, the amateur star, Laurent Soucy, who had a, a cup of coffee in the AWA. He's a job guy here in the WWF. That's okay. Is he going to get the stretcher job? No, he's what not doing it? the Bob Boyer. He's not doing the Bob Boyer. That's what we'll call that from now on, the Bob Boyer. Scott Armstrong did okay. the Bob Boyer at World War Three in 95. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get over how dangerous these things are. Yeah, but it's fun going back. Now, this is one of the few matches where we actually go back out of 85. I think there's only two matches on the entire uh, Best of the WWF here, Volume 4, that actually leave 1985. This is one of them. So it's a nice treat to go back a few years and see some of this talent's still here, obviously. Yeah. Some of them are gone. The Strongbows have, have since left the company, and Saido's gone. Sweet Hanson. Mulligan, of course. This is... Uh, a, qu- a brief run from Mulligan here. He's a heel here in 82. Who did he work? Well, Snooka's out early. He, he must have a early. big match coming still, would be my guess. Putsky and Pedro dumped him. Huh. Yeah, heel Snooka. Oh, he's a heel here. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I got gotcha. you. 
I didn't even realize. You just you just assume he's always a good guy. Right, right, yeah. Jimmy Snicker. Yeah. It's, uh, I wish he had stayed here longer. I feel like they, they I, but they had to turn him. It was almost in the case of like the great Muda, man. He was just over because of his style. It was so different in his look and he was so unique. Didn't really have much of an option, I guess. Yeah. And, and Gary, old, Gary Hart wasn't there. Yeah. And Gary Hart wasn't there to tell him he wasn't going to get over and, and to leave. So Snooka stuck around for a while. Thank God for that, I guess. Little, yeah, we won't get into it here. <laughs> Sweet Hansen just uh, relaxing over in the corner. What a look Sweet Hansen had here by the '80s. Didn't look anything like his uh, the old blonde Sweet Hansen, the old rawbone Sweet Hansen from days gone by with Rip Hawk and the tag team. But it was fun, always fun to watch him, and sometimes he'd get over. The crowd would pop for him, you know, just because like it was one of those guys you cheered for, even though. He, he was like on his last legs and wasn't very good anymore. Just something you did to have fun with yourself. The old timer doing something. It's kind of like uh, Bob Backlund at the Rumble in 93. Like, you know, what the hell is Bob Backlund doing here? Then all of a sudden he's in the ring for an hour and you're like, holy shit, you got to give him kudos, you know? <laughs> yeah, Bob Backlund was, could still go, though. And who we got? Oh, Mulligan's out. A lot of the big names going out early. Putski and Mulligan Putsky's out now. Gone. Yeah. These guys must still have matches to work. I wouldn't be surprised if this was the opener. A lot of the guys don't look like they've worked yet tonight, so the uh the real pros are getting out early <laughs> in order to to make sure they're ready for their matches later, probably, I'm guessing. Still some big names in there though. Valentine very prominent in the middle of the ring. Yeah. The Strongbows are in there. I said big names. Tony Atlas. I'm Tony just... Atlas. <laughs> Tony Gurria. No, is he Adrian gone yet? Adonis. Adrian Adonis. <laughs> Mr. Fuji. Oh, uh, Fuji. <laughs> Fuji. Who's that in the black trunks there? Jose Estrada. One of the conquistadors. Jose Estrada. I hate to refer to him like that's his big thing he did in his, in his career. It's really not... Oh, there goes Garia. All right. He can't win. I love it. Whoever did that, whoever eliminated Tony Garia, thank you. Yeah, I didn't see who did it. Strongbow getting ready to toss out Saito, and Saito was having none of it. He was like, no, and just walked away in the middle of the spot. (laughs) Al Pedro's still there. We don't want to discredit Pedro here. No, and it's, uh, well, there goes Saido, Mr. Torture. He looks great. Him and Toro Tanaka, did they ever team up? I don't believe so. And if they did, it was, you know, somewhere in one of the territories at some point. I don't know if they even really crossed paths, to be honest with you. Toro Tanaka was kind of winding down as Saido was really taking off. In the States, I mean. Tank. Yeah. (laughs) Just tank. Whew. The uh, the tanks, uh, uh, Sherman and uh, Septic, right? Yeah. The old Memphis joke. Short end of the state gets Septic, right? I guess. <laughs> I would love to see them two duke it out to see who got the short end. Oh, man. Saito <laughs> versus Tanaka <laughs> Chase. Oh, man. Adonis is... Yeah, just looking for, looking for something to do. Adonis. 
I love these old battle royals. I used to love uh, whenever I'd pop in one. That would be my go-to. Like that would be the the decision maker for me if I was trying to decide between tapes. If one of these old Coliseum videos said battle royal on it, that was picking that one over whatever the hell else I had in my other hand. It's like, oh, this is kind of battle royal though. And they never really disappointed me back then. How about weird finishes? This one has one. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely very, very different. Uh, it was very unique. I hadn't seen anything like it before. I was really, uh, yeah, first time I saw it, I was like, wow, this is interesting. I kind of felt let down a little bit, like, hey, come on, where's, give me a real payoff. I don't want to spoil anything yet for anybody who's just watching this for the first time or going through the emotions with us. But Valentine gets nailed by Adonis, another heel, and Adonis looks to apologize, but Oh, Adonis, selling for Pedro. I love it. Yet another match. Right. And those two did. Oh, uh, yeah, there's Adonis taking a Kurt Hennig bump there. I guess it was an Adonis bump first. Over right hand. There is a Pedro and Adonis match out there. I think it's even on one of the Coliseum videos, if I'm not mistaken, to be. uh, But. Oh, man. Oh, man. uh, (laughs) Combo going at it down there. Yeah, they're. uh, they're feuding over the tag titles right now, the Strongbows and Fuji and Saido, so it makes sense. And, yeah, it looks like both Strongbows are out, and Fuji's gone, and Adonis doing that bump in the ropes. He loves it. Tied the ropes. eliminate that way, though, right? Pretty smart bump. And he's back in the ring. I don't think I've seen – I've barely seen any of the eliminations. The camera seems to be doing a great job of missing almost every single elimination here. We kind of catch it on the tail end, but – don't really see it coming, but yeah, that's really great stuff right in the middle of the battle royal. We got everything breaking loose outside. Swede. Yeah. Swede's gone. Dick Worley out there telling the Strongbows, get the hell out of here. I'll, I'll kick both your asses, says Dick Worley. <laughs> then I'm going to go run a triathlon. Surprised that uh, a lot of the... Uh, the enhancement guys are still in here this late. I, I know we always get one or two that kind of find their way to the final half dozen or so, but it's uh, quite a few still in here. Sakuna. Oh, yes. Color. Jesus. Yeah, what are you blading so for in a battle royal, Greg? Blood. Makes you wonder if he'd already had a open wound there. Oh, Morales, it took three, but it looks like Adonis, Valentine, and Jose Estrada dumped Pedro Morales there. Who the hell did he blade for? I wonder if he just got busted hardly, like you said, open wound. Well, I don't know. I'm thinking maybe he came into the, you know, he's probably already blading for whoever he's working with, possibly. I don't know. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Looks like Rods is even still in there. So, yeah, we got a lot of the uh, underneath guys still in this battle royal. Charlie Fulton yeah. there, it looks like. Charlie Fulton. Of, the one in the black blonde hair. There. Blonde hair and beard right there. The one that's about to get eliminated probably. <laughs> or Oma. I don't know what the hell they were going for there. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie Fulton from uh, Marion, Ohio. I, I think that's where Al Snow trained, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Was uh, Charlie Fulton's gym. I could be wrong. I don't know. But Charlie Fulton always had a decent look. I always remembered him from these Coliseum videos. I was, uh, he was one of those, kind of giant, me of, uh, there he goes. Yeah, there he goes. It kind of reminds me of uh, Matt Bourne a little bit. I was thinking the same frame. thing with the with the blonde hair and the beard, yeah. 
And that's what I thought it was initially. So you ran through the names. Yeah, I was kind of. I was really surprised he never really got much, much of a push. He oh, look at Valentine. He's bleeding pretty good. My the camera, goodness. camera really picked that up. Well, it's certain that he didn't blade here for the battle royal. So, and bleeding like that, he's it's clearly a blade job. So, either he's already wrestled a match, and it's gushed back open, or maybe he's just been blading on the uh, house shows going into this one, and it opened up, you know, just on its own. I don't know what the story is there, but he's going to drop the hammer on Sakluna. Surprised to see the Baron still in this one. Alice just I'm dumped uh, Johnny Rods. There goes Lorenz. Susie. What's that? When did he retire? Sakluna. There goes Estrada. <laughs> Taking a drop to me. I don't remember what year Sakluna was pretty much gone by the mid eighties. Um, yeah, all the all the job guys took the got dumped there. Estrada and now Sakluna. So everybody's gone. It's down to Tony Atlas and Special Delivery Jones, and on the other side it's Valentine and Adonis. And for some reason S D and Tony are, are standing back to back, but the heels aren't facing them. So it really doesn't make much sense. They must have thought this SD, look- he's a local guy, right? Oh, yeah, well, I mean, they're they're in Pennsylvania for this one, so yeah, I mean, sure. Very well known throughout the WWF circles as the, uh, you know, match opener <laughs> on most cards. SD's <laughs> been around forever. Oh, yeah. Stop, stopped off in California and places like that from time to time, but always come back home to the WWF. And then by the mid, now remember this Battle Royals from 82, but by the mid-80s when everybody had to have a gimmick, uh, Vince took the, you know, took the Antigua West Indies and he gave him the. He made him more colorful, based on his heritage. Little personality, I guess. Right. So Man, he went Valentine from. And Adonis would be a fun tag team. Oh God, yeah. Val, Adonis taking all the bumps and Valentine and Adonis doing the work. Oh my God, it would. <laughs> you could have done a lot with that. It would have been a hell of a lot oh, better yeah. than Beefcake and Valentine. I'll tell you that. 82 Adonis, maybe not 80, 85 Adonis. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, 84, 85 Adonis wasn't bad with Murdoch, so. Oh, no, 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 definitely not, but. Yeah, oh. he got, it, it got, it ballooned fast yeah, <laughs> for him. Yeah, like, absolutely. It wasn't, like, he looks good here, and then by, like, the end of '85, he's gone. Like he's gone for man. He's blown up. Yeah, yeah, big time. Certainly. So. Oh, Macho Man elbow from Adonis in the middle of a battle royal. <laughs> Not the smartest thing to do, but I guess when there's only four people left, it ain't that bad of an, an idea. Valentine must have forgot the rules of the match. He throws SD out through the ropes. And Adonis working the Goodnight Irene, the sleeper, here in the uh, Battle Royal now. <laughs> He's trying every finisher he can think of here on Atlas. Kind of smart, you know. Put him to sleep just to dump him. Valentine's <laughs> just a bloody mess. Man. Tying the ropes down. SD Jones getting the better of uh, Greg Valentine. I know SD they missed, said they totally missed the dump of uh, Adonis. Yeah, is he? If he's gone, they sure did, and he's not in the ring anymore. Yeah, so, no. yeah. I'm, well, last ten seconds ago, we had Atlas and a sleeper. Next thing you know, he's gone. So, 
Not really sure how that came about, but yeah, the other camera did miss it. Unfortunately. I'm wondering if, uh, I'm wondering if uh, he was on the ropes or something, and then when he, Valentine got his arms caught in him, it knocked him off. That's, it was it's possible. Like almost immediately after Valentine got wrapped up in the ropes, he fell out or something. I didn't see it, but I'm just guessing there. Yeah, and he was laying on that side of the ring, so it's uh, very possible. And Atlas just unloading on Valentine. Jones just laying there now, and boom, Atlas coming alive. Another great match here. Now, this isn't fair. This is not fair. Two on one. Come on, guys. Atlas and SD just having their way with the, with the hammer right now. And a drop kick. I think maybe SD was looking to eliminate Valentine there. It didn't work. There we go. Second time works. And Special Delivery Jones eliminates Greg Valentine. Unbelievable. Wow. And Valentine's bloody that, ass lands in the lap of an old gentleman in a suit as he takes his hands. Dead. and Yeah, he's not happy. He got up and he was not happy with the blood and sweat all over his nice suit. And now we got the uh, two baby faces, the uh, the brothers, if you will, the tag team. This and is they, weird. Yeah, they tease locking up, and then they hug. And they're having a conversation here, and we clip forward, and the referee has a coin. And I guess what we're going to do is we're going to flip the coin. And SD calls oh, whatever the hell he calls, and it's the opposite so tony atlas gets the win so sd jones can't even win a match on a coin flip he had a 50 percent chance of winning a battle royal and they couldn't even give him that come on vince and then atlas presses jones up into the air like he's gonna dump him or i would have been awesome if he did but he kindly lets his That's friend down on That's the apron right there absolutely and he didn't even eliminate him even weirder Atlas picks him up in a press slam, pushes him over to the ropes, helps him down gently onto the apron, and SD never leaves the apron, never drops down to be eliminated. He just climbs right back in the ring. So this battle royal is still going on. So oh, and here's like the Curtis Axel before it was cool. I guess so. That could be many, many years before. It was for a little <laughs> bit anyway, until Hogan did what he did. Now this is did. called. The uh, specialty segment. They're they're going to show what Vince claims as he's doing a voiceover here to kick things off there during that Barry Windham Bulldog. Is they're going to show finishers or they're not finished. They're specialty moves of the wrestlers. However, you'll find some of them are finishers and some of them are just random shit that make no sense. Like here's Ricky Steamboat. His specialty is karate move. So it says karate on the. Sc- <laughs> it's ridiculous. And then they just show him doing insiguri and that's karate. Apparently, Brutus Beefcake's specialty is a backbreaker, which he can't even do very well here. And this is the match from last volume when I was pointing out that he was too lazy. Wait till you see Orndorff's move. Orndorff's specialty is strength, Steve. I don't know who put this together. Get up on this. <laughs> no. And, and that's his specialty move. It's strength. It's not a finisher. Now, some guys get finishers listed here, and some guys just get nonsense. Like, here's Iron Sheik. It's going to say camel clutch, I'm sure. There we go. The camel clutch. And then you might get somebody else and it might say, you know, wait till you get to Bruno. Wait until you get to Bruno and see, wait till you see what his specialty is. If I I haven't seen this in years, but I I remember laughing whenever I got to Bruno. Steamboat was funny with karate too. I remembered that as well, but Bruno's is the best for me anyway. Hillbilly Jim. Oh, there's your boy, Rene Goulet, Robert Burdard. 
The bear hug. My boy, indeed. The bear hug. Okay, that makes sense. I think we get the flare flip up in the corner here by Goulet and jumps right off into the bear hug. I remember this match. Boom. That'll do it. Hillbilly gets the win. The bear hug. What a finisher. <laughs> I think they've oh, left it on man. Hillbilly just a little too long. This is a weird yes. one. Stan Hansen, randomly in the middle of all this with the Lariat. Really odd here in 1985. Yep. And then we just clip right out. Here's Bruno. Yep. Watch. Here you go. Bruno's specialty is all the right moves. <laughs> <laughs> is that what he injured him? No. Um, I think it was a guard. Was it a garden show? I, I know he injures, injures him legitimately on the slam. The body slam drops him on his head, breaks his neck. Then they do the storyline that it was the lariat that broke his neck. All the right moves. That's Bruno's finisher. They show him do a... Let's see some of his specialty moves. The drop toe hold. Um, Missing a headlock there. Arm bar. Arm bar. Tommy Rich could learn a thing or two. The hairy back. back. Yeah, back here. Absolutely. (laughs) This is 80s, Bruno. He He didn't care about things like that anymore. Got that uh, mop on the top of his head. Mop looks great. The weave. Yeah. yeah. Forgot who it was told the story where he was proud of that weave and he would say, oh, go on, try to hit me in it. Hit me in it. Pull on it. It's re- it looks real. <laughs> he, got, he got off on people like trying to show people how real it looked. <laughs> oh, hip toss. There you go. There we go. Hulk Hogan. Wait till you see Hogan's finisher. The clothesline, oh. the elbow. Waited, Doctor D here. Yeah, it was, uh, they came in together. Hogan's, uh, you know, old roommate. Doctor D gave Hogan a place to live back in the old days. And then Hogan forgot all about him, and that was Doctor D's hang up. There's the elbow. Are we gonna see the big leg drop here? No. What's that? Forgot all about him. Yeah, he, he basically blames Hogan for letting him get fired from the WWF, and Hogan kind of. Straight away from Dr. D. Yeah, he's the one who got, you know, told Vince to bring Schultz in and then just sort of abandoned his friendship with uh, Schultz, who had been a friend of Hogan since, you know, basically Hogan broke in. Wow. Valentine with the f- figure four. It's two. Valentine gets the hammer and the figure four. And they're actually his finishers. They're like, this is one of the legit ones, you know. Bob Orton. Oh, it looks like maybe Superplex here. There you go. You know, if they wanted to be fair to Bruno, but it just said punches and shown him, like, light somebody up because that's the truth. Right. Did we get the Superplex for Orton? Oh, yeah. And there it is. Avalanche, baby. Oh, we just saw this, too, on the last episode. Oh, yeah, I love it. Anytime Tony Gurria does a job, it's a good day. He falls on top of him. Two, three, <laughs> King Kong Bundy, Avalanche, and the Splash. When did you start the five count? Interesting walks. Wow, now they're really reaching to fill segments of this this show. Brutus Beefcake with the strut. In there with Hogan, of course he is. Hogan strutting right back. <laughs> yeah, he's in there with Hogan. 
That's an interesting walk. Jesse Ventura doing a strut, I guess. I guess the strut is just an interesting walk here in the WWF. What the hell is that? Now we're back I mean, to I- finishing moves. What the hell's going on? <laughs> Jimmy Snuka, Superfly Splash, boom. On old Bobby Bass there. And off the top of the cage on a Morocco. So we went from moves to interesting walks back to moves here. I, I don't know what the hell's going on. It's, they're just really trying to fill the middle of the tape, it feels like, for me. It's like intermission. Yeah, it's so like... Take uh, like a little break from the action. Remember, yeah, remember the old uh, musical interlude from a couple of best of the WWFs ago? Last In last episode, it was uh, a couple of TNT segments. This time, yeah. it's specialty moves. Oh, the Bulldogs. Acrobatics. <laughs> you seen this? this? It's like they, they saw this stuff on the on the last tape they did. So, like, let's just put this on here in short bursts. Just call them stuff and throw them on here in clips. Because a lot of the stuff we just watched on the third one. This feels like uh, video game attributes. Acrobatics, karate. Oh, here we go. Stretcher match. Back to the wrestling. November of 81 and back to, right back to the spectrum. It's Andre and Killer Khan. And the old uh, Mongolian stretcher match, yeah. I think we're in the spectrum. Yeah, yeah there's Gary Capetta. Michael Capetta. It threw me off for a second. I didn't see the old spectrum logo in the middle of the ring at first, but when I saw Gary, I knew where we were. So they were Man. on Prism and on TV for quite a long time then. Yeah, going back into the 70s, yeah. They were on uh, wow. Spectrum, yeah. Now, Boston didn't pick up until, I think, I want to say 85, so we didn't get a whole long yeah. run with Boston, but... Philly and MSG, obviously. What about uh, Maple Leaf, Cap Center, and those places? We got the uh, random uh, you know, shows from the Cap Center from time to time. Um on the USA yeah. network, or sometimes it would replace like if, if garden was closed or they weren't doing a garden show, sometimes we might get a cap center or a show like that would every once in a while seem to pop up on the, uh, the MSG network for whatever reason. Put the stretcher on the side of the ring there, right inside the ring. You expect me to believe that Andre's going to fit on that stretcher. Oh, <laughs> they, can make it, they can make it bigger, man. Yeah. It's retractable. It clearly they can't make it wider though. That thing, that thing ain't even going to fit Khan, much less Andre. That thing's never going to fit like half his back. <laughs> I want to see who's carrying that. Damn thing's going to bend in half. Cheap piece of shit. <laughs> see the stretcher gave away this match. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I suppose, but I, I can't even believe Khan can fit on that. Khan's freaking tall and what, 300 pounds, and he's a big guy, too. Oh yeah, he looks great too. I I just I, I think that's to me like today wrestling all the guys just look the same or I, I know they don't they all have their own like gear and, and things like that but the majority just look the same. So I'm not like I'm not a proponent of like gimmick gimmick city like Duke right. the Dumpster Josie Trashman and things like that. I don't. I don't care for that, Dennis, and uh, <laughs> all that stupid stuff. But right. I, I just want to see different-looking people. You know, like, you got Killer Khan here. You got Andre. Obviously, you just can't. 
these guys just ain't grown on trees. I get that, but I just want something that's different. And now you just got a bunch of dudes with tattoos, a tan, and everybody's wearing trunks, and that's pretty much it. Like lots really of shaved have... heads with full beards too. That's the you know the new thing. I, I, I you know you can joke around. So I can't tell them apart. I really can't. When I'm on NXT or some of these other shows, and you get all these guys with the shaved heads and the beards, I don't know who the hell's who. They all look the same to yeah. me. Yeah, Look at Andre, I the agree. pile driver. Oh, shit. I'm gone there. Oh, my Andre God. Doing the pile driver. Wow. You don't see that every day. No. This is the headbutt, though. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, just imagine you go back in time, go back to the early 80s, and that's why I love watching Mid-South and things like that when you see guys coming into town for the first time ever. Can you imagine you're sitting there and – You've never been exposed to these, you know, characters. You you're watching wrestling. You know who the dog is. You know who Ted DiBiase is. All of a sudden, one day, the one man gang shows up. What the hell is this? Or Kamala shows up. Or Killer Khan shows. Like these are all different. Like you said, very unique looking characters. They don't need to be complete gimmicks, but just unique looking individuals, very different from the guy before them. Everybody's yeah, you know so. dangerous for their own reasons. Right. And I think now, like, if you're a, four, like, a guy like Earthquake, sure. I mean, he was very believable when he came in and, um, you know, with the gimmick with Arrow Warrior and then obviously the stuff he did with Hogan. But he, he was fat, obviously, but he <laughs> yeah. looked good. Like, he, he looked, definitely looked unique. Now I think if you're 350, 400 pounds, you got to be kind of cut. You can't be a real big, fat, out-of-shape guy. They don't want that. And that, to me, like, those guys – are the most believable. And, and when you see somebody like a 400-pound earthquake doing his butt smash or whatever it is, the the, the earthquake. Um, now this. It, it's just different. And uh, yeah. now you, and, you just don't have any of that. And this spot here where Andre's leg, remember Andre's coming back from the broken ankle where Andre had wore that cast for a while. And so they've got Andre's leg caught, his ankle tied up in the ropes while Khan's working on him and, now they're going to try to put him on a stretcher, which good good luck picking him. I know Dick Worley's in shape and all, but good luck picking Andre up, Dick. So Khan's trying to roll him over to break. Basically, he's going to be on this stretcher on his stomach in the middle That's of the ring. Good. Now, how are you going to get how are you going to get him out of the ring? Are you going to lift him up over the ropes because he's not going to go through the ropes on a stretcher? Oh shit! Andre's about to break the stretcher. That's the last thing I'd want to see coming at me. Andre the Giant with a fucking stretcher swinging it like a baseball bat. I love how you sell the ankle, man. It's, yeah, that was. It's, uh, it's so weird. A lot of people argue that was out. that was the beginning of the end of Andre's career too, because he never really was as mobile as he was before that that ankle injury, and of course he got bigger and bigger as well. That didn't help, and I, I and obviously he had other you know growing issues as well with the back and things. But oh, he's not having problems right here though, sitting on <laughs> Khan's chest. Yeah, I don't Man. know what you expect Andre to be able to do after a certain point. He, right. Obviously, he's going to keep on growing, and at some point, mobility and everything else is just going to be wiped out. It doesn't matter how hard he tries and things like that. Obviously, if he gets injured, it's, it's probably lights out. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's really what Gosh. did it. Khan's holding yeah. on here, though. Yeah, he's not quitting. Andre just dropped about 20 ass drops on him, and 
He brought the stretcher in, but Khan's grabbing the ropes. Oh, Andre's not done. Now he's <laughs> dropping 20 more. Oh, my God. Rapid fire <laughs> butt drops. You want to talk about earthquake? Wow. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he just gave him another dozen. <laughs> sat, him, sat him about 10 times in a matter of like five seconds there. Andre just – I've never seen Andre move so fast. I think he just wants this to be over with. But Khan grabbing the, grabbing the uh, ring skirt. He's just refusing to go. I don't, I don't do job. Andre comes, oh, you're doing the job. Oh, he's going to butt drop him on the stretcher, huh? Well, Khan's holding the ropes. He's just not going to go. I love how the referees, whoever that guy's in the jacket and the referee, I love how they keep trying to pull Khan out on the stretcher while Khan's fighting. It's like, dude, he's not dead. <laughs> you have to stop. Yeah, he's holding, oh. I think Andre was trying to miss that. that. I think he was trying to miss that, and Khan didn't move. So he connected. Oh, boy. Here we go. Wow. Dangerous. Suplex by Andre and more butt drops. Oh, I'm surprised he did that suplex in the and 80s, like late 80s. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> like in the like 88, 89. I'm surprised he would even do that. Because I'm guessing he didn't want to have to get up too many times during a match. Well, you know what happened after he left the WWF, went down there, worked in Mexico, worked against Bad News Brown, and shit all over him while he was doing that spot. <laughs> shit diarrhea all over Bad News from all the, the alcohol and uh, burritos he ate before the match. Uh, oh, shit. Got, got the runs and shit right through his uh, singlet all over Bad News chest. Bad News rolled out of the ring and left. Left, left the ring. I don't blame him. Andre the Giant shit all over his chest. And Andre, I, that's it. That's the end of the stretcher match. It took a couple more butt drops and a big splash, but Khan is finally done, and Andre gets his revenge here, at least in the spectrum. they got to do this uh, all around the loop. Did uh, Bad News kick his ass? No, no, no. Bad News told that story, I think, in his shoot interview, but it's it's been told other places as well. But, yeah, I know Bad News wasn't a big fan of Andre. He's talked about Andre making some racist comments on bus rides and things. But uh, I don't think that he really hated Andre, and he just kind of told the story as was, like, yeah, he shit all over me. <laughs> just what, what a funny story, though. And now we move on, and now we're inside the cage, and we're still, man, the Spectrum really got a lot of great matches, if you think about it, over the years. Pretty much everything the Garden got, sometimes even more. And... So we move from the spectrum here uh, in 81 with Andre and, and Khan. Now we're back up here in 1985 in real time. And Stud's bladed here. It's Stud and Andre inside the cage here. Stud bladed. And I don't have to tell you about the uh, issues between Stud and Andre. So you, you already know those. Everybody knows those at this point. But they made money together. Yeah, that they did. It's just a shame they never cooperated too much. But it's kind of like it almost feels like uh, I don't want to. It's current, but you know Dwight Howard and Shaquille O'Neal. How Dwight Howard like idolizes Shaq, idolized him anyway, and wanted to be Shaq, and Shaq really never gave him those dues. Obviously, John Stud wanted to be Andre, and Andre's like, "No, nah, I'm the king of the throne. You're not getting it." And right. Maybe they feel intimidated by him. 
I don't know why Andre would ever feel intimidated by anybody. His place is secure, but um, yeah, they say Andre never liked any of the big guys. He didn't like anybody infringing on his area on the show or, or whatever. And Stud really took it another level, though. A lot of these other guys, they weren't trying to be giants. They were just big guys. Stud, Stud went on, you know, he was one of the early proponents of uh, human growth hormones, and he pretty pretty well. Andre just sat on him. Oh. What a great counter! Andre goes for the door to leave. Stud grabs him by the ankle, so Andre just falls back and sits on him. <laughs> and it, it, it looks like a shoot. I think, I think Andre's like, you take this, boss. Yeah, that didn't look good. <laughs> yeah, I was reading. <laughs> we got a bunch of Andre here. I was reading in Tito's book. He was talking about how um, they would always play cards together, and him and Andre were pretty close. Oh, and, here we uh, go. Something Watch. happened at one of them. You ever seen this, Steve? Andre the Giant on the top rope? Oh, it's happening. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Could you imagine if you were John Studd laying there and you know Andre hates you with a passion and a 500-pound Andre who's already not, you know, 100% mobile to begin with is jumping off the top rope onto your chest? I can't imagine what was going through Studd's mind there. Yeah, I, I couldn't imagine either. And uh, Andre Hogan's the biggest scene at WrestleMania three there. Yeah, and there's, I, there's Andre going to do business. Well, that's Hogan's story anyway. Yeah, so, I mean, so, I, sometimes I I, I, I doubt that Hogan, Hogan didn't know if he was winning or not until he got out there. I, I don't I don't buy that story so much. I don't think shit worked like that so. by 1987. No, I don't think so either. But I think it's is it, it has to be a question at some point. Um, he could do whatever he wants. He's, look how big he is! Like right. Well, really I mean, that was a believable finish. And, if there was ever a believable finish, that was it. Andre the Giant, a flying ass drop off the top rope, and he walks right out of the cage. Exactly. <laughs> so I think like. You know, if you ever decided, you know, tonight's the night I'm going into business for myself, obviously you never did. Um, at, at the same time, like, I would be scared. I don't care how tough or big I am. I don't want that dude pissed off at me. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> so, Kamala, Kamala used to tell the story that when he was working Andre, and you've seen the cage match in the opening of the Coliseum videos here, but when he was working Andre on the loop, that he would carry, I can't remember if he said a gun or a knife on his thigh underneath his, his skirt gimmick because he couldn't trust Andre. And I don't know, you know, the wrestlers really embellish shit a lot. So I don't know if that's 100% true or not, but that was the story that him, he didn't really necessarily dislike Andre, but again, Kamala was another big guy, and maybe Andre didn't necessarily get along with him all the time. I, I don't remember any major stories about, you know, issues, because Andre did let Kamala slam him in Mid-South. That was Kamala's debut in Mid-South. He slammed Andre the Giant. That was huge. So, yeah, I think reputation, man. And if, if you're a big guy and you just don't know if if you're one of those big guys that he doesn't like, (laughs) Hey, he hates John stud. Hey, he doesn't like this guy. He doesn't like that guy. I mean, I'm again, he's not somebody you want to met. None of these guys are really, they can be the biggest wusses in the world, but at the same time, they're 500 pounds and he's seven foot tall. If he wants to sit on you, you're done. Yeah. It doesn't matter how. (laughs) How hard he hits or anything. Yeah, look at the size of those hands. He's choking the 
choking the hell out of Bundy. Look at Bundy's head, <laughs> like a bobblehead there, as Andre chokes him in this colossal jostle match. And uh, if you believe what Bruce Pritchard says, which sometimes it's hard to, and I love Bruce Pritchard, but I think he remembers things wrong sometimes, and he tells it like the truth, and he, he fights, he, he dies on those hills, and he, he swears that WrestleMania was originally supposed to be called the Colossal Jostle. And I was just wondering if he had it confused with this match here. And that's the way they sell it on this Coliseum videotape. Somebody thought it's, oh, what a nasty bump. Bundy threw oh. the ropes straight to the floor. Damn near hit his head on the table. Holy shit. <laughs> he, he missed the rope on the way down. Oh, oh yeah, he God. did. Yeah. Oh, man. What an awesome bump Ooh, by Bundy. I bet, he never, I bet he never bumped like that before or again. Bundy. Bundy, every time you oh, cash a paycheck. <laughs> Bundy, every time you cash a paycheck, you're stealing from the promoter. Not tonight. <laughs> <laughs> no, not from that bump, anyway. Ooh. Wow. But he's back in the ring you know, now maybe, working over Andre. I will say maybe maybe there was some truth to that Bruce Richards story. Obviously, it sounds ridiculous now because of the, the mystique of WrestleMania, but this is only, what, five months later, and they used it. They say, hey, we got this name. Might as well use it. Let's sell this match this way. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always possible. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, the, the story goes that the Fink said, well, there was Beatlemania, why don't we do WrestleMania? I'm not saying that that was the first name ever thought about for the show. It just, right. I don't know. just seems so, such, a lame, such a lame name. Thank God we're not at Colossal Jostle, you know, 30, whatever the fuck we're on. Jeez, oh, man. 37. <laughs> you know, like, it's kind of like that story with Tito uh, being world champion, you know, your name was on the list, probably, but it doesn't mean you was near the top. Right. You know? and, yeah. so, and that's another Bruce Pritchard story. He said, yeah. Yeah, and that's another Bruce Pritchard story. You know, when they asked him about Tito, he said, yeah, Tito's name probably was on the list, but so was every other guy. That's what we did. We made a list of all the wrestlers, and then we decided, you know, who, who to give the belt to when they uh, went with Brett the first time. So... Now Bundy kind of slowing down, doing or earning that paycheck, <laughs> choking Andre over the ropes. It's uh, fun to watch the evolution of Bundy. A lot of it's on the network, so if people don't, might not realize that. You know, when he came in as um, Big Daddy Bundy for World Class, just morphed into King Kong Bundy. Those the early Big Daddy Bundy stuff. Some of it's right there at the beginning of the Dallas stuff, 1982, and he turns into King Kong Bunny right before your eyes, and that's how King Kong Bunny, Bunny is formed, when he sells out and becomes a heel. And then his stuff in Mid-South's right there on the network as well. And you asked me, I think, on the last best of the WWF, where Bundy was right before he came to the WWF, and I couldn't remember what... I felt like he made a stop somewhere, and I looked, and I and uh, I was... He, he did it. New Japan tour right before he came to the WWF, but he actually finished up in Memphis at the end of December of 84. He had, uh, Rick Rude had turned face and feuded with Bundy and there's Andre dropping a butt drop and John stud in for the disqualification. Of course so you knew Japan Bundy. And, he worked Memphis. Well, he, he was in Memphis for a bit and they were part of the Jimmy Hart's faction. Rick Rude turned baby face Feuded with Bundy. Bundy lost the loser leaves, leaves town match in December around the loop. And then he, you know, did the tour of Japan at the beginning of 85 in between. And then off to the WWF with that cape 
that he debuted with that Dracula cape. <laughs> Who the hell's idea was that? Probably his, I would imagine. Hey guys, I found this cool shit. It's a fucking cape. I found a cape that fits my big ass. Let's throw it on. Oh, Andre's mad. He's taking yeah, it out he's, on the tape. <laughs> he broke that chair. Look at that. He broke the damn seat out of the chair. It wasn't no gimmick chair back then, steel chair. He broke the damn seat out of it. <laughs> he runs off Bundy it? instead. I'd be running too. This is 85, man. Yeah, he's looking rough here. Yeah. It's crazy. He got, what, four more years out of him? Well, if you want to call right. it that. If you want to, if you want to call it that. I mean, yeah, was he still around? Yeah. Uh, were we getting he was matched? There. Yeah. He was there. Uh, it, it's sad to see him in those later years of 80, but at the same time, he was still a spectacle to see. I'm sure it was an honor and a privilege for any fan to be able to see Andre perform. Sure. And say, you know, I've seen the giant live. So I think, yeah. May not have been much, but you know, if I was a kid in 1989 and I was able to go to a show and see Andre, I don't care how terrible he is in the ring. I, I seen Andre. That's cool. Yeah, and sadly, you know, that's the only Andre I got to see was the Warrior beat him in like you know 30 seconds or whatever that was. Lucky you, man. I think I went to a show in '92, and uh, he they had that falling out with Vince, and that was right. it. Yeah, I mean, did yeah. you watch the documentary on Andre? Uh, which which documentary? On, what's that? The one from H- the one from HBO. Yeah, yeah, I watched that. The, I need to check it out. Yeah, the documentary where right in the middle of the uh, documentary they talk about Andre's farts, and then they uh, show <laughs> a bunch of people trying to mimic his farts from Hulk Hogan to I I, I want to say Vince. I don't I don't remember, but yes. That's uh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> giant farts, man. <laughs> and speaking of giant <laughs> farts, we got Brutus Beefcake in the ring now. We're uh, at the conclusion yeah. of Best of the WWF. It's a uh, tag oh, team match from yeah, Steamboat before he got the uh, dragon pants, the uh, the black spandex. Still rocking those white trunks here. So it's uh, Steamboat and Santana. Great tag team there. Makeshift tag team taking oh, yeah. on Beefcake and Valentine. This is April of 85, so right after WrestleMania, just uh, three weeks after WrestleMania, they're in uh, Toronto, the Maple Leaf Garden. I love that old ramp. I do, too. It's the only ramp we ever got to see in the WWF. And that was because that ramp had been there since the beginning of time, man. As far back as you can go, there was <laughs> Toronto had that ramp. The only thing weird about it was you could see the guys walk up steps to get on the ramp to get to the ring. It didn't go all the way back, so it was <laughs> that was the only thing that was a little... Little off about it, it for it me. Had to, it had to be built into the the arena, right? Uh, not built into the arena. I mean, it, you know, you can t- move it and things like that. But um, they used it forever. I mean, that goes way back before Vince made the deal with the Tunnies, or really before even Crockett, because Crockett was in here with the Tunnies before Vince took over. And it was, I, I don't remember how old that ramp is, but it's the same ramp. And I remember reading stories about it, and it goes back a long, long time. That's cool. Wonder where it's at. My friend up in Canada, <laughs> too, he's been to the, he's been there. He went there. I guess it's like a historical venue. I don't know if they've torn it down or anything, but he's like, you could, he went in there and was able to see 
be inside the garden there, um, which is right. really cool. <laughs> if the walls could talk, man. Yeah, all the guys that came through there. I mean, you know, uh, the Tunnies worked with the NWA, and then they worked with the WWF, you know, throughout the 80s. We got to see Maple Leaf Garden shows, what, as late as 1990 at least. They, the matches would randomly pop up on primetime and things like that. Yeah. I, I always look forward to Maple Leaf shows because of that ramp. It's just so unique and different for the WWF at the time. Um, and it's a really cool venue. I like, and I like the way the, the placement of the hard camera, like this side shot. Mm-hmm. You can really see everything that you need to see in the ring um, from a different perspective, and it's uh, pretty cool. Yeah, and it gives you the illusion that it's big, like a very large arena, like you know the size of like maybe Boston or places like that. But um, I'm trying to think here. What this would have been the mid '80s, so yeah, it would it, it held it held quite a bit of people, but you really couldn't see them. You just kind of hurt them because of this, we, yeah. the, odd, the odd camera angles that you got. For some reason, they seem to use the hard camera behind the ramp instead of on one of the other sides of the ring. Yeah, I don't know. Well, the other side is where all the fans are. So if you take put the hard camera there, you got the ramp taking up half of your crowd and then the hard camera taking up the other side. It'd be a little slim pickings there for seats on the floor anyway. Yeah, but that here we go. We got Tito and Valentine. Yeah, so that feud is uh, kind of coming to a close here. So we get to see it in tag team form at this point because Valentine's getting ready to get stuck full time with Beefcake. You see, right now, Valentine's still managed by Jimmy Hart out there. They haven't morphed into uh, Johnny Valiant yet. Valentine's still getting Jimmy as his manager. This is right when well Steamboat was at WrestleMania, so. What a bad, a what, a, time. what a bad break for Valentine. He goes from feuding with Tito over there, kind of title for damn near a year, to getting stuck with Brutus Beefcake and Johnny Valiant. So not only is he any longer is he a singles wrestler, he's being forced into a tag team with a guy who really can't work, and being managed by a guy who is lesser than stellar as as you know on the manager role. So, so it's uh, poor Valentine all the way around. Valentine, make this work, buddy. <laughs> You, you know, his entire, the entire dissolution, the entire ending of the new dream team with Dino Bravo and Valentine was simply because Valentine was re- uh, pretty much put in his notice. He was leaving. He was going to try to go back to work Crockett and because he was sick of teaming with, and I don't think it was anything against Dino Bravo. He just didn't want to do that. He wanted to be a singles wrestler. He wanted to be able to do shit and he didn't want Johnny Valiant as his manager anymore. And so what happens? Uh, here comes Survivor Series, what, 87? Is it 80? Yeah, 87. And that's it. Overnight, boom, they they do the job in the tag match. And overnight, Johnny Valiant's gone from the comp while well, he's gone gone as a manager. And Dino Bravo, they're no longer a team. Dino Bravo winds up picking up Frenchie Martin. Greg Valentine goes back to Jimmy Hart. And the rest is history. Yeah, and he didn't really do anything else after that except the Ronnie Garvin feud. I guess rhythm and blues, but that didn't last very long either. <laughs> yeah, let's not let's not discuss rhythm. But I don't think he wants to remember that. <laughs> I remember hearing him talk about that. And he's like, "When did you realize it was real that he was going to be tagging with honkies?" Like the day Jimmy Hart came in with hair dye, and they said you're you're going black. He's like, "That's when I knew it was real." 
Well, you know, that was, you know, that's Vince trying to repackage somebody, get a little more out of him. Uh, His intentions were probably good, but, you know, that was not the way to go with Greg Valentine for sure. But if you remember back going into WrestleMania 5, they tried to put the two together and they were going to be called Double Trouble. If you if you listen to Jimmy Hart's promos, they never really were officially called Double Trouble, but that's what Jimmy Hart basically sold them as. And then they kind of separated again. And yeah. you saw that you saw that quite a bit in the late eighties. The Hearts uh, kind of got separated a couple times because Brett kept asking for that singles run. The Powers of Pain actually were separated in eighty nine at one point for a while, and then they came back together before they separated permanently the next year. Yeah, yeah, they gave him those opportunities to go single, but it just for whatever reason it didn't pan out. They probably didn't want to do anything. Okay, fine, here's your chance, and then. We're not going to do jack shit with you, so let's put you back together so we can get something out of you. But I thought that match at WrestleMania Five with the heart, if they would have stayed that way, Valentine and yeah, Honky that Tom, worked. I, I that worked. It, yep. it would have been a decent team. You know, yeah, you everything that. didn't need to be a damned gimmick, and that's what yeah, ruined it, it. It got overproduced, and when you have Valentine coming down carrying a guitar, black hair, and wearing Elvis glasses, it kind of ruins it for me. Whereas Valentine, yep. as Valentine, oh, you know, you got the Bruiser and the the badass dude, and then you got the guy who likes the gimmick. And yeah, the gimmick, and yeah. put them together, and you got a decent team. But that's over over gimmicking things. Yeah, man. These uh, I gotta say, man. I know they've only been teaming here for a matter of like a few matches at this point. The dream team, but and I call them that. They're not even really the dream team yet, but they've done a really good job here uh, as a pair of beefcake. Even though they're working over Steamboat on the apron. While Tito's taking the heat, and you can't go wrong, you know either whether you had Steamboat or Santana in the ring here taking the heat. Both guys, uh, some of the two of them, both of them, the top you know heat getters or takers. Uh, great sell job by both guys, no matter who was in the ring. So they choose Tito here tonight, but I don't think they could have went wrong with either one of them. Oh no, absolutely not. They're two of the best as far as the hot comeback and things like that. So um, Steamboat getting the hot tag here. Would have been yeah, and, nothing and, different if it was Tito doing it. Yeah, and usually you always hear the praise for either Ricky Morton or Ricky Steamboat is probably the best uh, heat getters. Like just um, getting that crowd going to almost near riot to try, they, wanting that them to make the tag and save their their hero. And uh, I've heard stories of uh, Ricky Morton almost inciting riots, just looking into the crowd and, and mouthing "Help me!" as he reached you know towards the fans. And some of the heels, because the crowd was so, you know, white hot, like ready to jump the, the rail or whatever the hell, you know, there weren't even rails back then. Uh, they would yell at like, Ricky, fucking stop. You know, <laughs> like you're going to get me killed. Stop selling like that, you know, or whatever. So look at Tito, man. He's determined to get tag here. This is great stuff. These two. Oh, he gets it right between Beefcake's legs. Oh, Steamboat's going to come in now on fire. Look at this. The Good two stuff. Women in the back back row there, they're 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 out for it. They're, <laughs> they're eating it. Steamboat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Steamboat pulling the old Kamala there, jumping up, touching his toes. <laughs> oh man! Now you know Steamboat's, he's serious. Vince probably seen all these chops and is like, you know what? You're like a karate guy. You're Bruce Lee to now. So yeah, you got those those slanty eyes. You're a a Bruce Lee. Go get him those pants. That movie I saw that one time. <laughs> oh, man. Good old sleeper hold. 
Yeah, we might even wind up with a double heat spot here uh, now that we're going to a sleeper. Very unique team. I, I, I didn't remember these guys teaming, but very unique team, Santana and Steamboat. And it just seems perfect, though. Like, it just makes sense. Oh, yeah. Like I said, you can't go wrong with either guy here. This is actually a solid match. I remember I did a WrestleMania 2 review, and I, it never really stuck out to me. But Valentine always, like, and during that match with the Bulldogs and the Dream Team, <laughs> Valentine pretty much worked the entire time. The entire match, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's almost as if they knew. <laughs> Beefcake they did know. no business being in the ring with these guys. <laughs> I think Beefcake and, knew uh, that. So it's cool that Valentine wasn't unwilling to go in there and work 25, 30 minutes if he had to, just to keep Beefcake on the apron. I think Valentine so wanted to earn his paycheck, man. I, I think he knew that, like, I this I have to make this look good if I want to keep getting pushed. So he was kind of working for both of them. Valentine was doing double duty, and that might be why, you know, in the later 80s, he kind of tapered off as far as his quality of work went. I mean, other than that Garvin match at Royal Rumble 90. Uh, but oh. I, I think I think his qual- the quality level of a lot of his matches, anyway, I'll put it that way, kind of tapered off because he, like, killed himself for so long with Beefcake. He was just, like, done. <laughs> it's like, fuck this place. Yeah. I'll I'll take the paycheck. But he had matches that weren't bad. You know, Savage at WrestleMania 4, short but not bad at all by any means. Mm-hmm. And the, the Garvin match, other than, you know, them going for 46 covers and just, Beating that to death, that was they, they really beat the crap out of each other in that match. And it's like overnight he goes from that that match into rhythm and blues. Like, how do you even do that? And Garvin goes from that match into a job guy role. So it's I don't know. I don't want to take away from this match here. It's uh, no. been a solid match. Nothing wrong with this match. It's just I'm just thinking about all the guys in this ring and what would become of them. You know, in the next few years. Yeah. And I think, too, you know, Valentine, he's been around the block quite a bit, and he's had some pretty long, like you said, the long few with Tito and other ones beforehand. So uh, he's tired, man. He had to have been worn out, especially, you know, after those long runs and Crockett and then coming here with Tito. Years. And um, just killing yourself, and all of a sudden you got to work for the next two years (laughs) for two people just to keep the spot. I I mean, right. I'm assuming he was okay with it just because he's working with Beefcake and Beefcake's Hogan's boy. So he probably knew he had a job. I'm going to be okay because I'm working with Beefcake and Beefcake ain't going nowhere. So I think he was probably willing to do it because of that. But he busted his ass during these tag matches. Oh, yeah. Had a pretty pretty decent tag tag title run out of it. And uh, yeah, so I, I don't blame him at all for. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, you got to remember who. Steamboat with the hope around. spot there. <laughs> Valentine was looking to finish Steamboat off with the figure four and Steamboat with the the cradle, the old Ric Flair's Ricky Steamboat spot. And both of, both of these guys are uh, no stranger to Ric Flair in the Crockett country. Oh yeah, some good stuff there too. Valentine, of course, jumping ship not too long after Starcade '83, and then Steamboat jumping ship after Starcade '84. With Dusty coming in and not really getting along with the, the booking plans. Hot tag to Tito, so double hot tags, which makes sense because both guys do it so well. Give them both a chance. Sure, why not? Works for me. Ooh. <laughs> Beefcake just doesn't want to bump. 
I don't think Beefcake wants to bump tonight. Every every oh, and flying forearm smashed Valentine with it. And Beefer in to break it up. Now we got all four guys in there, so we're heading into the finish. Steve, closing yet another chapter here. It looks like. Steamboat just looks different with the with the trunks on. I'm always you always just see him in tights. You never really seen. You know, him. And upon his arrival short. too, he's a lot more jacked here. He's more trimmed down oh, yeah. by by you know eighty six. Up oh, steamer going to the top rope behind Beefcake. Turn around, boy. Boom, chopping. Beefcake still doesn't want to bump. Steamboat yep, says, "I'll yeah. help you bump." Yeah, throws him to the floor. Or Steamboat, one of those clean cut guys. Uh, it'd be completely. Against his, oh, that was a nice spot there. Oh, yeah. Trips up Valentine. Lay right into the figure four. That was awesome. I feel bad for the fan on the far rights. He went nuts when Tito locked in the figure four. So you know he's a hardcore fan. He knows what's happening here. And the cop that's standing there had, had probably never seen a fan do go that nuts. So he grabs the dude. And I think the, the guy kind of settled down, was explaining to the cop what was happening there. But... Tito Santana locks in the figure four. Nice spot out of nowhere and gets the submission win over Valentine. I didn't see it coming. Oh, you turn the lights on. Look how big that place looks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this is you can see it now. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I thought it was a smaller building than that. Man. Yeah, I think, back in the, I think back in the day it held at least 15,000, 16,000. It was a pretty good-sized arena. Look at Hillbilly beefed up there. Had to mark out when he did that in his WrestleMania 17 entrance. <laughs> Craig Leathers. So, oh boy. Is T- is Steamboat is on the is he all did he do the gas? Oh god, he had to have been on the gas there. Holy God. You don't get like that otherwise. I mean Steamboat had been a bodybuilder too in the in the seventies. You know, he competed and things like that along with Tony Atlas and stuff. So I'm not sure if they were checking that stuff back then. And things like that. I don't know if Steamboat was completely on it all the way back then, but he had to have been at this point. You don't get like that. I mean, look look, look at what he looked like a year later. He was still in tremendous shape, but he was far, far so, slimmer. He was not jacked out yeah. like that. I was like, what the hell was that? No, I... <laughs> it was odd. The only reason I was asking is because, man, that's completely against his clean cut. Sorry to interrupt you while you're shitting on my son, but sorry right. to interrupt you. Yeah, yeah, um, but I do Steve roids. Will, that, it doesn't kind of. So, <laughs> yeah, I do roids. That doesn't. Is this on the? There. It's Hearts and the Bulldogs. They're advertising it for Best of the WWF Volume Five, but didn't we just see that in Volume Three and on this one, kinda I think, a little. I think that I think that's a different match because they're okay. the blue. Okay, that was Garden. If you listen to the Anvil in his shoot interview, they never wore blue. Funny story. Oh well, he, he probably doesn't remember. No, I don't think he remembered anything. He uh, he got very mad at whoever asked him about their, their other colors that they wore before the pink, and he insisted they only wore... Wow, what a bump. Was that Gurria? I don't know. Yeah. I, I didn't see who that was. I don't but know, Martel. That was Martel. Okay. I think it was Martel. Surprised Martel would take a bump like that for Albano. The Life and Times of Captain Louis Albano, probably the least rented tape, along with uh, George the Animal Steel. I think those are my least two rented tapes. From the yeah, Coliseum like the, video lineup. I didn't, really, I didn't really care for the early profile. profile. Yeah, the profile. The profile yeah, I didn't either. It turned yeah. me off. And depending on who it was, I really, really didn't have any interest. 
I mean, there's some who's who's down. I mean, Piper's is great. It's cool that they have some out there for like Bruno, but like Kim Patera, really. I understand Patera's story, but when it came out, it was like after he came back and towards that SummerSlam run, and it's just like, you're doing Patera now? Well, that's the story. The Kim Patera story was about him going to jail and getting out. I, I, I guess that's what they were going for there. Tag Team Champions. Now, that one we've done, and we're going to be doing Best of the WWF Volume 5 next time we do a Coliseum video. So we're going to knock two-thirds of that out. I don't know when we'll ever get to Captain Lou or if we'll ever get to Captain Lou, though. We're not. We're not. <laughs> <laughs> Unless one day we decide, let's just, let's just finish out the whole damn series many years from now, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you sit and talk about you know, like a Piper for an hour and a half. I don't know how many stories we could talk about. Obviously, we could talk about what's on the screen, but like you said, that's a lot of promos and him talking. So can't really, you can't really do that. Maybe one day, like you said, if you just want to finish the catalog. You know what? We got 90 out of the 120. Might as well just finish them off, right? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if that ever comes to fruition. But for right now, we got plenty of stuff to cover that we don't have to go worry about doing anything Captain Lou related. And, you know, I hate like hate sounding like I'm shitting on Albano. He was a, a very entertaining heel manager in his prime manager years, but <laughs> trying to cover a bunch of 1980s Albano stuff, I don't know, not not really enthralled and listening to him uh, speak gibberish for 90 minutes. I think the only good part would be to see some of the, the matches, some of the clips. I'm sure they have some rare gems on there that, it's not readily available or stuff people have seen. So Yeah, but for every um, good segment, we'll probably get a TNT segment where he's like, you know, yeah, pouring that, pouring soda cool. into his uh, belly button to water his flowers. Oh. Yeah, right. Exactly. We don't need that in our life. We've already seen that. <laughs> so that's another one oh. in the book, Steve. Best of the WWF Volume 4. We're really killing him now. I think we're uh, a fifth of the way through. I think there's like 20, right? Is there 20 volumes? Something around there's 20. There's 20. Okay. Yeah, there's plenty. So we're getting there. Yeah. We're starting one, to get into one at some, a time. some of the better some of the better action, some of the more uh fluid, you know, it's like progression. So as you get down further down the line you kinda get more current and current as the time goes on. So we're kind of following the stories in the feuds from eighty four, eighty five going into eighty six. So it's definitely fun doing these and knocking these out because you basically get a recap of those years as far as the big matches go from some of these places, which is really cool to watch. So. Yeah. And we'll break the monotony from time to time in the Coliseum video series. I'm sure we'll think of a, a random other uh, tape that, that was released and in, in between these and maybe cover those from time to time as well. But uh, in the meantime, guys, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed another one. Uh, I really, I really hope you guys can go out and, and find these videos. They're really fun to go back and actually watch. And I'm not saying don't just listen to the watch along. Because I, I feel like we do a great job of entertaining and informing at the same time, just talking about a little bit of everything, kind of get off topic a little bit, but try to stay on topic as, as, as well at the same time. It's hard to sit here and just call a match like we're commentators. It's just not a whole lot of fun to do that, especially if you guys are watching at home. You don't need us to tell you what the hell's happening on, on the screen. But I had a, a lot of fun against Steve. That was a, a lot of good, good old-time wrestling action from the mid-'80s. Yeah, it's always and it was really cool to see Andre be able to move and do some things that you just a lot of people don't remember him doing, and so that's always fun. It's always fun to get that reminder just how great Andre was. So I think that was the key takeaway from this one. Cool that, Andre stuff. That, that Andre, uh, the leap off the top of the rope onto Stud, 
I when I first saw that, it blew my mind. And then I forgot what tape that I saw it on. And I don't know if it was this one or if there maybe the entire match is on an, another tape. I'm not sure. But I thought I made it up. But did I? You, every once in a while, you, you saw something a long time ago. I had a guy just contact me today on Twitter and ask me if I could find footage. He swears it exists, but he can't be sure. So I told him I'd try to help him out and look and see if it exists. This was one of those spots where I thought I hadn't seen it in so long. I started questioning myself in the 90s, early 90s. Did I really see that? Did that really happen? Because that seems kind of impossible, Andre, on the top rope, you know. And uh, obviously, I finally found the tape and saw it again to to make make myself feel better. But it's just, it's one of those things that you just you weren't expecting until you saw it. I don't know if that was the first time you ever saw that or not, but uh, first time I ever saw it, it was it lasted uh, it left a lasting impression on me. Yeah, I've seen that before. Uh, I've watched I've watched all these. They used to throw these on classics on demand, and I collected the Coliseum videos there for quite a long time, and I, I'm pretty sure. I finished off my collection, at least of the 20 WWFs, probably best of WWF. I'm pretty sure I had all 20. And every night I used to just pop a Coliseum video in and watch it and listen to visit pay-per-view. Obviously, Jesse and Bobby or Gorilla put me to sleep. And I would throw these on every once in a while, too. So um, I've seen them a bunch. I don't remember a lot of it because there's so many. But uh, that spot, I definitely remember that spot. And it's just it's crazy to think about somebody that size doing an ass drop basically did a reverse bonsai drop and on stud who like you said he had to have been shit in his pants <laughs> like is andre mad at me today for something right. i look at him cross-eyed during this match and <laughs> so he's probably fearing for his life as andre's coming down and um just awesome just so well, cool to see man. stud was wise going into that that finish he uh sold like hell for andre that match he didn't try to get competitive with him and he also bladed for Andre in that match. So he tried to do everything he could to keep Andre happy. Very wise. Very, very wise, John Studd. He knew the finish. <laughs> so. He knew what was coming, so I'm doing everything to save my ass by the time I get there. So. Steve, I appreciate you. I'd love to talk about what's on Volume 5, but I didn't look. I don't know. Outside of that Bulldogs Heart Foundation clip they showed, I have no idea what's coming in. I, I think volume five might've been one of the three volumes I own. So maybe it'll come back to me when we, when we actually start watching it. If that, if that really was one of the three, I, I know I own volume three. I know I own volume eight. I think the third one was volume five. So maybe it'll come back to me when we, when we pop it in and get it going next time on the, uh, watch along series. So, but I appreciate you being here again, man. Another fun night of watching old time wrestling. Yeah. It never gets old, man. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, and thank you guys for continuing to subscribe to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. The Watch Along series continues. More Coliseum videos coming your way. More 1996 WCW and WWF pay-per-views coming your way. And some other good things coming as well. So we'll see you next time once again on the Watch Along series here on the all-access tier, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Hey guys, Ray Russell, Steve Ekstack, we're back again for the all-access here in the Watch Along series here on patreon.com slash WrestleCopia, and it's back into the Coliseum Video Treasure Trove, Steve, with Best of the WWF, Volume 5. Wow, number five already. It seems like we we start these, stop, start, stop, <laughs> and we made it to number five, so here we are.
Yeah, we just kind of do them as we have the extra time, the spare time, and uh, no time like the present. Absolutely. uh, You're going to be taking a few days off with the family, so I figured we'd get something in before you uh, take off, and just something extra to add to the Patreon account, at least for this week. And it's uh, back to the Coliseum videos. We just finished up recently Super Brawl 6 for the WCW, and now we're going all the way back to 1986, 10 years prior, here at the best of the WWF. And lots of good, solid stuff on here. The Bees versus the Heart Foundation. Ricky Steamboat in Morocco from Madison Square Garden. Uh, Jesse Ventura, a very rare match there, taking on Tito Santana, I believe right before Tito drops the belt to Randy Savage. And then uh, we'll actually close out this episode of the Coliseum Video Series with an eight-man tag team match from the Philadelphia Spectrum featuring the likes of Andre the Giant, Rocky Johnson, John Studd, the Samoans, and more. So... Definitely a star-studded card once again, if you want to call it that, from top to bottom, as they're more focused on the most recent stuff going on in the WWF now. Yeah, it's definitely a transition from the early ones, uh, where they would highlight a little bit of everything, 60s, 70s, whatever old footage they could find, they kind of just threw them on there. Now it's getting to the bread and butter where you're just focusing on what's going on in the, with the current product, and um, I'm kind of glad it's that way. I don't mind it either way. I'll take it any way I can get it. And uh, yeah. this, this is the current focus, though. That's what they're doing right now. Seems like they do more of the sporadic stuff on some of their other feature releases and the best of the WF more focused on the current product, which makes sense that they're trying to get you to yeah. watch their current product. That way you get, will get one of these tapes. You rent, a, you rent this tape. I'm going to start watching this wrestling stuff. And you turn on the TV, you kind of want to see the guys that you saw on the tape. So it makes sense yeah. here. Yeah. And we're going we're gonna to get you guys counting down now. So you know the drill by now. If you got the old clamshell case, pop it open, push that tape into your old VCR, grab your digital file. If you found it online, congratulations. YouTube, Daily Motion, no idea where they are. Just giving you some ideas of where they might be. Have really no idea though, Steve. I have my own file here. And we're gonna count down. We're gonna get going here. In five, four, three, two, one, press play. And as the old tape begins to roll just kind of going over this show some matches from Madison Square Garden matches from some of the TV tapings I don't know if some of these matches ever aired or made it to air but they're here on the best of the WWF very intrigued to see the Tito and Jesse Ventura match first time I ever saw that I really marked out because I hadn't seen a lot of Jesse Ventura one-on-one in the WWF yeah, uh, there's not a lot of it out there that I've seen either. Uh, I think I've I've only seen Jesse work. Um, he was in that Saturday Night Main Event match, and then whatever was put on Coliseum Video. Other than that, I don't I haven't seen him. So definitely gonna be it for a treat. Hopefully, hopefully it's somewhat decent. <laughs> yeah, when Jesse and Adonis had teamed in the AWA, they actually both came over for a little while working for. I guess it would have been Vince Sr. at the time. I think it was 1982. And both Adonis and Ventura got a run at Bob Backlund's world title in that brief stint in the WWF. I really enjoyed the Adonis matches. Ventura, not so much, but hey, <laughs> he, he was there. And obviously uh, Vince loved it, brought him back, loved the character, the gimmick, brought him back. And uh, Ventura really a jack of all trades during his uh, initial run here early on in the in the mid-80s because not only was he doing commentary, he was still trying to wrestle, if not for the blood clots and the issues in his legs. But it seemed like they wanted to pair Ventura with the Macho Man. 
is the gist I got of it every time they would make references to that, or Ventura would, quite often. Yeah, it's really prevalent at the Wrestling Classic. Um, I know he makes mention of it at WrestleMania 4 a lot, where he's like, hey, I was on the macho bandwagon before any of you. Uh, so he was sure to remind people that he was always a fan of Macho Man. So it just makes you wonder if they had like some penciled in plans to get them two together to do something. Um, because he's always defended Macho Man on commentary. So that would have been interesting. Yeah, I think when Savage even takes the belt from Tito, one of the early comments made by Jesse Ventura was the plan was between he and Macho Man that one of them were going to take Tito's title. So it's kind of funny right here. We're going to see that match from Maple Leaf Gardens, so we're going to see the uh, the old uh, trusty ramp once again here <laughs> on this episode of Best of the WWF, Steve. Oh, the classic ramp at Maple Leaf Gardens. And if I remember you know, correctly, I think they kind of they, they bring the ramp into play, so that, that could be fun. <laughs> There's your buddy getting smoked with something from the crowd. And Andre slamming Kamala. That means we're going to the finish here. Hogan grabbing that pinfall on the Sheik and a whole new world. Let's see who's hosting this time. Ha! Call the hotline! Let's pick it up. Dorkland speaking to you once again on behalf of Coliseum Video from the World Wrestling Federation Video Control. You know, in the past, I've had the pleasure to host a number of other programs in the official WWF home video series like Wrestling's Country Boys. And if you'll excuse the expression, Rowdy Roddy Piper's Greatest Hits. But today, I have the privilege of presenting the best of the World Wrestling Federation, Volume 5. And folks, I can assure you, we do not take a term like the best. I don't know that I'd brag about hosting the uh, Wrestling's Country Boys video cassette <laughs> there, Gene. I, I wouldn't either. Uh, I, that's one <laughs> I have not seen. I, I, I've seen almost all of like the, uh, the match compilation type shows. Some of those... Um, individual pieces like the life and times of captain lou country boys Kim Pateras, I, I haven't seen those for the most part um i've seen pipers obviously all the hogan's um steamboats both macho man's things like that if they if the talent intrigues me i'll watch it but I'll, i can't watch like an hour and a half of the country boys or captain lou just rambling on and on we're gonna kick things off here with a it should be a pretty solid match here. Ricky Steamboat in the middle of his feud with the magnificent Morocco. And this one's from Madison Square Garden back on uh, November 25th, 1985. So right around Thanksgiving. Fooge the stooge there, according to Smash. <laughs> Mr. Fuji, a devious manager and really good friend of Don Morocco. That's why their pairing works so well. They were great friends going back to Hawaii. And uh, they, they always, they were, wherever you saw Fuji, you saw Morocco, it seemed like, during this entire run. Oh, yeah. I actually, I, I seen, um, I think it was Fuji get inducted into the Hall of Fame in Detroit. And, of course, Morocco was there and willed him out, and that was pretty funny. He was, <laughs> if you could pick up on what he was saying, it was pretty funny. Uh, so he, he had a pretty decent Hall of Fame speech. But um, it's always cool to see Morocco. Steamboat working in the karate gimmick now as he's uh, become Bruce Lee at the request <laughs> of uh, Vince McMahon, I'm certain. But they've, they've had quite a, quite a rivalry here. They, this, this feud goes on for probably a good half year on the house show loops. And obviously you That's remember the, 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 the big angle where the uh, Fuji and Morocco yeah. hung Ricky Steamboat over the top rope. 
Yeah. Pretty hot angle, you know. It's pretty dastardly to hang somebody, obviously. So, um, and Steamboat's facial expressions just tremendous in that spot where he's getting hung over the top rope. He looks like he's really dying. Uh, so it's very well done by both yeah, guys. I've, I've said it before, man. Steamboat's sell job. You know, they say he's one of the best two, if not the best, you know, babyface sell job in, in the business. And, yeah, so uh, certainly proved it there. Couldn't ask better for that spot. No, definitely not. And that was, I think that was supposed to be an Inzagiri. It has a kick to the back. <laughs> Ghetto blaster, anyway. Yeah. Sends Morocco to the floor. And Steamboat coming back in with those high, look at those high kicks. I wonder what Bischoff would call that. Front leg ass kick. <laughs> probably and something stupid so the, probably so, said Morocco went to the ground hard when he went yeah, out he, he hit the deck the hard way. Morocco hit the deck hard on that front leg ass kick there yeah <laughs> spinning front leg ass kick and he would have thrown to Mongo that's right baby doll so these guys feuded for like the entire second half of 1985 this was Steamboat's first feud in the WWF and what a great choice to stick him in there with uh, Don Morocco. Good call. This is to me, this is, well, I guess you got the Greg Valentine stuff, but this seems like the last big feud for Morocco, right? Yeah. I wouldn't even consider that Greg Valentine <laughs> stuff anywhere near the level. Yeah. This is it. I think for, for Morocco, he's kind of pushed down the card. A little bit, not too much. I mean, he works Paul Orndorff at WrestleMania 2. Obviously, they're on opposite sides of the fence. Morocco's kind of loosely aligned with the whole Piper-Orton group at that time. And on the other side, we have, of course, guys like... Oh, he's got him down. Simo's got him down now. But, yeah, that match was a ripoff, too, at WrestleMania 2. Very disappointed because I was really excited for that. Even the crowd chants bullshit as they do a couple arm arm drags and... Right into a double count-out finish there. Yeah, it was the nothing match between those two. It was kind of just felt like it was just kind of thrown in there, and uh, but yeah, this seems this. I think yeah, this is pretty much it. He kind of just hangs out with Fuji after this feud's over and does all the stuff for TNT. And who needs uh, a feud when you can do TNT or excuse me when you can do the uh, Fuji General and all the other good F- Fuji, <laughs> Fuji Vice? Vice. Yes. And now he did another one too, right? With the uh, like the Western, wasn't he a part of that? I think they made at least. I feel like they made at least a half dozen. Yeah, so I mean, quite a few. Who needs who needs to work when you can just film five ten minute vignettes? You know, I think there's a Coliseum video out there that have the majority, if not all, of them back to back. It's probably the TNT one. That's my guess. I've always been curious. Was it legitimate bad acting, or were they just that horrible to begin with in, in attempting to act? Because I don't, those were pretty hilarious. I honest, oh, they're great. I honestly, I don't think they were even trying. For guy, for anyone who, favorite? what's I, I have no idea. I have to watch them again. Couldn't even begin to tell you whichever one, whichever one has the most breaking of character. I suppose. <laughs> uh, I like the. Fuji Vice is obviously the, everybody's favorite for the most part, and I, I tend to agree. But Fuji General's funny when he's trying to get with the lady; uh, kind of cracks me up. So yeah, Fuji uh, Vice has some great bad acting out there on the boat. So yes, I, I'm not I'm not completely against that. I, I like how they mention drugs and things like that. You don't you don't hear that a whole lot in wrestling. 
There's Gama Singh in the crowd. Not really, but I just <laughs> found it interesting that they pan to him. That's an interesting choice. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Just out of nowhere, they just show a guy in... And a turban in the crowd. Yeah. I don't really know yeah. what's going on. I'm waiting for him to do a run-in and become Steamboat's next uh, feud. Yeah, he looked like a, a plant. And I'm Steamboat's next feud will be Jake. And like you said, Morocco, really, he just kind of hangs around, does some... Well, he already did a lot of these skits, but he doesn't really he doesn't have really like a hardcore feud. You, you know, it's just a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and eventually gets lumped in with Bob Orton. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call him a crony of Adrian Adonis, but kind of in that little group there when Roddy Piper comes back, turns baby face. Orton and Morocco become loosely baby, basically a, a heel tag team, do the job at yeah. WrestleMania three, and then eventually split and Morocco be, turns baby face. Yeah, he has that short little feud there with Valentine. Um, if you want to call it that, where he's defending the honor of Billy Graham. But. And what makes no sense to me is the entire reason Morocco replaces Billy Graham at the Survivor Series in 87 is because the gang and Butch Reed, Slicks guys, took out Billy Graham. The real reason was Billy Graham couldn't go is the real reason. But yeah. they wrote him off by having him taken out by those guys. And Morocco never really seemed to feud with those two that, I, that I'm aware of, unless they did just some house show matches. It really never came into play on TV. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't make sense. And then, like you mentioned, they had that strange feud with Greg Valentine, two guys that were basically, well, Morocco, I, I hate to call him underneath, but I think he was a level above Greg Valentine at that point. But that's all the, also when they were trying to throw Greg Valentine a bone to keep him happy. Yeah. And, and he had the matches with Dino. Well, he didn't have to bring that up. Don't remind me. <laughs> Those were yeah. not exactly some of his best work. No. Wasn't he in uh, Herb Abrams UWF too? Oh, yeah. Morocco came through there. Morocco was, yeah, he, I, it was weird that he popped up there. And there's always the uh, clip of him falling asleep or yawning during an ECW match in early ECW. One of the early ECW champions. He's getting in the ring and he's yawning and half falling asleep. That's how he's interested he is in being there. Getting the title and doesn't even care. No, he's just pay him. I, I can't believe he's in the mainland United States. There had to be a better reason than working a couple of 1993 ECW shows. I know that didn't yeah. pull him off though, the, the islands alone. I know something did. <laughs> But yeah, he, I, I can't imagine the money he made for Herb Abrams in that short period of time, but really not a whole lot of Morocco after he leaves the WWF in the fall of 88. He had a long career, though, so it was time to hang it up or get a break. I mean, you live in Hawaii, man. That's enticing. Well, when you get that gassed out, man, it's hard to go. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I can't imagine massive. how good Dino Bravo versus Don Morocco would have been in, like, 1978. But Dino Bravo and uh, Don Morocco, nineteen eighty-eight. Uh, no thanks. Oh, nice spot there with the nose, <laughs> right in the schnoz. Right in the schnoz. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate he got he kind of blew up there. He he started hanging out with Billy Graham. Um, I think by that point he already started I getting though, like uh, big. But yeah, he definitely. Became even more vascular after hanging with the the superstar. Well, what's weird is like here he looks real flabby, kind of looks out of shape. 
and that sort of deal. And then he, he got jacked, like we mentioned. He looked really good, I felt like. And uh, it just makes you wonder if he's maybe trying to get one last push, one last chance at it. And uh, it just wasn't in the cards, so he just said, screw it, I'm done. But um, he was never really, like, massive, you know? He was well, always... He, 1988. Yeah. No, he was definitely not defined like he was uh, near the end there. No, so it just made... He, either he got told to do it, which I wouldn't be surprised. And because mean, by meanwhile, 88, you know, they're... Right, they're... All about well, physical the and look, appearance, you know. Yes. So what's funny here is we're talking about Morocco is going to get go and get really jacked up here in a couple of years. Look at Steamboat. Do you remember last best of the WWF Steamboat was really thick, really, really defined. I mean, he's in great shape here, but he's really trimmed oh, nice down bump. already. Nice bump oh, by yeah. Steamboat taking that shot in the post in the corner. But Steamboat's already trimmed down here by the end of '85 compared to what he looked like when he came in from Crockett. Oh, Steamboat's Ooh. bladed. Wow. Wasn't expecting that. I forgot what era we're in. We can still bleed here in 1985. So a pleasant yeah. surprise to tell the story. As uh, Rocco Ram Steamboat. Steamboat jumped up in the air and took the bump in the corner. Instead of taking the turnbuckle, he cracked his head on the ring post. Oh, look at that shot. Morocco with his blood all over his mouth. Yeah, Morocco bit at Steamboat's... Oh, they would never do that today, but he, he bit at Steamboat's wound, and Morocco's got blood all over his mouth. Steamboat, this we're looking at trying to push the blood out, squeezing, squinting. Push that blood pre, out, Steamer. What, what pre-AIDS? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what year that, that came about. It was somewhere around here, but it certainly wasn't a concern at this point, no. Yeah, it's crazy. My mom tells me all the time, like she used to work at the hospital and um, they made it work like two or three days in a row. They had to stay at the hospital because they had no idea like how it spread or this is before they knew anything. So like it, it it's hard to fathom <laughs> what it is. But then you have COVID like this and it's almost similar or nurses and doctors are just working. They're just staying at the hospital so they don't transmit it and things like that. So um it's just it's crazy when she tells me the stories of what she had to do just by working at the hospital during the aids pandemic or epidemic right and there's uh another nice spot there morocco catapults ricky steamboat on the floor into the ring post so steamboat i don't know if he gigged again but he's still selling the uh the the blade job here makes you wonder though if you didn't like the way his body was when he was on the gas missing a lot not liked it Ah, uh, I don't know. You know, it's uh, hard to say. I'm not going to speculate why Steamboat trimmed down. I don't know if that was just more for his style. If something happened, you know, who knows? Yeah. He looks better here. He's doing a great job selling for Morocco. It's a very slow-paced match, very methodical. But they know they've, they're going to be out here for whatever, 15, 20 minutes, whatever it is. So they're uh, telling the story at the uh, the pace they need to at this point, especially. I'm actually surprised that by this deep into their feud, this is really wow. just a one-on-one match. There's no gimmick match in, attached to it. I'm a little surprised about that. I wonder how many times they worked MSG by now. Yeah, that's, that's hard to say. It's a fair question because obviously a lot of these guys didn't necessarily come back every time. Garden, they WWF usually work the Garden once a month, roughly. 
Oh, he's and, eating the blood now. Whew. Morocco's enjoying this. He's yeah, cannibalistic he's, uh, right now. He he likes the taste as the blood. Ricky's face is a crimson mask. Ah ah. Maybe he's trying to get with Elvira. <laughs> hmm. Can't say I blame him. No. Steamboat fighting back, though. He's, uh, Morocco's been laying it in, but Steamboat just keeps coming back with those chops, lighting Morocco up in the corner now. Not sure what referee we had. It might be a state athletic commission required ref here. I'm not really sure who that is. Some old guy. Old dude. Definitely not Dick Worley. <laughs> no, definitely not. Uh, Dick Worley's in shape, but no, <laughs> this dude isn't. But um, now my favorite part about these old matches like this, these intense rivalries, is they didn't come out and just try to work a wrestling match where you're doing all the moves and everything. You're right. It's a fight. It's a brawl. They're mad at each other because there's a lot of heat in this feud. Like I don't Steamboat. We know we can work. But I don't want to see him do like twenty different arm drags and work well, the arm yeah, and things like I, that. When, when as soon as you said that, it's the first thing I thought of. Yeah, the, there was no there was no steamboat arm drags here. This is a a war. Yeah, and that's I think that's what's missing a lot. It's not even necessarily the blood. The blood enhances everything, obviously. But in today's world, everybody's just like you're in the middle of a feud and you're trying to work a match, like a a, a scientific match, like. Whenever the fiend comes back, if he's trying to work a match with Randy Orton after he caught him on fire, killed him, like it totally defeats the purpose of the angle. If you're not going to be mad and coming in and just beating the shit out of somebody, then what the heck's the point of doing a hot angle? Fuji coming after Steamboat. Oh, I agree with you. I mean, that's as bad as some of the indie guys or the AEW guys who want to do 17 flippies. Look at that spot. Morocco pulling Steamboat in the ring. by. They're both fighting over the cane, Fuji's cane. Both of them struggling to get possession of it. And Steamboat kicks Morocco away. And there goes the referee. Takes a bump. So at least the ref is competent. He understands. Oh, he's out cold. Look at that ref. He, he, they told him to take he's a bump. Done. And he, he's dead. So great yeah, sell job dead. by this ref. Morocco going after Steamboat with the cane. Reminiscent of, reminiscent of the gang and oh, Savage. The way he was trying to drive it down into him at WrestleMania 4 there. Steamboat with another ghetto blaster. Yeah. Look at the crowd, man. They're hot for this. <laughs> They're getting excited. Oh, Steamer has the cane. Don't do it, Ricky. Oh, Ricky, you're going to get disqualified. And the referee sees it, and he's calling for the bell. So this is this is obviously leading to either some sort of no disqualification or a cage broke the, match. Broke the cane. Probably legit broke the cane. Oh, and he tosses the Ricky Steamboat tossing the ref. And he's broke the <laughs> cane over Morocco using him as katana blades now. Oh, ooh, oh going back to, uh, he's uh, channeling Magnum TA and Tully. And he's taking the cane and digging it into the skull, the forehead of Don Morocco in the corner. And I'd say there's no doubt at this point, the crowd eating it up. Look at him clapping. They're That's hooting and great. hollering for this blood. Savage fans. I like it, man. It's, it's so, it's so much more authentic and real. And what you would expect from a wrestling match. Yeah, they want blood, and Ricky Steamboat's the one that's bleeding, but maybe Morocco, I'm sure he probably did a blade job after that. Ricky drove that cane, the broken edge of the cane, dug it into the forehead of Don Morocco there. But what does this lead to? Does it lead to, a, what, what's the gimmick match here? Hmm, I don't know Do that there recall? is a gimmick match, to to be honest with you. I don't really, I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't remember. Oh, well, wow, Morocco, I loved whenever a heel 
came back to fight and they didn't just play a chicken shit heel. I mean, there's times where you need to be a chicken shit heel, but I always popped when a heel came back. Just came straight yeah. back in there and Morocco's right back and they're, now they're outside both of them oh. fighting again. Simo <laughs> laid it awesome. in. Yeah, it's great. This is great. Oh, yeah, he gigged. <laughs> I could see like a Texas death match here, a street fight, something. I know near the end of the year, and I don't know if it was before this or after this, but it was right around this time they did a tag match on one of the Saturday's main events. I think it was Steamboat and the Dog versus Fuji and Morocco. But I don't, I don't really remember a blow off for the Garden or what they did in you know Spectrum Boston whatnot. I need to go check that out and look it up. Be weird, like the way this match ended. You clearly tell it's setting up for a a gimmick match to come back. Come back to. That's. I mean, it's hard to say. It's uh, very possible, but at the That's same time, they never. They, yeah, but it just felt like at times they never really cared about following up these matches necessarily. I'm not saying they didn't. I'm just saying right, sometimes right. it was just all about the world title, and even then, by the, this is Hulk Hogan now, so we're, we're we've moved away from that three month feud where the world champion would fight the same heel three months in a row, and they, then you get the big blow off. Yeah. So, and I'm not saying we don't, again. you know, we don't, we don't get uh, rematches and things of that nature, but without doing my due diligence and and looking deep into it, I, I really can't say for 100 percent what winds up happening between these two going moving forward. Yeah, this is good stuff, though. <laughs> Morocco's not- finally had enough. It looks like. Well, this yeah, is like November, so it, it sucks these two didn't get a match at WrestleMania. That would have been great. Been better yeah, than that would have worked out. Well, we got. I guess at that point, though, it would have really have ran its course. Not that I'm complaining. I would have taken it, obviously. But instead, I wonder if Morocco on paper is huge. Oh, yeah, yeah. I there agree, was just really no, no no backstory to it. Very much of a backstory anyway. And who did Steamboat fight? Hercules. He's in the battle. Hercules. Right, which that ain't bad either, but it's not great either. No, it's just your typical match. Her, you know, there was no backstory to that either, and obviously the original story there. Look at that, awesome, great picture, great camera shot of Steamboat as Morocco finally runs off. Steamboat standing in the ring, all bloody. Don Morocco will get the win by disqualification. How many times? How lucky was Don Morocco? All the times he lucked out in these matches with these baby faces. It was uh, just like when he had the Intercontinental Title. And took on Steamboat in the, or Snooka in the cage, and Snooka headbutts him and accidentally knocks him through the door. And Morocco wins, and here he wins again by pure luck. He's the lucky heel. And we move on to uh, taping from September 10th of '85 in Brantford, Ontario, which means this is an all-star taping, as the Killer Bees in the ring taking on the Heart Foundation. This is a TV taping, so I don't know if this is going to be a very lengthy match. But there is one coming up. I think on Best of the WWF Volume 8, I want to say. There, 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 we get like a 15, 20-minute draw. And it's, I really enjoyed that match from the Garden. Early on, the Bees were uh, a really great team. In fact, one of the first real gimmick teams in the company, if you want to call that just having stripes on your t- trunks, but to be called the Bees and actually have tr- uh, bumblebee <laughs> asses. <laughs> <laughs> As, as long as they never, you know, I, I would imagine had it been a few years later, they would have been coming out with, with stingers on their ass. Oh, yeah. They would have been gimmicked to hell if they came back, came out in like 88, 89. 
But by then, they were pretty much done. Yeah, done and over with by the fall of 88. And they've always claimed, I, I can't remember both of them or one of them, but they've claimed that their their win at Survivor Series 87 was because of all false promises from Vince. Uh, they were told, I don't remember if they say two or three times, that they'd be getting the World Tag Team titles, and it never happened. I'm shocked. Vince telling lies to get somebody to sign with them? Well, I don't know if it was necessarily just to sign with him. I, I think it was just to pacify him. He may have, you know, to be honest with you, I'm sure he had intentions to do that with a lot of guys, and it just, it didn't work out that way. Yeah. I mean, I could see the Bees being given the belts here in place of the Bulldogs if the Bulldogs didn't exist and you needed a babyface team to take over from the Dream Team, but the Bulldogs are leaps and bounds the more athletic and entertaining team of the two. So... Not going to complain there. But no, I, I, not, me, I, neither. I love me some jumping Jim Ronzel, though. I'll tell you that. I'm, I was never really a huge fan of Brian Blair. He's kind of slow and kind of boring at times. If you watch his stuff from 84, because he actually comes in before Brunzel as a singles, and he works with Paul Orndorff a lot. They're both from Florida. They seem to be pretty damn good friends. They worked in a lot of different territories together in Florida and I believe even in the Tri-State's Mid-South area at the same time. But I'll give Brian Blair one thing. He he loved climbing up to that middle rope and flapping his B-wings. I'll give him that much. At least he was trying to play the gimmick. At least he bought into it. You know, we talk about that all the time, just buying into a gimmick. Whether it's stupid or not, it's up to you to make it get over and... If you don't buy in, it's not going to work. And he seemed to buy in. I mean, it's a great look and it's a... It's unique and it's different. I mean, just throwing him out there as Jim Brunzel and Brian Blair is not going to do anything. So getting him that B Brian Blair jumping Jim Brunzel type stuff, I mean, it's something and makes you remember him. Yeah, so, and if you if you go back to Brunzel's debut, it's very similar to the U.S. Express when Barry Windham debuts. Initially, he's not with Mike Rotunda. It's just a singles match with Barry Windham. But immediately after that, we we get the U.S. Express and. It was very similar. Brunzel came in, I think it's on a really early episode of Primetime, worked a regular singles match, had normal trunks on. Next thing you know, we have Killer Bees. And it's funny how that t- works, though. So. Yeah, well, it worked out good. Whoever gave them the gimmick, the idea, it, it added that little bit of something that they needed, as you pointed out. They really needed that, not really a gimmick, but they needed that character that people could get behind. Especially here in yeah. WWF land. I mean, uh, not so much maybe in the AWA with Ganya and Brunzel. There's the dropkick. Oh, That's what nice I'm talking about. Kick. I Tremendous. used to love that move. Shawn Michaels does uh, has a match with Brunzel. I want to say 92 or 3. And it's just a squash match. But, you know, it's uh, he, he lets Brunzel get the dropkick in. And Michaels, get, big surprise out of nowhere. Brunzel gets the dropkick. One, two, damn near gets the three count. And I remember my grandma sitting in the room and laughing because, you know, Shawn Michaels had almost lost to this jobber guy. <laughs> so it was <laughs> it was quite funny. But I was I always loved Jim Brunzel. Like I said, not really a huge fan of Brian Blair, but I liked the I was really a big fan of the Killer Bees when I was five, six years old, back in eighty five, eighty six. The problem is, man, the wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. To be honest. There's so many good tag teams. That's that hurt a lot of those guys. Hurt the Rougeau brothers. It hurt the Killer Bees. There's just too many damn teams. I mean, you got guys like the Hearts, 
the Bulldogs demolition, which is a, an insane gimmick altogether. The total package, uh, they could do everything they needed to. Promos are off the charts. Entering work is they did what they were supposed to do as a team with the name Demolition. Um, and then you had the great wrestling from like like I said, the Hearts, the Bulldogs, Can Am, that sort of stuff. So um, here we go. Look at this now, team. Now we're jumping ahead here, uh, just a few weeks to October first in Poughkeepsie at the Mid Hudson Civic Center, which means championship wrestling. TV taping the six man tag. It's the Killer Bees teaming with Mister Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Taking on the hearts once again, and Barry O, that's Barry Orton, for those who don't know, the brother of Bob Orton. But much like uh, Randy Savage and Lanny Poffo, Vince isn't going to tell you that, because they're, they're pushing some guys and then they're not pushing others. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a good look. And I think this, yeah, this is before Barry O gets on the gas, too, because at one point Barry O gets on the gas and he, he bulks up pretty solid, looks like a solid... He had that Vince look, the look Vince is looking for at one point here, but still never really receives the push. And Barry O, you know, part of the group of those guys that had some stories to tell, made up stories there right around the turn of the 80s into the 90s. But he has since come out and admitted that he was just bitter and in a bad place and made up, made up the stories. So at least he came, came clean. And now his uh, nephew, Randy Orton, is boring us to tears. Here in 2021. <laughs> eh, I guess, yeah. We'll go with that. Paul Orndorff picking up. Look at that drop kick. And a heart attack with a drop kick instead. That was a nice spot. And how hilarious. They get the win pretty fast there. I don't know if that was in progress. What the hell just happened? But Barry that O. Had to or, be in progress. Barry O does the job in no time flat. Paul Orndorff picks right. him up in a bear hug. And Brunzel gets all the way up there. Brunzel, a former high jump. Uh, former high jump champion. So it uh, really explains why he can get up there with that drop kick. Takes out Barry Orton, who is not with Jimmy Hart, but Jimmy Hart's with him, at least for today. Brett looks like he's been in the ring for a while. Orndorff doesn't. Looks like the bees did all the work, and Orndorff just came in. I could see that. I could absolutely see that being the case here. But it's just odd that they randomly snuck this in. Really not a, not much to this substance-wise. If they join the show match uh, with a what a minute or two left in it, other than unless they really wanted to job out Barry Orton on this tape, it's the only thing I can come up with. Yeah, Paul Orndorff doesn't look like he did a whole lot here. He probably let the bees do all the work. I'll come in and we'll we'll take it home. It's funny that the bees are the tag team, but it's Paul Orndorff working with Jim Brunzel here in the finish, which I'm not complaining. So that was fun. It was quick, but it was fun. And now we're actually going to go back to that same taping that we just saw with the Bees and the Hearts, two on two, back on September 10th in Brantford. We're there again. And there's a look at the young British Bulldogs taking on the tag team champion Dream Team here. This is way before WrestleMania 2. Is Valentine, or is Brutus going to get some work this time? Well, we'll have to wait and see. This is a TV taping, so they might let him get in there and do a little more. There's Luscious Johnny V. The manager of the dream, Greg Valentine, had to love this between having Bruce Beefcake as his tag team partner and Johnny V as his man. Imagine you come in, Jimmy Hart's your manager, out of nowhere, they slap you with Brutus Beefcake, and and then you basically are forced to take on Johnny Valiant as your manager because of that. <laughs> he, drew the, he drew the short end of the stick. 
I mean, he does get a tag title run out of this. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, you know, I, I have to wonder, was it worth it having to carry these matches, work 90% of all these tag matches on the house shows and things? Well, Gorilla always said it took him 20 minutes to get warmed up. So if he had to carry most of the match, I mean, I'm sure he didn't mind. But, um, you know, it makes you – we talked about this before on one of these shows. Is If you're, if you're hanging out with Hogan's boy – and you get a title run, you're feeling pretty secure and secure in your spot because Hogan's going to take care of both of you. And uh, so I think he was probably all for it. He just dealt with it. Yeah, I wonder exactly what was the pivotal point where Greg Valentine mentally checked out. I've always wondered that because he still looked pretty good here, even during his run with Beefcake. And he yeah, basically was, he was forced great. to look good here because he was wrestling really for two men. And you better come to work <laughs> when you get in there with dynamite. That's for sure. You know, I'm sure he didn't mind for the most part. But when he had to get in there with teams like the Bulldogs and those guys are really, really good and you have to keep up, uh, I'm sure that's probably the nice that he's wishing he had a better partner. Well, you know, Valentine only had one pace in the ring, and I'm sure he wasn't a big fan of the dynamite kids pace. So I'm sure Valentine no, was absolutely uh, not. happy to slow things down. As uh, early as he can in these matches with the Bulldogs. They worked the Bulldogs for quite a while. I actually saw them work the Bulldogs in a cage match. During this tag title feud of sorts. And this one was one of those matches that really was just all for the belts. There was not a whole lot of backstory storyline wise. There wasn't, I mean, they had some interesting finishes to some of their matches. But there wasn't a lot of shenanigans going on outside of that. No, just just you're straight. You know, I want the belts. You got them. Let's go. And that's fine, too. You don't need an angle for everything. The belts at this point mattered a whole lot. Everybody knew who the champions were. And um, that's all you needed, really. You didn't need a an angle to spice it up a little bit. You just the best teams go after the belts and that's it. Yeah, and this was just the beginning of really the inception of all the great tag teams coming in, the, the influx of, of talent that caused teams like we were talking about the Bees and later on the Rougeos and guys that never really get a shot at holding the belts. The Rockers really fell through the cracks as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. they were prevalent and they were, you know, they were a part of the show. It's just they never really got that opportunity to run with it. Um, and just imagine if they, any of those teams had come along in the 90s when the tag team scene was just the shits. Those, any of those teams yeah. would have been given them. Even the Bs would have been given the belts at some point. Yeah, the, that's the thing I think people forget. Like, I've seen something online on Facebook somewhere. They was talking about how, I guess there's a documentary on David, David Arquette now. Like, he won't die or something. And people are like, oh, makes me appreciate his title run more. And I'm just like. Uh, just because he's a good guy doesn't mean you deserve the belt. I mean, you got to be able to draw and it means something. And that's what people forget these days is that it's just not a, a thing that's given out. It's like, it's not a participation trophy. It it means something to be champion and there's no value to it anymore. It doesn't mean nothing. It's just passed around. And if somebody gets over because they like the guy, then that's it. They get the belt and no knock on Kofi. He probably, he's earned it. I mean, he busted his ass for a long time, but, he did that in the 80s. He's nothing but mid-card. And it's no knock on him. That's just the way it is or was. And so the belts just don't seem like they mean anything anymore. Whereas these time, back in this time, 
every belt mattered. Every belt meant something. And if you see, you had a tag title match on TV, it's like, holy shit, a tag title match or an icy title match. They just stuck out and they're meaningful because they just weren't given away all the time and devalued to the point where they're useless. Yeah. And man, here's another team that had they come along a little later. Oh my gosh, the Bulldogs. And in and, and this body of work, before they uh, really bulked up and couldn't move at the same speed. Of course, even here in 1985, they're still twice as big as they were when they broke in the business. Those guys were, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures. Oh, but, yeah, I've seen Davy Boy. I've seen them both. I, I, some of that early stampede with Davy Boy, it, it's not even the same person. And Dynamite over in the UK before he came over. I mean, he, to, you know, use the term skin and bones, barely really describes it. He's, it can't be more than a hundred and some pounds. So to carry this frame is insane. For as long as they did, especially Bulldog, for as long as he did. Oh, look at that spot. And you you know, know, Dynamite you was already half, uh, half done by the time he got here with, you know, due to all the uh, crazy bumping he had been doing just for yeah. the few years he'd been working because you figured Dynamite was probably in his late 20s when he left the WWF, if you can imagine that. And there's a, was that a disqualification? What's that? I think yeah, I think, I think Johnny Valiant shoved Dynamite Kid off the top rope is what we get here. Yeah, he shook the ropes and causing to lose. This was a TV taping, so um, yeah, definitely a, a non-finish. Well, well, that was uh, well. The tag titles were notorious for changing at the TV tapes, at least during uh, Vince Senior's era. Actually, yeah. even even in Vince Senior, because I think most of those were all TV tapings because. Yeah, I, I think quite a few of them were anyway. And here we go. It's Morocco yes. and Fuji joining the set of TNT. So it won't be long before we're thrown to Fuji General. And we'll pick up a little bit of that audio. It's hard to really oh, describe man. it if, if you guys aren't watching it. It's hard to let the audio play for too long before you, you get really confused what's going on. But we'll wait till they're really in the heat of the moment in the middle of Fuji General. We'll try to listen to a little bit of it. Hopefully they entertain. I, I can't see them not. So bad it's good. I love that. It, really describes the Fuji and Morocco TV shows, whatever the hell you want to call these <laughs> these vignettes they how, filmed. I love how Fuji doesn't change his clothes ever. Like even in Fuji Vice and Fuji Journal, he's still wearing the same outfit that he wears every day to the ring. Very very good boy, son. <laughs> I wonder how much money. He, I wonder how many suits he had of the same, or do you think it's just the same one over and over? Uh, there's no way he had one. For his entire run, it would have <laughs> would have eventually, <laughs> yeah, it would have looked like shit by the time he was done. I'll tell you that. He probably slept in it. Like I wanted well, to wake up and good. put it on anyway. Why take off? I just put back on. <laughs> so here's the uh, <clears throat> director of Fuji General, who gave these guys all these TV shows. There's the old General Hospital logo. I love yeah. it. I love how they cut like it's a real TV show. It's so classic. And that's typically how General Hospital came on in the 80s because my grandmother was an avid, she still is to this day, an avid viewer of General Hospital. And uh, I can't, <laughs> I'll never forget the opening intro anyway, having to see the beginning of it every day anyway, growing up Monday through Friday anyway. And here's Morocco, who's I'm assuming a doctor here. And once Fuji gets in here, we'll listen to a little of the audio, see if they say anything fun. Morocco. She kind of looks like Jackie from Roseanne a little bit. A little bit. And he's talking to a nurse here. I'm not really sure what he's telling her. And he's not even it, looking at her. 
who came up like, with this idea and who picked Morocco and Fuji to do it? I, I'd love to get pick whoever's brain. Like this should be the question of Morocco. Like when he was doing those virtual signings, who came up with the food, with the Fuji general, the Fuji vice, who came up with this idea to do all of these and chose you guys then, to do it. He's has to, he has to have shoot interviews. Oh yeah. Yeah. I doubt anybody asked him those questions. Uh, I'd like to dig back and look and see though. <laughs> He's sitting on her. This is, this is the best part, man. <laughs> well, we can listen. We can pick it up there. Oh, he's getting. Well, we'll oh, wait till this director's is. done bullshitting. I mean, if you remember better than me, you can tell me when to when to let the sound go. I don't go remember. Here. I just uh, it cracks me up every time, man. I hated TNT recording it from the classics on demand, but <laughs> when uh, when it was Fuji Vent General and Fuji Vice and stuff, I, I always stopped what I was doing and paid attention. I just want to know who he's looking at. Cause he <laughs> looking at his lines, man. He's looking at cue cards. That's what he's looking at. Ah, oh, here we go. Let's listen to Mr. Fuji. You too. You're both well aware of the standard of the hospital. There's no pay for such nonsense. Dr. Morocco, when I think of all the time I... I... I and energy I've trained you. Oh, no, doctor. It was my fault. I, I started it. I don't want to hear your confession. I want you to check your patient. You probably don't have the time when you're both occupied. Oh, very good. Very good. I don't want to hear your confession. Oh, Holy shit. You can tell, like, they don't know their lines. They're just looking at No, they're off. looking it's... at cue cards. Oh, it's hilarious. It's probably the first time, they... first time anything was scripted in the WWF. It's so, it's so terrible, it's good. That was probably Vince's go-to in the 2000s when he decided to script everything. Do you remember Fuji General? There were scripts. Let's bring those back. Only this shit was actually so bad, like you said, it was good, and the shit now is so bad, it's, it's just bad. I will say, I'll give him credit, that WrestleMania report was pretty funny. I don't know if uh, you've seen it, but uh, it was pretty I have funny. Not. I have not. I'll go check it out. It's on the WWE website where they announced the changes to WrestleMania. It's pretty funny. And this nurse letting Fuji have it again. Well, I guess we'll pick Fuji back up here. You are fired. No, Doc, don't do that. Do you believe it? And you, 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 you just stood there. I had my career to think about. If I told them what I really thought, it would be all wrong, don't you see? Don't make me explain. Cut! 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 You have your career to think about, I have my career to think about. How about trying to act? A little tenderness, a little love, a little affection. Stop being a wrestler for a while. Act! That was love, that was a move. Take it. Stop being a wrestler for a while and act. Nice line there from the director. Morocco, I love that they're just staring at the cue cards the entire time. They're doing the, they're not even looking at the uh the people they're, he's not they're even doing looking the, at the woman. Yes. Sad he's part is she's Yeah, the sad part is uh she's learned her lines. So she took this a little more seriously. <laughs> oh my god, how long does this go on? Like what's what's the end plot here? Like what happens? Does he just tell her to fuck off? Pretty much, he chooses his career over her. 
Cut, cut, cut. And he's just, uh, the director's back at it again. Oh, here comes Fuji. Let's, let's, I'll pick it back up again. Wait a minute. I don't think you're welcome. You are not Am I getting a raise? I want a raise. Lord Alfred's having a good time anyway with uh, Morocco's acting. Looks like Vince's as well. Mr. Fuji uh, wrapping Alfred with the cane there, and Alfred's killing over laughing now. Oh, just so funny. That was some good shit, pal. Let's pick up this part. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, do you think that's funny? (laughs) Mr. Morocco, we thank you for joining us on TNT. I think you've definitely shown the world exactly how much talent you and Mr. Fuji really have. Well, you you new talent. Bye. Thank you. So that's the end of the segment. And they continue to make these shows. I don't know who kept giving them jobs in the uh, Hollywood industry there. As uh, oh, That's tremendous. just one of, one of many of Morocco and Fuji's uh, attempted pilots. Tremendous. Yeah, I don't know how, that, I, I don't know how that was like never that? greenlit. Yeah, what we yeah, got here, either. we have cut now to Madison Square Garden, February 18th, 1985. This is where Lilani Kai beats Winnie Richter for the ladies' title. And they do that simply so Wendy can win it back at WrestleMania as part of WrestleMania with Cindy Lauper in her corner. Now, the reason they're airing it here is for a completely different reason. We're actually going to see back-to-back matches where Wendy loses the belt here to Lilani Kai and then the uh, original screw job, if you will, where Wendy loses the belt to Moolah under the mask. And the reason these are on here, Steve, you want to guess? Uh, they're mad that she left, or they, whatever the case yeah, may be. They, uh, they're burying her, so everybody can see her lose not once, but twice. Yep, because she wanted more money. <laughs> Can't say I blame her. And they basically didn't want to give her anything more, and I don't know you know, who's to blame necessarily there. I, I don't blame her for wanting more money. That's for sure. No. She's being billed as the second second biggest star in the company next to Hogan. She's the female Hogan. Yeah, this was the uh, first attempt at really getting the women over, or at least Wendy Richter over, as uh, a mainstream known talent in in the wrestling business, with Cindy Lauper obviously by her side. And it just doesn't doesn't last too long. I mean, she's even in the rock and wrestling cartoon. And there's Moolah yeah. making sure she gets her payday by playing manager here for Leilani Kai. Leilani Kai going to be one of the glamour girls. Kind of stinks. I like Wendy Richter. I always thought she was, I thought she did her job well. Yeah, she Obviously, was one of the, definitely one of the better was, talents of that era. A lot, not, a lot of those girls, not so, not so good in the ring. Yeah, I mean, obviously the women's wrestling back then wasn't nowhere near what it is now. They just didn't have the the time or anything like nobody really invested in it like they do now. Um, Look at that surfboard spot way back here in the beginning of 85. Didn't see that a whole lot in so, the, the States. 
you basically had Moolo, the Moolo ladies, and that was it. One style, and, and there you go. Yeah. Nothing yeah, to write home about. If you were working the WWF during this period, you were part of Moolah's camp, that's for sure. Although I don't know, I know Sherry, when Sherry came in, she was not, she started off as part of the Moolah camp, but quickly left that. Moolah cited her as being too unruly, too wild, if you can imagine that. So Shocker. Sherry kind of went on and did her own thing and made it her own way. Which well, doesn't, doesn't surprise me at all. A true go-getter. She's just a hell of a talent. Yeah, she is. I mean, I get tired just watching her. Um, I will say, like, uh, during that, the Teddy Biasi signing, he was talking about Sherry, how she only knew one speed, and it was go, go, go. And he's like, the one thing I had to tell her all the time was, like, you need to slow down out there. I'm a little bit slower in the ring. <laughs> and you're just pacing back and forth, and... Uh, you know, you're not stopping. You're trying to get me to do all this stuff. And I'm like, you just need, he's, he told her multiple times, you just need to slow down, just slow it down a little bit. Whoever thought and, to put her with Randy Savage, what a perfect combo. Oh, yeah. That was uh, that was the true match made in heaven, to be honest with you. Cause I yeah, don't, they, they mesh so was, well. Obviously, Macho's going to get over no matter what. But that her being on with him almost immediately after he turned heel, is uh that's genius because she just added a whole other dynamic to macho man and they played off each other perfectly yeah and 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 immediately too it wasn't like something they had to work towards or kind of go and figure out they just they gelled from the beginning she was so tremendous in that 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 uh manager role for for macho man there oh yeah i love that angle they shot um from wrestlemania 5 where they hold up Hogan and smash him with the chair, and he's about to cream Elizabeth with the chair. <laughs> I'd cream Elizabeth. Uh, well, that's that's another story, but it, like it's <laughs> it would never happen now, just because of how violent it is towards right. Elizabeth. Yeah, but man, it was uh, pretty violent. He tosses her down again, and he's about to nail her with the chair, and Hogan gets up and makes the save. But it's actually a really good a front chair shot to the chest of Hogan. Um, it's kind of forgotten about. You don't really see it much, um, but it's on one of the prime times, almost right after WrestleMania five, where you get to finish off kind of the the WrestleMania. I think Gene's trying to interview Liz, and Savage comes after her for blaming blaming her to lose the belt, and Sherry shows up immediately because I know on the pay per view you get that Sherry's talking about the match for no reason at all, and then the angle happens on prime time, so. I feel like if Winnie Richter could have just hung in there until Sherry got there, boy, what's, we would have had some good stuff there between those two girls. Oh, yeah, I agree. It has been pretty entertaining. But I don't know. Like I feel like obviously money's everything, but eventually it's going to come, right? You got to think at some point they're going to pay you. Yeah, but I think Vince knew that Hogan, he needed Hogan to do the Hogan bit. I don't know that Vince was sold that he needed a, a a female. This was something he was trying to create, and I maybe it ran its course. Maybe by then Cindy Lauper was gone, and he just didn't have as much interest in it. I, I don't really know how the story goes, but that's the original Vince McMahon screw job anyway. When he's slamming Kai down in place near the corner, and Mula getting a hold of Cindy Lauper, choking out Cindy Lauper. I bet, I bet that got some pops from the fans. Look at the paparazzi. Look at all the cameras taking these snapshots. You know that made the New York papers. 
and probably oh, yeah. beyond. It's like Vince. It, it almost feels like Vince just used Wendy to have a woman to be with Cindy Lauper and uh, get the publicity for Mania. And then it's like, see, ya, we don't need you no more. We got what and we wanted. That does it. That's how Kai winds up picking up the win here. So Mula chokes out Cindy Lauper outside. It distracts Wendy Richter and allows Leilani Kai to schoolgirl her and pick up the win and win the title. And Mula's acting like she won it. Because in her mind, she did. And she's getting paid like she won it, too, because she stole these girls' money. She picked whatever percentage she wanted from it and gave them the rest because Vince paid her directly for these ladies. Oh, Lord. Yeah, she was, uh, well, you know the stories. <laughs> no wonder there was so much backlash when they tried to name a tournament after. Yeah, most or of the girls don't have a after. whole lot good to say. But now I'm not sure if Leilani Kai is one of those girls that, that shit on Mula or not. I'm not sure. But a lot of them have a lot of bad things to say about her in regards to the way she was Win- took their money. Was Wendy one of them? No way. Uh, I, I don't know if Wendy was, uh, well, you know, you only had, you had the, you had the, the Moolah training camp and very little else. So Wendy, I think Wendy was in there at, at one point, Moolah, but she left the camp too. And this is a fun, here's the fun story. It's Wendy Richter taking on the, the spider lady. And the spider lady was typically another female at the time. I'm, her name escapes me right now, but she, she had worked for quite a while and Wendy always tells the story, well, when I got to the ring, I could tell, you know, it wasn't uh, whomever it was. I can't remember who it was supposed to be, but she knew it was Mula, which is, you know, it is what it is, but. So she knew something was up right when she got in the ring. I, I suppose. And it's not like she can do, look at, look at, she tries the head scissors there and Wendy kicks out. Mula ain't taking no flying head scissors. Are you kidding me? She's not even selling punches here. Look at that. So Mula working the spider lady gimmick, the spider, as it's the Chiron said anyway. Oh, Lord. That's just terrible. A bunch of shysters back then. Carney's buddy. I mean, and the, yeah, and what's Mula, crazy is Mula like, cornered the market. I mean, she basically owned the yeah. ladies' division. If you wanted to work in the WWF, New York anyway, and some other ter- territories too, and then other territories didn't play her shit, and they used the other ladies that weren't part of her camp. Yeah. It's just, uh, I mean, that's really it. That's really what it boils down to. If you want to make money, even if it's a little money, because <laughs> I'm going to take most of it, then you're going to have to come work for me and do what I say, which is just ridiculous. And this was all gimmick, really. Wendy Richter been given this gimmick of 1980s rock and roll girl, because before this, she was a cowgirl. Cowgirl Wendy Richter wore the cowboy hat and yeehaw and all that good stuff. Of course, she's from Texas, and she uh, she's granted this probably because at this point, by 84, 85, Wendy was probably easily the most easy on the eyes of any of the ladies that were established by this point and knew what they were doing in the ring. And there it was. Yeah. I think that was the uh, the faulty three count because, uh, yeah, Mula's got her arms raised. So, inside uh, cradle. Yeah, inside cradle, Wendy Richter visibly kicks out. She wasn't pinned. But they do the title switch anyway. And Wendy, this is supposed to be legit. She, look at her, grab Mula by the hair. Then she throws working punches, though. So she's pissed off. 
She knows she's screwed. Mula's even kind of sandbagging her there, but look at her trying to cover her. The match is over, and Mula's just kind of laying there because she's not going to fight back when he'd kick her ass, her old ass. <laughs> and Mula just keeps no-selling. Look at her, just keeps raising her hand. Look at her walk away as Wendy's laying in these uh, works shots. I think Wendy's trying to <laughs> write her own storyline here to keep things. She's not, <laughs> not relenting. I don't think Richter wants the match. Look at Mula just walk away and raise her hands. And the screw job's in. The fix is in, Steve. Sad. And Mula will hold that this, belt. This is what you get I mean, for holding more money. For one more money that you deserve. Yeah, and I don't think we see the title switch until Sherry. I, I think somewhere in here, Velvet McIntyre actually wins the belt, but we never see it, so it doesn't really count. But The, ref, it, the ref's not giving her belt back. It's Sherry who Too takes bad. it from Mula, and that had to kill, kill Mula because Sherry wasn't one of her girls. She wasn't making any money off of it, and then came in the Jumping Bomb Angels and all of that nonsense, and then Mula was gone immediately after, I think right after Survivor Series 87. <laughs> Too bad there's no WCW Monday Nitro available for Wendy Richter in 1985 because she could take this belt and throw it in the trash. She could have if Mula didn't just take it from her. It says the spider, well, know, the but- fabulous Mula. But she stole it from the ref, and I think she took it with her. Well, I don't she, blame her. Wendy's Wendy stole the belt from the ref and was out of there. Uh, she I still know, got she it. Just right whacked there. her with it. Mula wants that belt back. That's probably Mula's belt. I'm sure she owns it. I don't think Vince owns the belt at this point. Shit. I could be wrong. Vince <laughs> might have had one made by now. I I don't know. She's still no selling. But hell yeah, but, I mean. It's just a bitch. I was going to say the same thing, but I don't want to speak ill of the dead. <laughs> no, but I'm just, I'm living in the moment, though. She's yeah, not dead true. here on my screen, and I'm calling it the way I see it right here on this particular show in in November of 85. So, Wendy Richter, two-time champion, and she's gone just as quick as she came. A one-year run on the top. If that's and, how you want to play, Vince, I think that's what she just mouthed. Wow. And we, we move go. on. It's our uh, first and only match on this tape from 1986. We're moving into February 9th, 1986. Maple Leaf Garden in Toronto. And it's Jesse the Body Ventura challenging Tito Santana for the Intercontinental title. I'm still waiting for the day that he runs for president. <laughs> he won't do it. They were talking to him. They, you know, everybody wanted him to run this year. And he ex- explained why he couldn't. I, I can't remember. You know, he doesn't live here anymore. I'm not Where does really he sure. live? I don't know. He, he was wise. He got the hell out of here a long time ago. <laughs> Maybe Mexico, one of the islands. I'm not sure. It's somewhere close, but he's not. I don't think he's in the States anymore. Is he like JBL, who's down in Bermuda? Mm, if he's smart, probably. Something like that. Just close enough. And who's, where did Jesse get this rose? Did he take it from Tito? Was Tito-, Tito? Tito gave it to him. I think Tito had it behind his belt, and then he hands it to Jesse. I don't know what's going on with that. Uh, sure I, know I have no story idea either. That should have been the genius's gimmick. He's like, hand, hand everybody a flower before the match. <laughs> or a poem. I know at the end of Adonis's matches, at least early on, when he started doing the gimmick, the adorable gimmick, he would put those bows uh, on, on, on his opponents because he puts it on the back of Uncle Elmer at WrestleMania 2 <laughs> and Uncle Elmer's crawling around afterwards. So he's crawling yeah. around with this bow on his back. Hilarious. 
<laughs> I love Jesse, man. I, I don't care. I don't care his beliefs, his thoughts. I don't. I don't care at all, man. He's the man. And so Tito likes Jesse Ventura, right? Or Jesse? It was one of the one way or yes. the other. So Tito, Tito is a huge fan of uh, Jesse. Uh, I asked him during his signing, like if he was offended by being called Chico all the time by Jesse and all the all the jokes. And he's like, no. He's like, one day, uh, you know, I'm signing autographs for these kids, and they're like, hey, Chico. And he's like, where the hell is this coming from? And then one day, like he's just off on the weekend, and he was tuning into the show. He, he said he didn't really get a chance to watch it very often because you're always traveling, right? But he was off, and he was watching, and he heard Jesse calling Chico on commentary, and he's like, "Ah, it's Jesse." And uh, <laughs> so when he's seen Jesse, he's like, "Thanks for getting the heat on me," because it's like kind of reverse psychology. Jesse's calling Chico and everything, but it's getting empathy on Tito that he has to deal with this, and it's just helping him out even more. He's like. So, no, I wasn't offended at all. If anything, I appreciate it because it's lasted this long. And he named his book, Don't Call Me Chico. So, um, And it's so funny the way everybody is now. Everybody gets these hurt feelings, the snowflake shit. They don't, want, <laughs> they don't want heat put on them. Don't put heat on me because that offends me. It's a work. Yeah. Assholes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, a, really, it's a really cool story. And the fact that uh, Tito, I'm, I'm sure if it probably came from someone else, maybe not so but jesse's jesse and he's one of the greatest commentators of all time so i mean i'm curious to see what tito gets out of jesse here to be honest with you i want to see if uh tito can make jesse look halfway competent as a wrestler and not just a showman i doubt jesse jesse didn't get to do a whole lot of uh storylines feuds here in the wwf i mean he had the one with putsky and you can only imagine how pretty those matches probably were there and like what was I know it? They had the arm wrestling. Yes. And uh really Putsky the by the mid eighties, uh, I don't know, man. Putsky in any era, really. That's not normal. <laughs> but you think Tito or not Tito, but Davy and Dynamite are bad, you know, how big they are on their Oh, frame. Putsky looks absolutely ridiculous. They're near the tail end of his career when he's like semi retired, you mean? Like in eighty six or whatever, when he's yeah. walking around oh with my that. God. Yeah, we were talking about Morocco earlier. He ain't got nothing on Ivan Putsky. I mean, he's he was as bronze as he was, uh, you know, on the roids. I don't know how. I mean, it was just insane. I don't know how the guy's still alive today after whatever the hell he was putting in his body all those years. Who knows? He seen. I don't know, man. I have, then Look at Jesse son, rolling like, I through his... a drop down. I remember his son coming out like on WWF in what ninety seven, ninety eight. Scott, yeah, Scott Pusky, and, and he, and he blows out his jack, <laughs> blows out his leg in his first pay per view match with Brian Christopher. I think he was supposed to go over, and he does a damn plancha and blows out his knee or whatever the hell he did to it. He did something. He broke something, I think, because that was the end of him. He was gone after that. Why? And Brian well, Christopher gets the count out win because he's legitimately injured, and then does his cackle. The Brian Christopher laugh. So it's kind of insulting, you know. He's like, "Dude, I really broke my friggin' leg here. You're fucking in the ring laughing." But <laughs> that's great. Well, he did get to shag with Missy for like a year or so. Who, Scott Putsky? Yeah. Uh huh. Sure, a lot of people did. Well, you know how she summed it up. You can tell how I felt about myself when I was doing that. <laughs> so it was a downtime for her. Yeah, that'd oh, be man. some point in the nineties or something for sure. Yeah, it was definitely the nineties. Yeah, it was after the ECW run. 
Putsky actually Scott Putsky that is actually came through Crockett for like one match. I want to say eighty eight, just randomly wow. appeared on one of the uh, TBS studio shows, and I mean wow. he was really young then. Had uh, it was been. really weird because I had never even knew that he had been there, and then I see him, I go, "Is this real?" And I mean, very young at the time. And then there's just, he's just gone as quick as he came. Most of, <laughs> most of what I saw of Scott Putsky really goes back to ESPN though, in the global. And I think he was in the, uh, AWF where they did the round system stuff there in the mid nineties. I think he was in there as Conan 2000. So he didn't even use the Putsky name. He was Conan 2000. And by that point he was a little more jacked. Makes sense. That's why he's Conan. No, he couldn't be Conan. Jesse. It was Conan 2000. Look at Jesse just playing to the crazy. He's putting a little Sid Vicious there down on her knee. He has like no athletic ability at all. No, no, none at all. <laughs> he barely got in the ring. Like, you know, when you jump up to roll in, like he hit his knee on the apron. Like that's how <laughs> I love it. It makes sense. Like when you see him work, and you, I mean, you have an idea. It's Jesse, so I'm thinking automatically somebody like like a Hogan or a uh, Billy Graham type deal, where you just your your gimmick, your your character. So you're not working very much. And I always loved it when he would talk about, yeah, I used to do that back in back in my day or whatever. Right, talk right. about like working like the Rockers or <laughs> doing yeah, the yeah. drop kicks and all that stuff. It it just makes it even that much better that he tries to put himself over like that. Like, dude, you're so full of shit. And you see these other guys who weren't necessarily known as workers, but if you go back deep enough, Billy Graham was a good bumper and a great seller. And, a, and it's, I'm not going to call him a great wor- wrestler if you're talking about wrestling moves, but he was competent enough for that era. Yeah. And Hogan, you've seen Hogan, I'm sure at some point, some of the things he can do, at least in Japan and things. And even early on when he first came to the WWF before he realized what he didn't have to do anymore. And but Jesse Ventura was just <laughs> always one speed, and it was it was uh it was in low it gear. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, not a whole lot. And like you said, he's just not athletic whatsoever. There's just no athleticism there. And yeah, he, he was a Navy SEAL and things like that. But I I don't know if he has a sports background, but I can't see it because he just seems to have like no balance. There's really there's just yeah, no just, flow in anything he does. I just don't know, like. This is like blood clots. It's already happened, right? He already knows yeah. about it, so it's just sporadic. So I don't know how that affects you. I have no idea like what the process there is, but well, blood clots in the leg, I, you can um, you can be amputated. That's for, that's for yeah. sure. So I just don't know like if that has an impact on you as far as you walk. But look at his legs, like yeah, he he moves like uncomfortably. Yeah. So I don't know if it's or what the deal is, but. Did he always walk like that and move? Because look at his legs, how they like bow in. I never really paid attention. I'd really have to go back and, and look. But I'm just assuming he's just one of those guys that talk people into the into the uh, to the shows, right? And he had a he had a great bumper with him, like with with Adonis. I mean, he couldn't ask for a better partner. He's like the complete opposite of what Jesse the Body can do in the ring. So. Yeah, they complemented each other well. They were great in the AWA from everything I've seen. And then, you know, like I said, they came to the WWF both as singles guys, but at the same time. Yeah. 
That was uh, tail end of 81, I think, somewhere. And Tito getting fired up here. He's making his comeback. He escaped the bear hug with the good old uh, bell ringing ear clap of doom. <laughs> Jesse <laughs> took a flip at <laughs> no, his face. Point. Yeah, that was I think that was accidental, but I'll take it. Tito rams <laughs> Jesse's face into the mat, and Jesse does a front flip with it. These guys went about eight minutes so far. So, a little surprised yeah, Jesse's hanging in there. It's uh, odd to even see him in the ring in this random match here in February of 86 because he's all but retired by this point. But he did, I know at some point after the blood clot incident, he tried to come back. They were going to try to use him again because the story goes, Bobby Heenan was supposed to be his manager. Oh, man. And when that they first brought awesome. Jesse in, they weren't bringing him in to do commentary. He was coming in as a wrestler. And Bobby was supposed to manage him. It would almost been like the original Rick Rude just to some extent, really. Only Rude was a better worker. And unfortunately, it didn't work out. Obviously, now, now they're fighting out here on the ramp. Yes, I remember this. Tito looked for the figure four on the ramp. I don't know what good that was going to do. Looks like, well, Tito was going for the figure four. Jesse Ventura punched him off. Tito fell into the ring as the referee was counting to 10. So either we have a double count out or Tito inadvertently won there. Let's see if we can pick up some audio. Inspiration move kicking out of that figure four. Might have kicked Santana right back into the ring before the ten count. counts both wrestlers out of the ring. Counted both wrestlers outside the ring. This match is a draw. So Gorilla thought the same thing as I did. I thought maybe yeah. the spot was Ventura knocks Tito back in the ring at nine. Tito gets the win. But instead, it's a double count. And John Manello, before he was a WWE referee, was, an actual, was a wrestler. And he worked up there in Toronto and places like that. So I think he even did some jobs here in the WWF before becoming a referee for the company. That wasn't terrible, but just... No, not a lot of whole, whole lot of substance to it. I mean, honestly, it was even better than I would have imagined, and it wasn't good. Yeah, it wasn't very good, but it wasn't terrible. I mean, it just seems like Jesse can barely move, but I don't know what the deal is there. I don't, I don't know. Jesse's almost got that Stan Stasiak-type body, not not physically, but just the way he's like hunched over a little bit and just... He acts a lot older than he really is here. The way he, I mean, he takes a bump over the rope there. You want like, me to like bump over the rope? I'll do he's it on the ramp. No, he's Tito's he's getting back in there. <laughs> Tito blasting Ventura with the intercontinental belt, chasing him backstage now as we leave Ma- uh, Maple Leaf setup, Gardens. Man. That setup is so cool. Yeah, it is. Great looking man, Maple Leaf Gardens hello. is great. Yeah, pretty pretty good for 1986 there. And and Canadian, too. A? I don't know, man. There was a chick on the front row. She's like the third one over. You're going left to right. Uh, there's a kid. I think he looked like he's in one of those uh, permanent wheelchairs with a Hulk Hogan shirt on the left. And then on the right, there's three people. The third one, man. She was pretty hot. <laughs> I think you can see her. She's down there taking pictures, too, at the end. But... um. Nonetheless, here we are, the eight-man tag main event here in yeah. Philly. Closing out the show, July 16th, going back to 1983. Oh. And there's Dick Worley. Now we got a referee in here. Samu. 
Young Samu. Philadelphia Spectrum. It's, it's Andre the Giant, Ivan Putsky, Rocky Johnson, and Chief J. Strongbow. And on the other side, it's Afa, Sika, and Samu, or Samula, if you want to go by what Gorilla calls him. The Wild Samoan Trio and Big John Stud, and this is dubbed a three out of five fall match. Now, I don't know if we're at the beginning of the match. I don't know if we've missed any falls. Looks like it. I can't say. Yeah, everybody looks fresh here right now. But I can't imagine what the timeline. There's Rocky doing Rocky things. And I can't can't say it enough. He's well past his prime age-wise here, and you just wouldn't know it. Yeah, you'd have no idea. He's a young whippersnapper the way he's moving in there. I got to ask, man, is this a Philly thing? Because it seems like a lot of the times with these big eight-mans and six-mans and three out of five falls and three out of two out of three fall matches it happened at the Spectrum. Is this something that they realized the fans here liked? So they did it here more often or what? I think this was more really of a, else. well, I think it was more of an Andre thing. And you're right about the eight mans and the 10 mans and all that stuff. But if you go back and you look in results, the garden show closed with six mans quite often as well. And typically Andre was involved in those. So was chief J Strongbow, who was getting older in age. So you, took the old big names and threw them in there, work with Andre against guys like the Samoans. Look at Rocky. Wow. Guy moves faster than you can really <laughs> commentate. <laughs> I don't know if you watch a lot of modern-day TV. I don't. But I happened to see a commercial yesterday for the new show coming out, Young Rock or whatever the hell it's called. It's supposed to be the Rocky Johnson, or excuse me, uh, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, He's the producer of the show. He's basically retelling the story of him growing up. And in the commercial, yeah. they show him as a kid with, a, with his dad, quote, unquote, dad, Rocky Johnson, and the guy playing Rocky Johnson. Holy shit. I was like, oh, my God. They got the mustache and the hair down. Just perfect. Looks exactly <laughs> like him. Yeah, I did see that. Um, pretty cool. Stud wants I know him. they didn't really... I didn't really get a chance to say goodbye, and that's always unfortunate. I think they had a little bit of a falling out. I don't know. I don't want to speculate on other people's business. but Well, you hear like, all uh, of the shady stories of Rocky Johnson, so I'll just leave it at that. I can't imagine it was easy dealing with him. But, you know, even in, even until near the end there, The Rock bought his dad a car, a truck. Not saying that, you know, that's a lot of money for The Rock, but, but he didn't have to do that if he wasn't. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It just seems... It just seems like The Rock is one of those people that genuinely cares if, like, the people. It's weird. I know that was his gimmick forever, the people's champ, but it does feel that way with him. He feels genuine. And um, I don't know if you've seen it, but recently he gave Harvey Whippleman a truck. Yeah, yeah, I saw the like video. fully loaded. That's really cool. I know he did one. He gave one to Haku uh, as well. Um, calls him, I think he calls him so. Uncle Haku. <laughs> Yeah, I think he's. I think he told the story that he his first match he had to borrow some trunks because he forgot his and right. Haku, Haku gave was him there, yep. so he gave him some purple ones. <laughs> he's like, I don't know what it is about purple, but it was always his color. And um, and we might so have that's a, really cool. A, a fall here already. Jeep J Strongwell using his finisher, the sleeper on Sika, but John Stud from behind and Andre right in on Stud. Stud's like, get me away from him. That looked legit. Stud trying to run away from Andre playing keep away, <laughs> throwing Sika in front of him. Oh, he, he got the hell out of there. And we haven't had a fall yet, so I'm not sure like where we are in this match, unless we do like three straight falls 
for the baby faces or what, what happens here. I, I don't know what the hell's going on. There's everybody in the match is in the ring. It's a mess. This is a mess. Afa caught in the ropes now from Andre's headbutt. Samu going to get whipped into him. Oh, that was not good. No, that, that was terrible. Sika, let me try, try a little better. <laughs> off his arms, can't, off his wrists. What is happening? Let's listen to what Gary Capetta has to say. I have no idea what's happening here. I don't know here. Maybe a disqualification. I really can't tell at this point in time. Well, let's get to find out. out. Ladies and gentlemen, at 5 minutes 13 seconds, the Wild Samoans and Big John Stud have been disqualified for the first fall. The winners of the first fall. So that was the first fall, but why were they disqualified? Everybody was, if anything, Andre should be disqualified. I don't know. There's, there's a little bit of shit on both sides there. I don't know about disqualifying the heels on that one. I don't know. I think they was going with uh, Chief J had him in the, the sleeper and stud came in and right. kind of started it all. So maybe that's what they're going for. Who knows? Um <laughs> It's, an, it's a mean to the end, or I guess the end of the means, or whatever you want to call it. That's kind of what it is. Look at those turnbuckles, man. You mean the tape? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Wow. Very loose ropes, too, if you couldn't tell from Afa being tied up the way he was. But the heels working over Chief J in the corner. See how long Chief J sells. I, I, I can't imagine. Very Well, he's not going to have an option with John Studd. How old, I know we've done this before, but how, how old do you think Samu is here? 18? 19? He's got to be pretty, pretty young. I mean, I don't know. This is, what, 83? So it's, it could be. I mean, I know Tama oh, wow. and Tama, well, the Samoans pick up a win there. That was shocking. I was a little surprised. And then Chief J, the one doing the, uh, the job. I'd say, you know, in 83, Samu had already... Just got in the business. He's probably about 20, roughly. It's crazy. Yeah, and he's working the WWF. It's, that's really crazy. And obviously... The main he's, event with Andre. He's a, he just happens to be a Samoan, and that's how he got in. It's like, oh, your relative of Afa and Sika, come on in. Yeah, it's you know, and here's the thing, too. You know they're going to be good. <laughs> There's not, that, I haven't seen a, a bad Samoan. No, and that's another. That's I think that's why Tama got you know hired at like eighteen or nineteen or whatever whatever it was when he came in as the Tonga kid around this time period to our uh, when what was eighty three eighty four whatever. Yeah, I mean, came I, with, I've Snuka. never i I haven't seen a a bad Samoan. I mean, ever I don't think maybe Sibiafi. I don't know. Well, but he wasn't he, part of the he wasn't part of the bloodline though, so. I mean, I don't even. I'm just talking in general. I know. Right. I know they're all not related, but I mean, for the most part, you know, part, you like, know, CBS poor Afi, like, really? and poor Afi gets a bad rap too. And there, boom! It looks like who was that? Samu? Who the hell was in there? Sika? I don't even know. Uh, Afi or Sika? It wasn't Samu. Right. Somebody ran into a boot from the baby face on the outside, and then Strongbow just drops down and makes the cover. Jesus, Pete. Putsky. <laughs> Look My at Putsky, God. man. He just looks like a, a, a giant Dude's muscle. He's like 5'4", <laughs> and he's freaking 300 pounds of yeah. muscle. Like, that's sick. <laughs> it's, it's sickening, man. His traps have traps, man. 
It's ridiculous. God. <laughs> yeah. Each muscle has like six muscles the way he is built. My goodness. And so now we're what up two falls to one, it, it would appear. Yeah. What was you saying about Afi? I was saying, you know, I don't know that Avi was even a bad worker. I think he just got dealt a bad hand. I mean, you come in to replace the Superfly, everybody's going to shit all over that. Yeah, and then he does all the tattoos to be, what, the the high chief? The high chief of the uh, Islanders, and then they, they kill the gimmick immediately thereafter. And, yeah, you know, he, he got dealt his shit hand multiple yeah, times. He wound up in prison there for a while, too. Uh, at one point, I know in the '90s or into the 2000s, something something in regards to a bank robbery. I, I think he was just the uh, driver. I don't really remember the specifics without going into it, so I'm not going to like label him, whatever. But I, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And I know he, he went away for a while, and supposedly he got out and uh, found God and things like that. And I, I don't know how legit it is. I don't really do do a whole lot. Look look too far into it, but. Yeah, I think he got dealt a bad hand. I've seen some of his stuff, not a whole lot, but some of his stuff pre-WWF, like in Hawaii and New Zealand. He was a perfectly solid worker. I mean, he certainly was athletic, and he was had that Samoan prowess. Yeah. But, you know, to come in and just replace Snuka as super fly Afi, I mean... Yeah, that's the bad part. Yeah, you can't do shit like that, man. People aren't yeah. interchangeable like that. He didn't have the charisma just- or the... The the wrestling ability really of Jimmy Snuka. My God, man, Putsky! Like his legs are <laughs> boulders, <laughs> bigger than most dudes' arms, dude. Yeah, he's he's a rock, dude. Can't imagine what that like. If, if you hey, can I touch your muscle? I, I can't. It had to felt like a giant rock. He just looks like he can't move. I know. Like I, I couldn't. Why would you want to be like that? And to turn into and to do this this late in your career, maybe he thought this is the way to go. He could, you know, he wasn't really as mobile as he once was. Putsky got his start. Go look up Ivan Putsky early on. The stuff from the AWA, the WWA. When he came in, he was a big burly guy with a giant beer belly. He was really solid. I mean, he wasn't like he's like uh, Morocco. Bigger than that. Much bigger than that. In the belly. Yeah. And and then he just transformed slowly into this over time. I mean, he was ripped. He was pretty ripped, like trimmed by the late 70s. But here like this, this is insane. And Andre gets the hot tag after Putsky no, takes is- a little beating. And Andre going to work over all three. So Samu takes a bump <laughs> without even getting touched. He's smart. I'm done with this. Alpha sitting in the the corner there. Is that Alpha? Which one is that? I didn't see, but I'm I'm sure he was. I'm sure Samu was told by Alpha and Sika prior to them. Whatever Andre does to you, you sell it <laughs> because Andre just just sells like he's about to hit Samu, and Samu just bumps for him. And Andre with a reverse. Oh, Samu going to try a reverse crossbody into an Andre oh, boot, and he boot. sits on him. Two, three. Nice spot for eighty three. Wow, Samu with a reverse body block. In 1983, and right into an Andre boot. Good spot. Andre sits on him, and the baby faces get the win. Three falls to one. That was awesome. That was a fun little match part, to go home on. Yeah, I think the big, the biggest thing about the Samoans and why they're so, you know, they have what they have is because they can sell like a million. That's disgusting. He's out there licking the floor. Yeah. Eating I can't, rappers. I can't imagine. I mean, just, oh, my God. 
the, <laughs> the disease is laying there on the yes. floor. <laughs> uh, talk about trying to talk about trying to get over your gimmick. I guess uh, they just know how to sell, man. They can sell like a million bucks with how big they are. Yeah, you don't expect them to be able to just fly around like they do, and every single one of them can do it. I like that's what I'm saying. Like I haven't seen one that can't do that, and uh, that's why they're so dang entertaining. I'm gonna show the replay here. Andre butt bumps Stud off. Stud slowly walks backwards down the steps to sell, and there's the finish. Boom! Wow, what oh, great timing! Great. Yeah, great spot. That was really good. I like that. I might even use that on the uh, the old Twitter feed. And that wraps up another one. Best of the WWF Volume Five in the book, Steve. It went pretty quick. I didn't feel like it dragged at all. And there's a lot of good stuff on this one. You know, you got the heart of the Bulldogs and the Dream Team, the Hearts and the Bees a couple times. Uh, we get to see Jesse. Uh, obviously, Wendy getting jobbed out on her way out. Um, all in all, just a really, really solid show. It really gives you a taste of what. Uh, the WWF was in 1985. Uh, we haven't hit 86 yet, so um, really solid stuff there. Yeah, just uh, just clocks in at just under 90 minutes uh, for the entire show, and it was just nonstop boom, boom, boom. You even got the little break in the middle of with the uh, Fuji General, so you can't really That's complain right. about it. A lot better than most of the TNT segments they've been sprinkling in on these shows, trying to get those over on these best of the WWF tapes. I'll say that much. And the best part of this entire tape, the last two minutes, three minutes, the commercials. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Not good when you go to a TNT commercial. Best of the WF Volume 6. That's uh, Jesse Ventura answering audience questions. Oh, I bet you they're good. He gives it back to him. (laughs) We'll find out on the next episode. (laughs) Look at that that guy. That's movie star written all over it. Well, he he did wind up in Hollywood, so I'll give him that. And there's... That's also uh, Hogan and Savage. It might be their first match. I don't know if it's their first or second match. December of 85, this Hogan-Savage match from the Garden, though. Let's go. I can't I felt like they it. pulled the trigger too early on this, though. Like, Hogan just wanted to make sure he got one over on Savage. This guy's going to be a star, brother. I'm going to beat him now. Yeah, probably. I will say those are some of the, That's one of the best segments in TNT, and I don't think it's on any of these tapes, uh, is him doing the psych- psychiatric evaluation where he's laying on the couch with his therapist or whatever. Right, right, yeah. And he sees the, what do you see when you see this picture? Hulk Hogan. <laughs> like, everything's Hulk Hogan. And, uh, oh, it's so it's so good, man. I love it. Here we go, Ricky Steamboat. Is this Ricky, the tag yeah. match you're talking about? Uh, I mean, but it's no, that's one. a serious match. Yeah, this is a different match. So, yeah, an entire tape of Ricky Steamboat matches. Sign me up. I'm down. And this looks like it's the dog and Steamboat in Morocco. And I guess I would imagine that's Fuji over there. I can't really tell. Yeah, it's Fuji. Yeah, it's Fuji. I've seen him getting up on the apron. But yeah. yeah, this doesn't look like a Saturday Night Main Event taping based on the camera angle, but I can't see. Well, yeah, well, there's nothing Gorilla around, the, nothing around the apron there. either. Gorilla and Jesse's down there commentating. And what do we got here? What are we advertising here? It's uh, Tito and Valentine in the Cade Grudge match. Okay. Makes sense. Didn't we already do this one? No, we haven't gotten to this one yet. We haven't done this one. Hmm. Is this the one you're finished you're talking about where he kicks him through the door? Uh, Tito climbs over the cage and at the door. They won't show it here. But Valentine's going through the door as Tito's climbing over the cage and Tito takes his foot and kicks the door shut on Valentine's head and escapes the cage and gets the win. It's a really great finish. 
Bruno another, and Billy Graham here. Yeah, superstar and Bruno, both former world champions. And uh, I'm sure Graham was probably champion. Look who the referee is there. It's Gorilla Monsoon. Gorilla. I, I will say, dude, Jesse is wearing that exact outfit in that match against Tito. Black pants, red boots, <laughs> the pork chops in the hair. Well, he patterned his entire career after superstar. He, that's when he wanted to become a wrestler. If you follow the you know Ventura's narrative, is he was in the front row at a wrestling show and he saw Billy Graham. He was in awe, and he said, I want to do that. And, you know, just one of many. Hogan patterned himself after Billy Graham. Scott Steiner eventually did. Trendsetter right there. Uh, that's the word. Yeah, um, and I'll tell you, you know, you he had a DVD. One of the very first, I think, DVD releases was that Superstar Billy Graham, 20 years too soon. People say that. You know, they throw that sentence around a lot for guys, but Billy Graham really was way too early for his time. Like people didn't know what to do with it. And I'm not saying he wasn't main eventing and making, you know, a shit ton of money throughout the 1970s because he was, he was the first heel in the WWF to hold the belt for damn near a year. And in, in, in a, when Vince senior didn't believe in giving the heel the belt, the, the baby face was supposed to be the champion, but Billy Graham was just that damned good as a heel. Yeah. I, 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 I like the saying because it just goes to show like you could just plant, Billy Graham pretty much anywhere in his prime and he's going to be something right he's going to be a sight to behold but I don't know man he sticks out and uh he's something completely different for that time frame so it's like yeah probably 20 years later he'd been just as good but is he going to stick out and be that that thing you remember uh, like he is I'll, from I'll that tell era. you what like, between the promo out. between the promo and just that natural charisma you just have to look at him yeah, you can't. And, you can't. Natural charisma is so hard. Like you, you know it when you see it. And, and even though he was the it. trendsetter on more than one thing, because he's also seemed to be the trendsetter on the whole steroids <laughs> in the in the professional <laughs> wrestling business. I'm not saying nobody else took him at the time, Good, but he certainly, yeah, he trendsetter. certainly, he certainly set the standard for steroids. And I'm just saying, man, even if he had came out in '85, '86, the way he looked during the '70s, oh, yeah. still better. Than most of the guys in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine if he came in like his prime or his debut was right after Hogan? Oh that my God, be... money, money! Oh my goodness! I don't know that. <laughs> I don't know when they would have came off their peak, with both of those guys that... working at that. You know that, that in that era. Oh man! Wow. Hell, he's Dusty Rhodes even stole from him the promos. Uh, I think Dusty stole more from Thunderbolt Patterson, but yeah, I'm sure he took some of his stuff from Billy Graham too. There's no doubt. Like the too sweet to be sour stuff. I mean, I know a lot of that. That's how Billy Graham cut his promos for the most part. The biggest thing that's unfortunate is the fact that it almost feels like what WWF has is what they've given us as far as the network goes. Right. Obviously there's MSG house shows and things like that, but for the most part, whatever TV has survived is out there and it's just not a lot. And that's, that's unfortunate because I would love to see some event center promos or just those, in, those insert promos that they do to hype the next show right? of guys like Billy Graham and, and everyone else from that time period. I'm sure a fiery Bruno promo after something shady happened at an MSG show would have been excellent and it's, it's lost forever. So it's uh, that's, that's the unfortunate part of anything from that time frame. The only thing good about it is there's so much of it st- out there still, though, like, you know, on YouTube and, and I have tons of it on, you know, on video files and things and tapes from tape trading days in the 1990s. 
So yeah. there's a lot of it out there. Even if Vince isn't releasing it, there is a lot out there that it's really fun to watch. Yeah. Even so, watching a heel George Steele before he was supposed to be, you know, the character that he portrayed in the 80s, <laughs> cutting promos, uh, cutting articulate promos, heel promos. You know, it's, uh, it's a different time, certainly back in those days, though. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be but definitely interesting to go back and review some of that or talk about it anyway. Oh, I'd love to just pop in some of the old WWF, you know, the late 70s or really early 80s TV. It's definitely out there. I'm sure we, we have plenty of it. So it's yeah. definitely something to think about and to go back and do in time. Maybe even play the promos, obviously, for everyone listening so they can get a, a glimpse into the past as well. Yeah, and I also think it's a learning experience for a lot of people. I mean, I don't know it, and I don't really necessarily know where to go to get the history of wrestling. That's the hardest thing about wrestling is, yeah, you can read results and things like that, but there's no, like, encyclopedia or resource of, like, pretty much everything that's ever happened. I mean, I know it's impossible. But you can like a, like a regular sport, you know, you got seasons, it's broken up, you can find it. But with wrestling, there's so much, you know, there's so many territories, there's so many areas and things like that, feuds and angles and big time promos and things that are going on in the shows. So it's like doing them shows with you or, and just talking about what's on the show and then learning about what's going on about these guys. It is it's very insightful and informative. And if you're a true wrestling fan, it's what you want uh, to. That's what I would want uh, from a podcast is just I'm not trying to put ourselves over, but I want to learn. I just don't want to hear people's opinions. I want to learn. I want to know what's going on with these people, what they did, right. their relevance, their importance and things like that. And um, it's valuable. It's valuable information. If it's something you love like I do and you do, you want to know everything you can. And I'm starting to get to that point. I'm older and mature now and I want to know as much as I can. So, yeah, if you want to throw in some all star wrestling or whatever the case may be and enlighten me on what's going on absolutely man i'm here for it yeah sounds like a, a fun time man. no <laughs> but, i mean uh, you just got your squash matches and things and you got to wait for your angles but, and stuff but just to discuss what was going on around that time it just be a fun time yeah i agree with you 100 percent. so so we'll probably we work some time. of those in once we get through the best of the wwf series i really been wanting to go back and do some house shows anyway so we can definitely work that in in between some of the house shows maybe some of the promos that were uh relevant to those house shows maybe so, but Sounds uh, like an awesome idea, S- Steve. Appreciate you again being here, man. Doing another best of the WWF Volume Five. Obviously, Volume Six right around the corner, and some other goodies right around the corner as well. Uh, but for now, wait, we're starting to we're starting to get into it, man. We get some Hogan and Savage and, and that sort of stuff starting up. So, a lot of the more characters that people you know look for and want to watch and hear about. So, um, business is starting to pick up, as they would say. Uh, I'm I'm ready to get going to to the next one. Volume absolutely, six. absolutely, and we will be back soon with Volume Six, guys. And for Ray Russell, and of course for for Steve Ekstad, I want to say thank you once again for subscribing to the All Access tier or higher here on Patreon.com/slash WrestleCopia, and it's another one in the books for the Watch Along series.